Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, Nick, let's kick it off. Sure. So a lot of you do know what the World Economic Forum is. Obviously, it uh, happens once a year in Davos. And th- there's a, there are a lot of conspiracy theories that uh, that are pretty prominent I'll, around this entire I would even say theories. Like this, I'd rather – I've learned to stop using the word conspiracy theories um, – Unless it's like to the extreme, like the world is flat, the earth is flat. But otherwise, I'm well, I, I think here. I guess people don't understand what the term actually means because it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, okay, tell us what does, anyway, what, yeah. what is what's the definition of a conspiracy theory? Well, the conspiracy. I mean, basically, you you have a theory that there is a conspiracy. <laughs> um, what the definition of it is, I hell, I, I mean, I, cool. I wouldn't tell you exactly. I mean, you've what it is, it. You've got a theory yeah, that there's some sort it's of. A, it's a theory that there is a conspiracy. So behind the scenes right am i am i going in now or are you i think it's him I think it's, him. My... it's him okay. him it's him okay all right so yeah that was more... um yeah so um but ba- basically what it is uh it, just a general overview is you have a bunch of world leaders that get to, uh, together world leaders uh wealthy businessmen you have, it's a consortium of the most powerful people around the world uh, discussions about uh, global affairs, and uh, a lot of it, admittedly, is about the consolidation of power. Um, and one of the biggest topics this year was about inflation, and you know how we can we can get a, uh, a grip on that, and uh, and as well as climate. And so there, those are two big things that we're going to hit on. But economy seems to be the thing that is really hitting people all around the world the hardest, uh, which is why you know Kian, I think. Um, Sounds like you're pretty well versed on this. So if you want to, yeah, you can unmute yourself, Ken. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the World Economic Forum represents a pretty serious concern to the average person around the world, whether they know it or not. And and you can tell this by how the mean media, the mainstream media, responds to people criticizing some of their really outrageous ideas and comments, like plans to completely remove meat from the plates of over a billion people. And, you know, that's just one example. And and you call them out on how infeasible this is, impractical, and how it doesn't actually solve problems that they're trying to solve. And the mainstream media says, oh, you guys are conspiracy theorists. And and as you said earlier, when they say that, you know that you know that you're on to something. And it, it it's not so much a theory. The, these are world leaders coming to a single location to conspire together, uh, whether for better or for worse. Uh, you know, I tend to think that it's for worse, but it, they are definitely conspiring together to change the planet in the way that they think that it should be changed. Uh, it's just, you know, it's not for the best. It, it's definitely not a good thing for the average person. Definitely would not you, a good thing for the average middle class Canadian or, or American. Would you would you say that it's fair to say – Would you would you think it's – oh, my God – uh, would it be fair to say that uh, what they have in, pl- uh, you know, in in the works, uh, what they want to see the world looking like, uh, is going to be more restrictive with less freedoms, um, you know, less freedom of transportation, travel, uh, privacy, uh, the food that you can eat, um, you know, just like the cost of things? Because they talk, we talk about net zero sometimes, right? About the, uh, you know, uh, about sustainability. But what this is, what does this actually look like, right? I mean, we have to ask these questions, and I mean. In general, it means that things will simply not be as cheap as they are currently. Right? Am I am I right to uh, to ask that? Yeah, I, I think that you're sort of circling the point. They they want less choice. 
They, they want you, uh, you to have fewer choices in your life, whether it's what you eat, where you go, who you speak to, what you say. There's going to be less choice because they know what's best. They know that, you know, they, they have a better grasp of economics. They have a better grasp of, uh, socioeconomic dynamics and, and the environment. They, you know, they, they have all these experts. So obviously they know, they know what's best. So they're making the choices for you. Um, they let it slip a couple of years ago when they said you will own nothing and you'll be happy. Uh, they want you to, you know, that, that sounds way more insidious than they probably intended it. Uh, they probably didn't think that that was such an awful thing to say, but you know, really what it means is you will rent, you will not own your car will be shared with others. Um, you will have subscription plans to, uh, to your, to, to everything in your life. And who owns, who, who, who benefits from those subscription plans? Well, odds are it will be a government entity, whether it's the World Economic Forum or its subsidiaries, which are, you know, Canada, United Kingdom, and other people who, who conspire with Klaus Schwab. Um, they're going to be the benefactors of your subscription plans, uh, where, okay, so however that is. It seems like it's a cut in place society, right? And let me talk. Let me talk. No, I just want to add. I just want to add. It seems like it's a cut in place society where you know it's like the 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 food pyramid. I mean, you know, the FDA came up the food pyramid some decades ago, saying that you have to eat grain, uh, grains, or you know whatever, uh, carbohydrates five times a day, and you know meat is just once a day, and and this will be perfect for you, right? And and now we're seeing the the disastrous results of that because it was the product of lobbyists, you know, whether it's the, the corn lobby or, you know, the soda lobby, right? I mean, all, all these different companies, they stood to benefit from that. I mean, people who sell, you know, pizzas, were, I mean, like pizzas are supposedly healthier than, you know, simply eating bacon, right? So, I mean, this whole cut and paste society, this cut and paste plan, uh, it's, it seems like the with the WEF, you know, a lot of the, the, the stuff that they want to develop for us, develop for us, more like, you know, to us is... Uh, doesn't seem to be. I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you. Mario, your mic is is it's it's deaf. Yeah, it's hard to hear. It's bad. Yeah. Oh, it, is it better? Is bad. it better now? Oh yeah, is it is better now. Now no, it's better. I'll give you. Yeah, I'll give you. Mario, it's too close to your head or something. I mean, it's. Ah, okay. Testing. Okay, tell me now. There we go. Much better. Okay, go Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, go ahead, Sam. Sorry. Come on. Yeah. So I mean, look. I understand. I definitely agree with you in on the on the food pyramid thing. It was it's probably one of the most devastating things that's happened to humankind in reality. When we look at look at the health issues that people suffer from uh, because of their diets. But let's let's look at the alternative view um, of some of these things that the the, the WF are are talking about. I mean, you could say they're restrictive, or you could say they're alternatives. If we talk about things like transport, look, we we know that that we need to shift to cleaner energy, cleaner transport. Whether whether people believe in climate change or not doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, kids are developing terrible respiratory illnesses living in cities because cars are driving past them every day. We also know that the, the major constraints in terms of moving to cleaner vehicles, electric vehicles, are, are you know, the, the raw materials. So technology, what the WF are actually saying is that technology is going to make it more viable to share vehicles. So less vehicles need to be produced, less vehicles need to be on the road. We can actually sustain clean vehicles because we we can't build a billion electric cars over the next 20 years but if we you know people are in their car for 30 minutes a day on average and the majority of time it's outside their house or their their work or whatever 
very most journeys are one person in a car. If we want to just ignore these things and say it's a conspiracy theory trying to control us, or we could say there's a lot of practicality here in the fact that every vehicle that's produced, the first two or three years of that life, and this is electric vehicles too, is just the emissions from the production of that vehicle. So if we have less, you know, cars, as one example, are a depreciating asset. So, you know, if we have less cars being built, less cars on the road, we can actually make a far higher proportion of clean cars, uh, electric vehicles, obviously. Um, so we can we can look at it from we can look at it from the negative side if we want, if that's our own. Well, I mean, a negative side is that it's going to be more expensive for most people, right? They have to depend. So on you think it's going to think it's going to be more expensive? Okay, so a car depreciates by twenty twenty five percent when you take it off the forecourt. Okay, for a start, so you don't think that people are uh, uh, the technology allows for for car sharing to be far more practical, far more easy. You know, if there's twenty cars on a road outside, outside you know outside someone's house, rather than a hundred cars, and everybody still has access to a car when they need them, that's going to be cheaper. You know, than buying a car, losing twenty five percent having to service it with one person you know uh, and also you talk about like that we would hope that there'd be incentives for the the manufacturers to to rule out this planned obsolescence every car that is built is built with with planned obsolescence so so that at some point something's going to break in two years everyone's going to have to pay you know running cars is i'm just using cars as one example but you know we buy a lot of crap we don't need you oh, know we use something once sure. or twice Sorry, I, I wanna, yeah, yeah, is that all good? Yeah, oh, before we yeah, kick off, Nick, Nick, before we come in, yeah, yeah, everyone's a comment, and I think I saw Key yeah, I know, I know. having his hands up, yeah. Yeah, so I do, yeah, I do wanna just introduce, oh, he dropped off, Thierry dropped off, I'll send him an invite again. Um, he's he's uh, pretty vocal about the World Economic Forum. So, Keen, the way we run those spaces, we always try to keep them balanced, get both sides of the argument um, a voice to, for the audience to kind of have a, an objective discussion and make up their mind. I also want to you know, um, uh, uh, welcome Sebastian back to the stage. It's been a while. Sebastian, how are you? Very well, very well. I'd love to jump in with a quick comment whenever you're ready, Mario. Uh, you're, you're always welcome to jump in. And, and I'm glad I should have probably sent you an invite earlier, but it's been a while we haven't touched base. You're, you're out. My guess you'd be pretty critical of the World Economic Forum, but maybe you'd give us a more a more balanced view of the pros and cons of this um, annual meeting of the, the decision makers in our world. Well, look, you, you've seen for yourself, but let me just respond to the, the last speaker. I think it was um, someone called Sam. So, so he, he's, it's, it's not an issue. This is where you know you kind of miss the vector of the debate on these issues. It's not a question of whether you know, global warming or climate change is, is bad or, you know, kids getting respiratory conditions, uh, you know, more than they used to is bad. That's not the point. The point is, how do you get there? And, and somebody else, I think it was Ian, mentioned it. So I, I used this clip on my show multiple times this week. So somebody is on the platform from Davos this week and says, uses the classic heartstrings kind of argument. My daughter says, why are you eating beef? And then, you know, uh, he says, well, look, uh, uh, my, 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 I'd have to be a, a vegetarian for, you know, 70 years to do the carbon offset for one flight to Thailand. And then he says, but if a billion people stopped eating meat, wow, we could change the world. And then, and then nobody does a follow up question. Who the hell is going to stop a billion people eating meat? It's, it's not. You know, the good intentions, it's not that something needs to be done about issues to do with health or the economy. The question is, the the WEF and the usual left-wing inclination to use force to get to that point. When, when California decrees 
that you will not be able to buy a gasoline car in you know five years, four years time in the state of California. Hang on a second. We're not talking about good intentions. We're talking about power for the elite that will still be flying, flying around the world in their, you know, their G series jets. The point is here, how do we get to that place? People like me want to leverage science, want to make, you know, the world a cleaner place but through the market dynamic, not by government fiat. And what the WF is all about is by government fiat or fiat of unelected bureaucrats to say, sorry, we're just going to ban this technology, we're going to ban this product, and you're just going to have to suck it up or leave the country and find somewhere else that allows you to live in those conditions. So the question is, you know, what mechanism gets us to a better place? Is it free markets? Is it liberty? Or is it imposition by the elites? That's the big question that people are, are avoiding. Look, Sebastian, I, I agree with you. And, and I think it's Catherine and I were actually talking about this. And we're both the kind of people who are seen as, as like the liberals in the in the team. And we agree that, you know, mandating that people have to buy electric cars in 2035 is, a, is an issue. But at the same time, and this is going to sound incredibly liberal to me, if kids are growing up in a polluted city, do they have any choice what they're breathing in every day? Do those kids have a choice? But it, is, but is again, the, yes, does the yes, government that, not have some responsibility that, to protect that, that's people going at some to, level? That's going to the argument of heartstrings and not reality and fact. So, it's not, so it somebody, is reality. Somebody made, somebody it is reality when there's... So, Somebody made this point. I, I can't remember who, but you know, if you know who you are, then you know I, I'm not taking it upon myself. If the UK, that that under the prior government banned fracking, which they've rapidly reversed, if the UK, you know, went to the Stone Age tomorrow, if they banned every fossil fuel in the UK, there would be less than a one and a half percent decrease in CO2 emissions in Western civilization. So what are we talking about? If, if China is building a new coal-powered plant every single week, what are we talking about? If India says, we need fossil fuels, you don't get to put us back into the Stone Age because we are just a developing country, then what are we talking about? P penalizing us as other nations demand to turn into industrial economies using fossil fuels, using plastics. And again, just the rank bloody neocolonialism of saying plastics are bad because they're fossil fuels. How do most Africans get drinking water in plastic cartons, in plastic bottles? They walk five miles a day down to the creek. What are we going to say? You don't get to drink water unless it's in a renewable glass product. Again, it's, it's, it's this not thinking it through that is the problem and also the power dynamic. You say it's not a good thing to ban a certain product. I would say it's actually authoritarian to say without anybody voting on it that Governor Newsom just says, screw you, no more gasoline trucks. What, what does that plumber do who's got an F-150 that's 20 years old? He can't do his job as a plumber with a Tesla. It's the rank arrogance of the people on their private jets telling others, screw you, you don't get to have an F-150 pickup truck. That's the problem with the likes of the Davos. Well, and, and by the way... Hold on, guys. Yeah, one at a time. I just want to add before I, uh, we go to each speaker at a time. Uh, it's true. What Sebastian said is true, and their policies have us have an extremely adverse impact on the developing world. My country, in particular, Malaysia, is uh, uh, cutting down forests, rainforest, to plant, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, biofuel materials, right? Uh, palm oil, because of the demand from Europe. 
And this is how bad it is. So they're destroying, they're more than happy to destroy the local ecology, which is like a million year old forest, uh, to plant, uh, you know, uh, garbage, essentially, what is essentially garbage that doesn't help any of the diversity in our location just to make sure that Europe succeeds. So, I mean, this seems to me like a form of imperialism, right? There's, there's no market at play here. This is, these are simply rules made by fiat, by really awful committees that no one voted in. And it, it, it makes everything more expensive in Europe, first of all, and it destroys the local there's, economies. Uh... There's a very good well, reason why, why Carl, let, let me just quickly, Sam, just sorry, two seconds, Sam, just Sebastian and Thierry, I've sent you an invite request to speak via DM, uh, just FYI, because it's glitching, so check your DMs, if you leave the space, click on the link, you'll be coming back as a speaker, because uh, I, I saw you both drop out, uh, but yeah, go ahead, sorry, Sam. Yeah, so look, there's, a, there's a reason why, why cars are a focus, whereas out-of-town power stations are less urgent. It's because cars are, are directly affecting the, the local um, you know, environment, and cars are, are giving off far more than carbon dioxide. They're obviously giving off carbon monoxide, nitrogen dioxide, and these things are going directly into the lungs of the people in urban areas, whereas an out-of-town power station or a private jet, neither of which I'm defending in isolation, but I'm just saying there is there is a logical reason why the focus is on motor vehicles, because they are directly polluting in that local environment. Well, um, I want to go to Catherine. I know, Catherine, you were trying to speak earlier. I see Thanks. Sebastian is back, and is Thierry there? No, it's still glitching. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, Thierry's here for the first time as yeah. well on the panel. Good to have you, Thierry. But go ahead, Catherine. Yeah, so, um, it, yeah, I really like a lot what you're saying, Sebastian, but, um, so for example, I would say Wyoming, for example, just recently announced that they're kind of doing the same thing, but in reverse. So there's states that are, um, banning, um, you know, um, uh, a, a lot of places are banning gas vehicles, right? Including in Canada, um, and many states in the U.S., California, we, Wyoming announced that they're doing the same thing, which I think is more of a political ploy, but they're doing the same thing with electric cars. But in general, I would say, you know, when we're taking it back to the World Economic Forum, you know, I think having these ideas and discussing them all, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think some of these ideas, you know, I think some of them are problematic. Some of the uh, implementations are not always thought through, like, you know, a look at something like plastic bags and uh, in a lot of places there um, have been outlawed. And actually, I would be I wouldn't be surprised if it actually causes more harm if you look at it because there's people using more plastic bags as a result because they're forgetting their bags and they're buying more more bags that don't last very long and there's actually more waste but at the same time the the biggest issue that i see is that people have lost trust in their institutions in terms of trusting that they won't make things mandatory right because we look and that's what we were discussing with sam is that um you know you look at some of these ideas and they're not bad necessarily all bad ideas to explore at least from our point of view but they man when as soon as they mandate them they take away your your choice which for example if you take for example some of the ideas the big idea of the world economic forum right that people complain about a lot is this uh you you will own nothing and you will be happy and this idea that that that's something that people quote all the time and that idea is really about 
renting things, right? Like corporations own things. But if a corporation doesn't like you, you know, for maybe you say the wrong thing, they can cut you off. And we've seen that with like PayPal and other corporations. So people should always have the option to own things. So how do you make sure, especially in the legal system, that you continue to have that choice and there isn't that authoritarian move? And at the same time, people don't sort of revolt against forums where people need to discuss ideas so you're right about that about about companies having authority over your your own personal sovereignty but and, and that's why you see so many of the like microsoft and all these people uh, all these companies ibm at the world economic forum but a, a big concern as well is also c- uh, countries uh owning these assets owning these you know these um, subsidized housing that you have to rent for the rest of your life because you can no longer afford a suburban home or they cut off utilities to suburban homes because they're centralizing uh, in the downtown area like the World Economic Forum has suggested. Uh, this whole subscription, subscribing to your life is this it's a, it's furthering this idea that you do not get to choose. Uh, you do not get to have any permanence in your life. Uh, and everything can be uprooted when the elites decide that, oh, there's actually a better way for you to live. Um, I want to I want to quickly ask a question to Thierry. First, is my mic better or is it still shit, Nick? It's still pretty. Okay, I'll ask a question to Thierry and then I'll fix my mic. Thierry, my question is, you know, you've been very critical of the World Economic Forum. Um, beyond centralization of power, which I think we all agree is a really bad thing, what, maybe you can kick it off before you, you respond to the points made. Um, what are the positives that you see from the World Economic Forum? And I do this very often. I always tell someone to kind of give points yeah. that they – And I'll jump, in, I'll jump in on that as well. Mm. Yeah, of course. Then we'll, we'll go to, to, to Wahid right after. Go ahead, Thierry. Yeah, okay. Th- so thank you. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Excellent. Uh, thank you, Mario. I've been a fan of yours, and I'm a, a member of parliament in the Netherlands, in, in, in Holland, for all of you who do not know me. And uh, indeed, um, I'm uh, fundamentally opposed to the whole globalist mindset that is underpinning the World Economic Forum. And so the po- the question was, <laughs> what's the positive thing about it, in my view? The positive thing is that it is very much on the surface. So this is a very explicit expression of a certain worldview. It's it's there for all of us to see. All of us can comment on it. We can we can we can express our opinions about it. And and that is progress. It's it when the devil shows its true nature, it's progress. And what are your main, would you say, your biggest three concerns before we go to Wahid? Well, um, ever since Plato, since the beginning of of Western man starting to think about life, uh, we've been contemplating the problem of the one and the many, right? So is, is everything ultimately the same or is everything diverse? And the, uh, the, the, the thinking in terms of everything being the same has always been the totalitarian temptation. Every totalitarian movement in world history has always believed that uh, people uh, are at heart individuals and those individuals ought to be governed universally. So individualism and universalism 
are sort of the, the two tokens by which totalitarians uh, go about. And um, uh, the, the, the central belief of our current elites, like the elites uh, in, 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 in several other uh, periods in, in, in our history, is that we are all ultimately alike. We're all ultimately the same. And that is why we need central control. That is why we all need our biology to be centrally controlled through uh, mRNA vaccinations. That's why we need our currency to be controlled through CBDC. That's why we need our uh, carbon dioxide emissions to be centrally controlled. This is their, their central belief is control. That's what the alchemists in the Middle Ages believes, that, uh, believed. That's what the uh, communists, the Marxists believed. They, th- they have superior knowledge over how we should govern our lives. Mm. And that is ultimately, that is fundamentally uh, uh, the, the problem of this because they misunderstand that the fundamental point of human life is to create a community, a family. That's why they promote trans- transgenders because they, they don't like families. They want individuals. They want the destruction of family. The, the, the purpose, in my view, of human life is to create nation states, <laughs> national identities. That's why they are in favor of multiculturalism, mass immigration, supranational legislation, and so on. The, the purpose of life, in my view, is to create beauty, aesthetics, which create a home like the old city centers of European cities. And that's why they're in favor of modernist architecture, which destroys the home. And so on uh, and so forth. I, I think you want me to shut up, Mario. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't. I never want you to shut up. I actually want you. So what, what I what I try to do. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I like Thierry. Um, first, um, I, I want to go to Wahid before going to Ezra, who, who's who's um, managed to make it today, even though we had it scheduled for yesterday. But one thing I want to do, Thierry, and I hope my audio is okay. One thing I wanted to do is to... Um, I, we had it planned for yesterday, but we had to reschedule it. So next time we're going to do a, another WEF summit or call it something else. But I do want to bring those policymakers onto the space. And I know it's really hard, and, and Ezra will probably talk on this because Rebel News has been doing a great job at trying to, to kind of ask those tough questions to the policymakers. But I do want to get the perspective because I think I agree with most of the points you made, especially the first one, the centralization of power and the house never worked throughout history. Um, but I, I also think, and I could be wrong, I'm, I'm learning as well, but you, you know, I, I just don't want to paint them as, a, as bad people. And of course, I don't want to paint them as good people either. I just want to paint them as people within power, humans, uh, and that fall prey to – uh, you know, human you know human human imperfection and corruption. But I do, I'll, I'll go to Wahid to kind of balance out uh, Thierry's Wahid. You were there live in in Davos. You've been there a few times. Uh, so has Ezra. Um, so I'll let you go first to kind of balance out what Thierry has said and and uh, kind of give us the other side of the fence. And yeah. then we'll go to Ezra to to get a, a deeper look into you know what's happening behind the scenes. Okay, great. Well, thank you. Um, and it was great being there with you, Mario. Actually, so um, look, I'm going to make three broad points and. Um, uh, believe it or not, I think a lot of people are critics of Davos, so I'm going to try and, 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 and give my positive perspective. Uh, I have a lot of negatives, but I think for, for the health of the debate, I'll, I'll try to be positive here. Um, I'll start overarchingly saying that I will, um, I've attended Davos and I will continue to attend it. Okay. Um, 
number one, I think it's a great microcosm of uh, bringing people uh, together. Um, I have probably 70-80% of, of my meetings with you know, avant-garde people. Uh, I'm obviously in the blockchain now, uh, uh, you know, running a fashion business as well. And I can assure everyone on this call and, and, and everyone listening later that there are plenty, plenty of people that want to change the world in a direction that is not echoed on this call, okay, on, on, on this spaces. Uh, a lot of people want to get rid of fiat. A lot of people want to get rid of uh, centralization. They want to have a decentralized life. And so to just pin everything on, 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 you know, on the clickbait slogans of, of, um, uh, of a few people in Davos, I think is wrong. Okay. Because so many great discussions and so many great connections are made uh, at Davos in the outskirts of Davos on the streets, in the restaurants, et cetera. And what I love particularly is young entrepreneurs, um, literally going to Davos, right. And, and making sure that they're, you know, uh, in all the different venues uh, to, to try and grab their chance, to try and grab a few minutes with so-and-so in order to um, have a changed life, in order to get a, a, an equity ticket, in order to raise money um, and, and to build their dreams. So, I, I, you know, Davos has a lot of negatives, but has a ton, a ton of positives and lots of meat, okay? Um, in fact, I don't think I've uh, ever seen as many people on keto diets eating only meat, okay? <laughs> all right, so let me just put that out there. So now the second point I want to make is, believe it or not, you can smell something in terms of direction. I felt in Davos, there was a complete rebellion against wokeism, complete rebellion uh, on given inflation on the, 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 the issues uh, that we've been pushing as a society, etc., that have led to inflation, not just in terms of, you know, bubble interest rates. Uh, 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 two years ago, you know, uh, uh, pushing bubbles, but but uh, a lot of the ESG things, etc. You know, you think about BlackRock, you think about all these funds and banks that were trying to um, uh, shut down, uh, you know, energy investments, huge backlash against that, saying, no, we need to invest in our energy. So actually, if you, if you mark the market where we were today, I believe uh, Davos 2023 was the year of the backlash. Backlash that we went too far in ESG. Backlash that we went too far on on um, on regulation. Um, um, backlash, frankly, on on war in Ukraine and Russia. Lots of people saying, you know what, this this is crazy. There was a slogan uh, from Medvedev that said, that, "Look, if you're going to defeat Russia, uh, that's the end of the world." Okay, we cannot lose in Ukraine. That slogan, that line, I think happened during uh, during the last week. Um, and, 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 and a lot of people are realists saying, you know what, uh, is this the right path, right? Um, the Saudi uh, uh, minister talked openly, openly about the petrodollar going away and adopting other currencies, etc. So, so Davos is not just, I think, the, 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 the monolithic debate that people are talking about here on the spaces. There's a lot of radical discussions that are against the status quo. Um, and I right. think that's important to to, to reflect, Mario. Mm. I, right. I, I want to yeah, I want to go to Ezra, but how's the mic now? It's switched phones better. It's it's much oh, better. Perfect. Yes. Okay. So so Ezra, um, you know, Wahid kind of tried to balance it out. First, pleasure to have you as well for the first time. So we have you and Thierry and Kian for the first time. Um, you were there behind the scenes. I think you did. You guys did a pretty good job. In and me and Ian were debating. 
um, debating what you guys are doing in, in um, me, Ian, and Brian, what you guys are doing in Davos, and the way you were, you know, pretty, pretty direct and, and in some ways aggressive in asking questions and bringing attention to certain topics, questions that most other, most others in the media were not asking. So um, yeah, tell us more. Like, what were your main highlights? Um, what are the pros and cons that you see in the World Economic Forum? And obviously, you've got a lot of concerns. So we'd love to know more about these concerns. Sure. Thanks very much for inviting me. And sorry, I'm a bit late. The first thing I'd like to say is that there are actually hundreds of journalists at the World Economic Forum. In fact, they are very visible. They have their company logos emblazoned all down the main street. They have studios, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNBC. They're all there. Um, Fox Business News, CNN. So there's no shortage of journalists there. And these oligarchs and billionaires and opinion leaders make the circuits. So, for example, Albert Bourla, the CEO of Pfizer, who I chatted with, he had just come from an interview, I think, at CNBC. And Greta Thunberg uh, did countless interviews. The difference is these hundreds of journalists that I'm describing, the ones whose company names are emblazoned all along the street, they're not there to speak truth to power or to ask accountability questions or to be skeptical because that might upset the uh, team spirit. They're there to magnify, uh, to adopt the new narrative and promote it. So they would never in a million years ask Albert Bourla about myocarditis or about when he actually knew that his vaccine wouldn't stop transmission of the virus. So the journalistic style that me and my colleagues at Rebel News used this past week, it was aggressive, I'll accept that, when we had uh, newsmakers who ran away, like Albert Bourla. Um, we were, I think, quite gentle with Greta Thunberg when we spoke to her for 20 minutes. Um, if you compare our journalism to, say, the White House press corps and how they went after Donald Trump for four years, I think uh, we were similar. You know, we were aggressive and skeptical, and that's how it is, except at Davos. And that's my point is that the media there, they are insiders. Their companies often pay hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for that access, and they are not there as a counterweight to power. They're there to massage power, to caress power, to work with power. And that's not real journalism. That is something that's, that's some sort of government journalism or controlled journalism, but it's not real journalism. And, and so it's startling that a you know, a uh, very small internet-only operation, tiny, like Rebel News, could so dominate the last week. I mean, our, our videos got tens of millions of views. How could that possibly be? Well, we were the only people asking accountability questions of people who don't like accountability. This is a proto-crypto government that wants to make policy, wants to promulgate ideas, and does not want the normal checks and balances there is no opposition party to the World Economic Forum. There is no candidate that could run against Klaus Schwab. And there is no free press there to debate it. So you, you have all the flaws of a real government, but none of the checks and balances. It's, it's veering off course. And I think people hate it. That's my explanation for why our videos were so enormously popular. Hey, Ezra, can I ask you a few questions? So, I, so look, I, I love what you did, and I watched uh, your interview uh, uh, on the streets uh, twice. Okay, so I loved it, um, uh, even though you got no responses, but, but, uh, but, 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 but I get it. Honestly, you've, you've spent a lot of time in Davos in the last few days um, talking to people. Do not tell me that the consensus was not 
how ridiculous our lives were in the last two to three years and how we were misled. Okay, I'm not here to, to defend Davos crowd, but you, you please, do you think every single person, they, not every single person, do you think the majority of the people you spoke to, okay, uh, uh, thought that what we did in the last two and a half years was right? Well, I, I spoke to the head of COVID enforcement for Davos, and she very reluctantly hinted that maybe the lockdown was too much, but she was still in charge. I'm telling you, they're all... Exactly. Well, she was still enforcing I, but just, it. But, but, for example, you had to get a PCR test, and it was linked to your access card, and if you failed that test, you would be depersoned Chinese social credit style. So maybe they're, it, maybe they're whispering that maybe they went too far the last two years, but they're not turning back. They implemented the the digital ID social credit system on their own delegates. So and it was one and it was one hundred percent rejected when they said that thing. Okay, about yeah, maybe we ought to have a digital ID. The, the, there was an uproar. It wasn't, the, but look, they still not, abided it. I there's mean, so many negatives. I, My point is, your reporting did a lot of great things, but I just want you to tell the audience here. You cannot possibly tell me or tell the audience that the pendulum hasn't shifted the other way and that people are beginning to reject all this. At well, what's so fascinating at Davos is the different hierarchies, the different strata, and it's right there in the color coding of your badge. So a lot of people at Davos are, you know, the friendly kind of bureaucrats or lawyers or, you know, uh, hustlers that you find in a capital city like Washington or or London. So most of the people there are, are pretty, quote, regular people. They, they all have some, you know, ambition in mind. But Davos is really run, I think, from the top down. I use the word oligarch. That, if you look at the board of directors, that's who Davos is. It's Al Gore. It's Larry Fink of BlackRock. It's, it's Nestle. It's Carlisle. And it's Klaus Schwab. So I'm sure the littler people further down the pyramid have more common sense. But the masters of the universe, the Alex Soros's, the Bill Gates's, they are still 100% committed to their plan. So I'm sure ordinary people are chafing against the things you described. Yes, I saw some of that myself. But don't tell me that has moderated Bill Gates's vaccine and population control plans. I know it has not. Larry Fink is as deeply committed to ESG as ever. So yeah, the littler people on the pyramid, maybe, but the top dogs, and that's the thing, it is a hierarchy. It is not a democracy. So, so, so Ezra, a question? I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just yeah. Brief, 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 briefly, Ezra. Um, with regard to your interview with, with Greta, do you, do, you, do you feel that she would have given more coherent answers if you'd interviewed her in a, in a more comfortable situation for her? Because I've seen her interviewed before where she's been able to give coherent answers, but you know she does suffer from autism and selective mutism and anxiety disorders. Do you think if you'd sat down with her in a calm environment, you might have got I have a, do you mind, Ezra, I'm going to reword that question because it's a great question. That was what we, was, we were debating yesterday, Ezra. And by the way, everyone, I've, I've, sent, a, I've sent an invite to Elon. Um, it's been a while I haven't invited him to see if he's got time to join. I think it's a good topic to get his perspective on it because he's been pretty vocal on, on the World Economic Forum. Um, but just to go back to the question to, to Ezra. Um, so Ezra, the debate we had yesterday, and I, I kind of brought it up. I said, uh, you know, someone sent me through the video of you guys interviewing the CEO of Pfizer. And I'm like, guys, um, I think they're, they're asking the right questions, but it, shouldn't a journalist get answers? Isn't that the purpose of a journalist? And then they got no answers. And then Ian pushed back on it with a very good point. Like Mario even if they didn't get answers, they at least ask the right questions and the audience will listen to those questions, will see them not getting replies, and then it will allow the audience to question 
um, you know, the, the various topics that were brought up. So I'm like, actually, it's a valid point. And Sam, I'm kind of asking your point, Sam, and I'll give the mic to Ezra. It's like, okay, they didn't get replies. But if they were in a better uh, format, may, no, when I interviewed Hunter Biden, there was 90% of the questions we had we were not allowed to ask. And it's their right. You know, they could tell us. So that's the only way to do that. Um, is to, to do it in the form that they did is just to kind of sneak it in and try to ask it and if they don't have that shock aspect of it and so I'm, I'm not, I don't want to speak on your behalf Ezra so I'll give you the mic right now but if they don't have that shock aspect in my opinion they might, the video might not get the attention and it might not get the reach because they're probably not going to get a reply even if they ask the questions nicely but at the same time I agree with you Sam like maybe they would have gotten rep- I don't know it's a tricky one but Ezra I would love your take on it I'm not sure if you, you understand the debate we're well, having I just think, I think there's, a big, there's a big difference between you know a 60 odd year old CEO of Pfizer and, and a young woman with autism. I haven't and, seen and that one. Yeah, I, haven't, I haven't seen that one. She she does she does answer. She does do interviews where she's okay. I like I like for I yeah, like yeah, for yeah Ezra, Ezra. Yeah, go Ezra. ahead. Ezra. Yeah, yeah. Sure. it's a good debate well, though. Greta is twenty years old, but she looks thirteen or fourteen, and that's the source of her power. She looks like a child prophet of the Old Testament, warning us to mend our ways. But when but I don't. She's been interviewed countless times. But the interviews have always been softball. In fact, as we walked through Davos with her for 20 minutes, there were three of us rebel journalists peppering her with questions. But there were also three other journalists who were there giving the standard questions like, why is this important? And can you tell us how wonderful you are? I, I exaggerate, of course, but there was no accountability questions. They wouldn't dream of it. In fact, they, they, the other media were correcting us or answering for Greta to our questions, it, I don't think Greta Thunberg is... But she didn't answer those questions either. She didn't answer those questions either. And I think it may have been the environment for her. Could be. I'm not making excuses for other people. Well, could be, but... Well, that, they probably that, wouldn't have gotten... Well, that, Sorry, that's go ahead. the thing, is she has never been asked, for example, who's your PR team? Why don't you condemn China? Why have you never protested against Russia? Uh, where is your source of expertise? You're a high school dropout. These are not mean questions. They're obvious questions. But when people see a 20-year-old who looks 13, they get all lovey-dovey and they don't want to appear like bullies. But she has to pick a lane. Either she's an, uh, a, a child of tender years with autism, don't be mean to her. Or she's the leader of a massive worldwide movement. You can't switch from leg to leg depending on who you're talking to. And I think with both Albert Bourla and Greta Thunberg, we were the first people ever to ask challenging questions. Now, they weren't perfect questions. And, and maybe, maybe, we, uh, maybe it would have been better had we been sitting down. But we never would have got us sit down because these are two PR people. They're not public intellectuals. Albert Bourla's job is to maximize shareholder profit, and Greta Thunberg's job is to scare children and adults into radical climate action. They're not public intellectuals who want to debate. They never have. Well, and, and but, but when well, you I agree. The so, question, so, uh, go ahead. But when you phrase the question, the question just, sorry, guys, go ahead, Sam. I'll let you finish your point, and we'll go to Thierry and Catherine. No, no, I appreciate the answer, and I agree that your questions are valid and. And I agree that I would like to hear the answers to them. But I also do feel, because she didn't answer questions from the from the other journalists either on that walk, and, and I feel it may just have been the situation. But, you know, I do agree with you on the on the basis of those questions that they deserve answers. So I just wanted to sort of add that some. Yeah. Hey, Terry. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. So here I am again. So I was having a conversation with a friend uh, recently about the fall of the 
communist world order in the 1980s and 1990s. And um, we were contemplating Ronald Reagan's uh, famous speech about tearing down that wall and so on. And uh, we were wondering if if we identify these people um, either as the architects or simply as the administrators of this uh, globalist uh, uh, movement that is destroying our civilization. And, and I think that's something that most of us would agree on. Who would be our Ronald Reagan? Um, and I was wondering what all of you think of the suggestion that it might be Vladimir Putin. Is he not the Ronald Reagan of our time? Is he not the only one standing up against this? Getting all the flack for it. Getting hated by everyone. Um, but ultimately, isn't he the only one really fighting globalism? I would actually agree with you, but I don't think anyone else would. <laughs> Yeah, Jerry, go ahead. Jerry and Catherine. Well, right, because they do colonels. That's what they do. They fight globalism. Can, can I? Can I sorry, Is that a... Mario? Uh, do you want me to speak, or do you want me? No, to... jump in and speak. Please, no, yeah, Just one, one thing yeah, to elaborate on this, just very briefly. Um, so, uh, my my feeling is that. I was thinking when I was in Davos earlier this week, my feeling was that even if miraculously a bomb would drop on that little village, beautiful village where Thomas Mann wrote a beautiful book and, and many other people that, that, that we obviously feel were connected to uh, went to, like Mahler, the great composer, and so on. But but nowadays, of course, it's taken over by these horrible reptile-like quasi-humans that are destroying our world. Um, but if a bomb would miraculously drop it, th then even nastier people would be, re would be replacing their positions within weeks. So they are not actually leaders. They are merely... Uh, the people that get to sit in private jets for a couple of years and get to feel important, the mediocre ones who get to implement policies that are not being designed by them. They are not thinkers. They are not intellectuals. They are not the, 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 the ones deeply thinking about what the future of the world should be they are simply there, put in place by this global bureaucracy um, to do the nasty work and to take the flag for it and to take, to take all the, the public outrage for it. And, and therefore, so I, what I was thinking was we're, we're really fighting not just individuals, we're not fighting leadership, we're fighting institutionalism we're fighting a global bureaucracy that seeks to big business and big government have sort of merged into uh, a global bureaucracy and we might be right in terms of arguments and this point has been made by several previous speakers before me but we don't get to debate them like Greta Thunberg is she is not there 
arguing with us rationally because no serious person would rationally agree with all the ridiculous climate change claims it's it's a mystique it's a religion it's a it's a it's a commercial enterprise and 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 this greta thunberg person is is very replaceable she's only there because she plays along because she she plays her role very well like tom cruise she's in the next mission impossible as long as she's good uh, as uh, as the person she intends to play and then they they replace her with someone else so what yeah. who is actually fighting these people at their own level and i wouldn't be able to think of anyone but vladimir putin i think this is this this could be actually a political point people like us could be making like get him on the main stage get him into a debate with other people let's try to see if we can find some kind of equilibrium here who is fighting against whom here we are right. fighting okay. shadows so, so Thierry, like, Thierry, I've, I've like got, i'm going to interrupt hold on no. Thierry, sam everybody i've got a question for you Thierry, for you sebastian for ezra um for keen whoever would like to take this one i looked at the because i okay guys please mute your mic i don't know who that is oh, i've just muted everyone all right uh, okay, yeah, Sebastian, I'm just going to mute your mic. Some bit of feedback sound from your end. Cool. Um, yeah, so, so the question is the following. I looked at, I tried to find the positives in the World Economic Forum because I'm seeing a lot of criticism around the world, and rightly so, um, around Davos. And I, I want to mention a few points, a few achievements from the World Economic Forum, and I want to get your thoughts on it just for the panel. So North and South Korea, so one point on the World Economic Forum is that people that cannot usually meet due to various reasons, can't meet, can't, you know, can't meet together, like North Korea and South Korea. The media wouldn't like that. Policymakers wouldn't like that. Well, they met for the first time in Davos. German unity discussions, they started, you know, East and West, they started in Davos in the 80s. Mandela and de Klerk met in Davos to end apartheid. Warring factions meet in Davos, like, you know, Arab countries and, and, and Israel have met in Davos in the past. And these are meetings that cannot happen without such, such, a, such an event. Now, I'm not praising Davos in general. Uh, actually, I am. This is one positive point of Davos. Despite the concerns that we all have, my main concern is the centralization of power. And I've tweeted a lot about the inequality, etc. There's a lot of points there. Uh, but would love anyone's perspective on this. Wouldn't you, like Sebastian, maybe you could take that one. Wouldn't you consider that point yeah. to be a positive? Yeah, I, I just don't think there's a causal relationship. It's like saying, you know, Gorbachev liked Big Macs and so did Reagan. Does that mean McDonald's, you know, gets the prize for the collapse of, you know, the Cold War? But I, I have to comment on that. That last speaker, I am absolutely mortified. I am horrified that anybody, especially an elected politician in a Western European country, even in the same sentence, dares to say that, that did I, did I hear this right? That Vladimir Putin could be the next Reagan as the child of someone who was tortured by communist secret police officers, who was given a life sentence at the age of 20, who had to be liberated from a political prison by the revolutions of 1956. To, to posit that a KGB colonel who literally has journalists murdered on their doorsteps, like Anna Politskotskaya, because she writes bad articles about him, a man who has no qualms about ripping Crimea, about South Ossetia, about Moldova, about being a one-party state 
who's in bed with the oligarchs until they do something wrong like Khodorkovsky and then they get a 20-year uh, prison sentence. It, I, th- this is why I get up every morning. It, it's to It's to stop the insanity of people who think that a communist KGB colonel who said repeatedly that the greatest tragedy of the 20th century is the loss of the Soviet Union, that somehow this person has become a champion for the West, is a white knight savior for Christianity when he spent his career persecuting Christians. I just would like to, on the record, give a sanity check that this is absolutely outrageous that we fought 40 years against people like Vladimir Putin and now anybody on the left and the right sees them as a hero it boggles my mind Cherry would you like to respond to this Cherry you're muted yeah I'd like to uh, hear a response yeah Yeah. no go ahead I can wait. No, no, all good, all good. So Sebastian was responding no, no, to you. your comment, um, which I, 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 I missed. I missed the comment. I was helping one of the panelists come up on stage. Um, and I think Sebastian was referring to the comment uh, comparing Putin to Reagan. Yes. Yeah. So um, there, the, uh, as in all analogies, there are things that are the same and there are things that are different. And I think uh, none of us would would... would say that any world leader has clean hands uh, although I disagree with many of the points made by the previous speaker about Vladimir Putin I do not think that he is a communist I do not think he has ever been a communist I think communism is uh, very different from Marxism even and I think that the West is currently taken by Marxist philosophy and I think globalism and I think everything we see at, at World Economic Forum is Marxism in practice. And I think that Putin, through his unique personality and experience um, through his life, um, has been immunized. He's immune to Marxism. And that's what makes him such an extraordinary individual. Um, You know, obviously what happens in Ukraine from both sides, the NATO... uh, and and Russia, there are several their lives being uh, destroyed, and, that, and all of that is horrible. But the the the, the geo strategic importance of what's going on there, I think, is what we should be talking about. And I'm just wondering if it's not Putin, according to all of those participating in discussion, is there anyone else at the world stage who opposes? globalism, who opposes transgenderism, who opposes multiculturalism, who opposes transnationalism, who opposes CBDCism, who opposes mRNA injections, who is actually defending traditional European civilization? If it's not Putin, who would it be? I'm very interested. And I'm not, I'm not, just to add, sorry, Mario, but just the final point, I'm not so very interested in all these sentimentalist points like, okay, Napoleon. What do you think about Napoleon? Well, he killed like 2,500 people at, a, at this and, or, or that, that battlefield. I, I don't think that's a, an adult way to talk about world history. I, I, I think we should skip the sentimentalism. And but how's like that, how, 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 but Thierry, how is Yeah, so Thierry, like if someone stands for, for a certain ideology that you believe in, 
but yet kills hundreds of thousands of people. Um, I wouldn't discount the death of hundreds of thousands of people. I would actually consider it more important, in my opinion, to any ideologies they have. Then we can, we, well, then we can easily discard any U.S. president in the history of the um, artificial nation called United States. Because every single president in the history of the United States has killed hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians. So let's just make this an equal equation. Sebastian. If, if we're going to talk seriously about civilian casualties, then anyone on the side of the United States should shut up. Period. Sebastian, I think you'd, you'd uh, have a lot to say on this. Sebastian, your mic is muted, bottom left corner. Yeah, sorry. Right. So, so I, 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 I don't want to, you know, I feel like getting out of this Twitter space because these are the arguments. What, what you just heard was a classic Politburo desinformatia maskirovka. This is the moral equivalency argument that American presidents killed innocent people. Therefore, there is no morally good system and therefore uh, Vladimir Putin because he hates gay people is a champion of the West. Uh, I don't know who this politician is but I will be digging deeply into him and I will be doing my show on Monday on who he is as a perfect example of, of why the West will be destroyed from the inside if we don't get a grip on, on individuals who know nothing about Western civilization. To say American presidents shut up because American presidents killed hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, show me that policy where we actually decided to have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, killed. I mean, where we actually said it is part of our government policy. It's not a mistake. It's not something we regret. It's not something we have investigations over like the My Lai massacre. No, we build gulags. We hang people high. We disappear them. We paint them out of photographs like Trotsky because they are on the person. The idea that a KGB colonel isn't a communist. You are either working for the Kremlin or you're stupid. You cannot be a member of the KGB working in East Germany unless you are a member of a party. The fact that you don't know that boggles the mind that you are on a spaces with thousands of people and you think you can get away with the lie that a KGB colonel serving in the Cold War in East Germany isn't a communist, but he's immune to Marxism. I mean, you have to be smoking Hunter Biden's crack pipe to believe anybody should actually take you seriously when you say KGB colonel who said, Again, on the record multiple times, the greatest geopolitical tragedy of the 20th century was the loss of the Soviet Union isn't a communist, but is somehow magically immunized against Marxism. I, I am tapped out, Mario, before my blood pressure blows my carotid artery. I'm off this face so, because whoever this person is, this is absolutely horrific. So, Jim, I'll let you. Yeah, I'll let you go back to Ezra. You've got a good question for Ezra, Jim. To yeah, bring it I back wanna, to West. I want to bring this. Let's bring this back a little bit more on topic because I mean, I think yeah, it's the, I'm with Sebastian on this. Like, 
Putin is is a nightmare. But but there's something well, bigger. Whatever. Yeah. Can we just go back to Ezra? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to. But there's there's just a big back to Putin uh, again. problem here. That... Sure. Well, you know what? I I'll, I'll, I can't, I didn't hear Jim's oh, question, can, but, but there is one point me? I'd like to make, and I'm, I'm listen. I'm not here to say. Yeah, just, so Jim. In... Jim's got a question for you. Yeah, can you hear yeah, Jim? I'm not sure if it's glitching for you. Can yeah, you hear Jim, Ezra? Can oh, you hear me okay, Ezra? I didn't hear him. Oh, Let okay. me listen very carefully. Go okay, ahead, yeah, Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's, here's the point I want to make. So back to the World Economic Forum and, and what's going on here. Listen, the point was made earlier that – you. Know, I'm sorry. For yeah, some yeah, reason, so I it's can't okay, hear Ezra. Jim. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, I guess it's bugged yeah, out, yeah, yeah. So, so what's – Ezra, Jim's going to ask a question. You can't hear him. It, this glitch happens. I'll, I'll re- repeat it for you, Ezra. You can hear me. Go ahead, Jim. Ask it, and I'll repeat it for okay, Ezra. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so, so, so very quickly. So we've had some people talk about, hey, listen, at the World Economic Forum, there's – there are some good things that go on in terms of uh, this or that people meeting, people getting opportunities where – okay, that may be. That may be. But this is the real problem with the World Economic Forum. This is why what Ezra did is fantastic. We have a problem with a group of people who believe that they have a place and a role to play in telling people around the world how they need to live their lives. That group is there substantively. That's the problem with World Economic Forum, whatever happens on the ground. And this is why I think what Ezra is saying. So my question to Ezra is, I mean, isn't that really the case? Isn't that why what he's doing in journalism over there is so important? Uh, maybe, Nick, you want to repeat the question for Ezra? Nick? Ian? Nick? Yeah. I oh, Ian, go ahead. Uh, so- yeah, so Jim was basically asking, uh, well, what was he asking? Oh, is, is Ezra here? Okay, so, oh, Nick, Nick, Nick. Uh, yeah, you go ahead, man. Guys, someone repeat Jim's question to, to Ezra? Nick? It was very long and I can't remember it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, so, so sure. go ahead, Jim. Repeat the question one sentence so I can repeat it for yeah. Ezra. The, the, the problem with World Economic Forum is the people at the top, not the people at the bottom that are attending. Yeah. They're the okay. ones who are just. Oh, trying okay, to okay. So the, the problem with the people at the uh, the problem with World Economic Forum is the people at the top, not the people at the bottom. Uh, so, I mean, what is your, uh, what would you say about that, Ezra? Well, listen. The, the World Economic Forum is basically owned by Klaus Schwab. It's it really is a private club, and and that's not going to change. But, 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 Ezra, what do you mean? Sorry, what, of, just first thing you said, owned by by Schwab. What do you mean by owned? Do you mean like he has a lot of influence, or he decides what the narrative is? Because I see people disagreeing in the World Economic Forum as well. Not everyone's on the same page. Right, but um, the 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 boss, the founder, the forty year captain of the ship. You can't vote them out. Now, that's okay. There's lots of talk shops. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with interesting, powerful, rich people getting together to meet other interesting, powerful, rich people. There's nothing wrong with it. The problem is when I'll use Larry Fink of BlackRock as an example. I mean, he's a brilliant asset manager, $10 trillion in holdings. He's got a lot of interesting things to say. But when he decides to move from being a money manager to being a legislator, um, without bothering to go through a legislature, and when all the other oligarchs along with him uh, come up with basically a raft of political policies, basically a party platform. There's the Klaus Schwab party, and it has opinions on everything from digital ID to lockdowns and vaccines and and globalism. They have the concept called global citizenship, which is to replace national citizenship. When you have all these rich, powerful, interesting people moving from sharing ideas to a desire to actually 
well, legislate might be the wrong word, but to change to change the world as political actors without any of the scrutiny, skepticism, opposition, or checks and balances. That's the problem. And it's it, it, Klaus Schwab is like the leader of a political party, but uh, a Politburo. And sure, there's differences of opinion amongst other members of the Politburo, but you're not getting rid of President for Life, uh, you know, Schwab. And... And if you look at the key men at the World Economic Forum, they've been around. They're in their 70s and 80s. They will not be replaced. It's like a Kremlinology. And that's the problem with it. There's no problem with rich, powerful people meeting in with private jets. The problem is when they decide to have a, I hate to use the word shadow government, but, <clears throat> but I mean, Klaus Schwab himself boasts of about penetrating the cabinets of the world. And that is not done democratically. Okay, so that, I, I agree. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, hold on. Okay, go ahead, Keith. Go ahead. To, to build on what Ezra's saying, and, and Ezra, the journalism you did in, in Davos this week was, was excellent. It, w- it wouldn't matter if it was just, you know, the CEO of Microsoft meeting with world leaders and chatting about product plans and, and what have you. The problem is when there's this black box organization uh, that is, you know, effectively owned and operated by Klaus Schwab and a few other key people that are then influencing and using their influence with politicians who, who want to cozy up to them and in the limelight in Davos to influence government policy, whether it's Canadian government policy, whether it's uh, UK government policy. I don't know if you have guys have been following the, the Agile Nations Charter at all. I, I can detail that a little bit if you haven't. But effectively, you know, the, these governments, uh, Canada, the UAE, the UK, and, and a few others, have signed this document that nobody knew about uh, until it until it was exposed two years after the fact that they would be ceding health and environmental authority to the World Economic Forum, so that that World Economic Forum priorities would be able to influence our domestic policy. And and to build on what Ezra was saying, it's not it, it's 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 pushing that idea of post-nationalism that Justin Trudeau loves so much that we are all global citizens. And if we're global citizens, there needs to be a global government. So that's where the World Economic Forum steps in. And as they're allowed to continue doing things like this, they become less accountable. Uh, citizens in, in, in different countries have less authority and autonomy over their own lives. And people in powerful positions where you don't really, you know, the average person doesn't really know who Klaus Schwab is or what authority he has or why he has it. Uh, they get more and more powerful while the every everyday person loses their own authority and sovereignty. Okay, so I'm going to do this. Um, I want to go to Sam next. So I'm unmute, so perfect, because Sam, I'll let you balance it out as well. But I'll, I'll, I'll do some of that for you, Sam. Um, you know, Ezra, you were there in Davos. Wahid, you were there in Davos. So for anyone listening, it's Faith Tribe. You were there in Davos, um, and I was there too. Uh, I want to give my thoughts on, on you know, listening to both sides of the argument and having read a lot about it. My thoughts for the audience of what my stance is. I think it's... There's positives in policymakers meeting together because shit gets done. I've given an example of um, the unity, the German unity, um, I've guess North and South Korea, and there's multiple, Mandela, there's multiple others. So shit does get done. But on the other side, as Ezra mentioned, is that it, it just gives a lot of influence for a small number of people and is where corruption comes in and uh, you know centralization power is something we've been very critical on, most of us, on this space. Uh, before going, to, I want to go to Sam to kind of get his thoughts on this, and then I want to go to Ezra, um, Faith Tribe, and myself to tell the audience about how. You know, a lot of people are asking, like, what is Davos like? How's the experience? How's the security? 
you know, how does it feel to walk around, be able to meet some of the most influential people just walking past you or sitting in a cafe? It's, I can see already people commenting that this is the, you know, they're pretty interested to know more about this. So after Sam comments, uh, I'll give the mic to Ezra to go first and then we'll get, um, Wahid Faith Tribe to go second and then I'll go third about, um, you know, what it was like being in Davos. Yeah, work Aaron in it, or Alan in it. Thank- Thanks, man. Um, so, I mean, there's a couple of things I want to just briefly address. Um, I mean, one thing I'll just say in a sentence and other people can talk about it is, look, if if we're trying to address the world's biggest problems, I think we have to involve the world's biggest companies and, and the policymakers. So I, I think that's the, the you know, the biggest un- leaders. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I just want to add that in there. You know, I mean, one thing I yeah, disagree I, with I, Seban, I, like I, when, you know, when, when Thierry uh, mentioned that, you know, at a very minimum, right, you should involve someone like Vladimir Putin, who is the leader of perhaps the uh, the, the country that has a second. But Putin, army Putin, in Putin world, didn't right? get an invite. He can't join. No, he, he no, of course not. No, he yeah. didn't get an invite. Right, he has been disinvited. Okay, from this is okay. So, 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 Ian, well, I'll add. I, I want to agree with you there, and I'll go, Sam. I know you were speaking, so I'll go back to you so you can continue your point. But I want to agree with that point that Ian made. Is that so? Someone was criticized. Someone influential was just criticized. That's why I wasn't focusing at the beginning of the space. They were criticizing me about the space. They're like Mario is very biased um, in the last few spaces. They were very biased one way over the other. I'm like, look, I'm not going to disagree. Great. So maybe you can come on or recommend someone. Instead, they just kept attacking, attacking, attacking. They blocked me. I'm like, guys, I was just very, uh, you know, friendly. I want to understand. So. Everyone's welcome to this space. And I think anyone that runs a space or runs an event that doesn't allow both sides of every argument to come, especially when it comes to a war like the Ukraine war, um, no matter what your stance is on the war, no matter what your stance is on Putin, it just makes no logical sense not to give him a seat on the table when he has, he's, he's the president of, of, um, uh, of one of the top three superpowers, military superpowers in our that's world. Right. So, yeah, it doesn't make any right. logical sense right. if you actually want to get shit done. Um, that's my point, but I'll go to Sam. Even the same with Maduro. It's the same with any leader who is, uh, you know, I would say ostracized by the West. I mean, you may not like them, you may not like their policies, but you cannot deny their influence. This idea that, you know, we only allow people that we like is, is, is the issue that much of the world despises about the WEF. So anyone who has opinions, whether they're conservatives or maybe they uh, they have, you know, uh, they, they do something geopolitical that you don't like, uh, so you ostracize them because, for instance, Maduro leads a communist, well, not a communist, but a socialist government in Venezuela, and think whatever you will of, of, of his politics, but he is a very influential, very powerful man, especially in South America, where he has tremendous influence over these people. I don't agree with his politics at all, but I think that having him in this space to talk about his ideas to the world and how the WS vision or whatever it is they decide there uh, could you know incorporate every single country. I think that's important. And this, like I said again, the issue is that you have a single idea, right? The idea of a globalist, unipolar world led by perhaps the United States of America. A lot of people have problems with this. Even people in the West have problems with this. Obviously, uh, Thierry, who is who is in, in Netherlands, has an issue with this because it gets rid of uh, national sovereignty. So. Everybody needs to have a voice in this. If they really truly want to be representative of the world and, and have all of the world's interests in mind, then they need to listen to these voices, no matter how much they dislike a person's politics or, or anything like that. Uh, Sam, go ahead. Guys, hold on. Can Sam, can you, can you finish your point, Sam? Yeah, go ahead. No, look, I mean, look, I, I, agree with, I agree with Ian. I think any world leader should, should have the option to attend and discuss, uh, you know, and, and it's, a, it's obviously going to be a really difficult thing for some people to accept, but that's the only way you, you resolve things. Um, I mean, what, what I want to quickly talk about, this, there's obviously been a lot of, look, we're, we're in an age where everybody 
wants to dig deep into everything. I, and I hate to use this this expression conspiracy theory, but Nick has explained to us it's not necessarily a negative thing. But look, there's, there's something that, that I'm noticing. For example, look, listen, when the, the World Economic Forum um, released a video in 2016 um, about a, which an individual politician had, had created about their predictions for 2030, they were not saying, as an example, that, that they didn't want private ownership. That was not a mandate or a position of the World Economic Forum. It was the opinion of an individual politician who came out afterwards and said, no, no, this was my opinion. It was shared along with thousands of other opinions, and it was meant to trigger a debate. Now, for the last six years, everybody against the World Economic Forum have been misquoting that and using it to say the World Economic Forum's agenda is for you to own nothing by 2030. Yeah, but this they, the they promote it, we Sam. Live. Sam, they promote they it. They didn't promote it, it. They, sh- it. they shared something that was meant to trigger debate. What about the fact about that the Klaus Schwartz's book, book, The Great Reset, weighs in on this, and it's basically based on those policies. Now, he works in a much better way, I would argue, right? But the underlying concepts that were within that video are the same, right? It's about turning everything into a subsidy-based... It's dishonest to say that that is... No, 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 no. Let me me finish. For for you to come out and say, if you were to, or anybody, to come out and say that the World Economic Forum don't want you to own anything is dishonest. How is it dishonest when they want you to rent everything? Because it was not their policy. It was shared by an individual, and it was intended to be a commentary on what technology... Klaus Schwab and the rest of them talk about changing the uh, the idea of ownership in general, where you will not necessarily own things, but rent things, and everything will be cheaper and available, and, you know, who yeah, cares about... It's not true. It's a dishonest way of, of, of saying that this is their policy. There's a shared economy, Airbnb, Uber, all that yeah, I don't like from it. that discussion. I That's hate where it. it emanated. It's oh. disgusting. I don't yeah, think but, people but... should be sharing things. I'm not a communist. I'm not a Marxist. I believe people should be able but to own things. But these are big things. corporations. These are individuals who well, own an apartment well, in Valencia and, and they let people rent it. Well, uh, you know, this is this is it's facilitated by the corporations, Sam. It's facilitated by the corporations. Yeah, go ahead, Aaron. Go ahead. A corporation that started off tiny. So is your iPhone, Ian. Everything you own is facilitated. Here's what's really important about this discussion, okay? So they can bring up these ideas. They can talk about we'd like to do this or that thing. You can take this approach, take that approach, try to get to this end goal, maybe go back from that thing. That Listen, if you're running a normal business, try all that stuff. See if it works. Do it all day long. I think Uber and Airbnb and, you know, sharing economy and all this stuff, great. If it's done on a voluntary basis, do it. The problem I have here, and this is why Ezra's work this last week was so critical in my mind, is the fact that we have a group of people at the top of the World Economic Forum represented by by Albert Brula right there blowing off Ezra and his people because he just saw he's seen many, many people, maybe millions affected by his uh, problematic vaccine that people are concerned about, not willing to answer any questions. He doesn't want transparency. He wants Klaus Schwab to cover for him. And then a guy like Ezra and Rebel News come in here and say, hey, why don't you answer a few questions? No, we don't want to do that. They just go to all the softball stuff. And Klaus Schwab is constantly called in the media everywhere. I look it up all over the place. He's constantly called the most powerful man in the world. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that that's absolutely true, but that's what he's called. But why is that? Because he connects with all these people that run away from guys like Ezra. They should be absolutely answering those questions. If Albert Burla 
cared about the people that his vaccine was supposed to help, then he would answer those questions. He would take it on the chin if he had to, because his number one goal was, we want people to be healthy, instead of his number one goal is, I want to take tens of billions of dollars from governments around the world so I can push a vaccine that I'm not even responsible for. That's what I want to hear Ezra talk about, because I think that's what's happening when it relates to the World Economic Forum. Right. So I, I want to say one thing on that. Uh, Albert Bourla is the CEO of Pfizer. He does not head up the World Economic Forum. Uh, but I, I knew what Jim meant. I just wanted the audience to say that. Jim has some great points. And Ezra, you actually, uh, you were there on the ground and you were interviewing these people. You did follow. That was one of the, the catalysts to you bringing in 10 million views on this. And I believe you were also censored by what Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of like your take on all of this. Sure. Well, we knew better than to, um, we knew better than to put this on YouTube because I know their community guidelines pretty closely. And if you are as our questions were questions, they weren't statements, but, um, YouTube would absolutely have said that was against their community guidelines, um, in regards to COVID-19. Because we were talking about vaccine efficacy, we were talking about transmissibility. Um, e even if you just disagree with your local public health officials, that's grounds for a strike. So we didn't even upload the video to YouTube. We didn't even try. But others who did reported that they got a strike. So the millions and millions of views we got didn't even go on the world's second largest search engine called YouTube. And that's why I'm so grateful for Twitter, because frankly, I don't know if in the pre-Elon Musk days, our video would have lived on Twitter. And um, you know, we did put the Greta Thunberg one up on YouTube because she's not as protected as the vaccine companies are. But let me just give a little bit of the slice of life of what of little uh, splashes of color of what it's like to be there. But the most important thing you have to know is that I was not an invited guest. I did not have accreditation. I was not allowed in the green zone, as I'm calling it. So I was I, I was allowed. Think of it as a, a medieval castle with a drawbridge. There is still quite a lot of townsfolk and peasants living outside the moat. And every once in a while, a drawbridge comes down, and a fancy knight gallops across it and mingles amongst the peasants, maybe goes to the market or to a restaurant. So I was not allowed in the drawbridge. So I was waiting by the drawbridge for people to come out. Albert Bourla, Greta Thunberg, um, John Kerry, Tony Blair. Uh, for example, uh, Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, came out of the drawbridge, and I scrummed him a little bit. And he wouldn't really answer any questions either, which I thought was odd for a Republican from Georgia. But the main thing I said is, who did you meet with? Because this is an important point. Everyone on this call is a bit of a public intellectual. You're an ideas person, I can tell. And there is that aspect to the World Economic Forum. But make no mistake about it. It is about money. It is about getting a rate of return. And it's about access. You do not get in. You don't get a speaking gig. You don't get it. I mean, depend, there are some exceptions, but you must pay to play hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. It's why the regime media who have their names plastered everywhere do not do any critical reporting because they're insiders. So everyone here is thinking about ideas and shaping the world and ideology. Do you think Larry Fink's not doing deals all over the place? Um, so, and, and these meetings, unlike you have a meeting in Congress, you have a meeting in Canadian Parliament, you've got to register with a lobbying uh, ethics commissioner. Not so 
at Davos, you have secret meetings everywhere, cutting deals, making agreements beyond the gaze of the public. Well, and so you know, Ezra, right. Ezra, one of the things that really bothers me about this, too, is the fact that, again, deals and meetings, like like in, in private, when they affect other people, and it's just corporations, is problematic as it goes, especially when, you know, we just did a vaccine. But then here there are the private deals and meetings that connect with governments that allow people to get special rights and privileges. I mean, you know, you go back to the troubled asset relief program in the last financial crisis, and you had big banks being bailed out while small banks were being closed all over the United States. That's the big players got their own deal, and the little guys didn't get their deal and it's the that's government exactly connection right. to this that's a real problem in my mind. That's exactly right. And that's the thing, because you have uh, politicians, you have heads of state. There was even some royalty there. And at the same table you have, I'm going to use Larry Fink as the example, because he's a good example. So Larry Fink wasn't, he's not royalty. He's not the prime minister of any place, but he is on par with a prime minister or a president. Now, how did that happen? Well, because he puts a lot of money into it. And so what you're having is you're elevating people in the corporate sector who simply buy their way in. And and they're they're on par with, for example, in Canada, our deputy prime minister, Christian Freeland, is on the board of trustees. Well, which is it? Are you loyal to your oath to, to Canada or are you loyal to the purposes and objectives of the World Economic Forum? you got to pick a lane. Super quick point on Vladimir Putin. One of the things outside the drawbridge – are companies or even countries trying to promote themselves. So, for example, there's a pavilion for the Saudis, for United Arab Emirates, for Poland, for Malaysia, for India, and there was one for Ukraine. And I went in there, and their focus was war crimes charges against Putin and reparations after the war. They had a major focus on that, and they actually had a panel of lawyers talking about using international law to prosecute Putin and others for war crimes, and then to seize assets around the world to repay Ukraine. Now, those are rather radical legal ideas that may step on sovereign immunity. And as is mentioned here before, I don't know if that's going to happen um, voluntarily. I don't know if Russia will ever submit like that a nuclear power. I don't know. But I asked the people in the Ukraine pavilion, I said, is, is there a Russian side to the story here? Is there anyone from Russia as a counterpoint, is there any debate or anything like that? And I was told by several people at the Ukraine pavilion that Russia, Russian interests, Russian government, Russian representatives are banned from the World Economic Forum. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's what they all told me, and I saw no evidence of them. I, and I'm not saying they should necessarily be there, but they were banned. I, other dictators like Xi Jinping have actually given the keynote address. So I guess it depends which oligarchs, which dictators, which tyrants, which genociders Klaus Schwab wants to do business with and which others Klaus Schwab doesn't want to do business with. And I, and I don't know if that's in sync. I don't know if that's in sync with our own countries. Uh, yeah, I do want to, I, I, I do want to add one point there, Ezra, because I was there in Davos last year as well. And I know, Alan, I'm going to give you the mic soon. I know you've had your hand up for a while, but uh, they did have the, 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 the a room, a whole room or house about the Ukraine war. I didn't know that Russia was banned, and I didn't know this about the World Economic Forum that um, 
there are such restrictions on who has a seat on the table, which I think is wrong. And that's like probably one thing that Schwab can learn from this space is that everyone should have a seat on the table, including people you strongly disagree with. And we saw the, the discussion earlier between Thierry and Sebastian. I do want to go to, to Wahid and, and I'll probably touch on it as well. Um, and then maybe Ezra, you can add on to it about the experience in Davos. So anyone that arrives there, what Actually, it's like. So we should, go, we should get sure. to go to Ellen because apparently, you know, he he can talk into, uh, about how uh, the WEF and its policies are affecting Brazil. Uh, I'm very keen to hear that one. Yeah, so I, I will I will go to that one next. So I, I put this on the agenda to go to that point next, and then go to Piotr. Uh, but I do see a lot of people. So anyone in the audience, if you want to, if you have specific questions or, or anything you want to know about, bottom right corner in the comment section, that purple circle, that's where you can tell us, and we're checking it, and that's what we decide where to discuss. So if you don't mind, Ian, I'm just going to touch on it briefly, uh, Ezra and uh, and Wahid, Faith Tribe, um, before going to Alan, because I know Alan's been waiting for a while, and I think it gives us good perspective um, uh, on this. So, so just to for the audience asking, um, it's. Very interesting in Davos because you expect such a meeting where policymakers and billionaires come together to be a very comfortable, great place, well taken care of, very convenient because you got a lot of all these powerful people coming in. It's the opposite. It, it, they do it in the midst of winter, so it's freezing. Um, the internet is shit across the board, um, and it, it, you know. Everything closes early. There's no delivery or Uber Eats in the middle of the night. So it's not as convenient as you'd expect. And I spoke to a few people and they said, and Ezra can add on to this and Wahid, um, they said that this is relatively normal because this is uh, intentional because they want to, um, you know, they want, they want to kind of make people earn the, the results of Davos. So that, they don't want to make it easy for anyone. They want to kind of bring them back to reality that, hey, you know, you shouldn't be comfortable here. Um, well, at least for most people, because the others will just come on a helicopter and maybe maybe they have a different experience to what we did. Um, but the, the cool thing about Davos, from my end, um, and I'll go to you, Wahid, next, is that the cool thing is what when you're walking on the street or in a cafe, you literally could bump into anyone. And Ezra, you saw this obviously with the with the interviews that you did. All the people you see in the news are all in one place, so there's nothing like it in terms of concentration of power. So if you're there for business, for example, um, it's a great place to be. It's, if you're there to Get things done. It's a great place to be, um, and I'm not talking about the the you know I'm talking for for the average entrepreneur or investor, um, but also journalist. It's a great place if you get access, um, as as or, or even if you don't get access, do what Ezra did, um, and Rebel News is just get your way in there, and you'll just get so much done in such a short period of time. So that's my experience. Security is pretty high, but it's a very it's a very normal place, like a small town in the middle of the snow. Um, and you see all these powerful people walking around on the street or sitting in a cafe like your average Joe. So it's a very, very interesting experience. Uh, well, hey, before we go to Ezra, anything to add on to it? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, accommodations are extremely difficult, obviously very expensive, not comfortable uh, by any other standards that, that people are normal uh, used to. Uh, I would say the last Davos in May was spectacular because I thought that the weather was much better. I, I don't, for the life of me, understand why they always do it in, in, in you know, in during a winter storm. But anyways, it is what it is. But um, it, it's not the most comfortable place. It's a, it's a village that has not, in my view, uh, done enough to scale. It's actually the anti-scale, right? It's just, it's brutal. And um, it's probably the, the, the most negative part for me of Davos. Uh, in terms of the overall experience, I have never gone there and not gotten great results. Uh, I think you'd say the same thing, Mario. 
you and I spent a lot of time together, met a few people uh, that could, uh, you know, we can be game changing for them. And they for anyone, for anyone, for, for anyone listening, just before people make assumptions, we're there purely for business. So that, that was not all about all about policymakers making decisions. There's a lot of investor meetings, um, strategic partnerships. So because it's one, you know, one place where everyone comes to it. You know, we're in crypto. So for crypto, all the big investors, the big exchange, the big players come to one place. So when I tweeted that I'm in Davos, a lot of people make, made the wrong assumption. I, I'm not there as part of all the other things you see on the news. I'm there yeah, for purely business reasons. Bill Gates to discuss how to... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, bucks, I'm right? not, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't meet Mr. Schwab. <laughs> so <laughs> and we didn't discuss COVID. Uh, but yeah, so anything uh, else to add, Wahid, before we go to Ezra on this? Um, no, I, and then the last thing I would say, obviously, we, you asked about the experience. I don't think it's as cool as people think in terms of lifestyle. No, it's, and not as boring as hell. And security, I got stopped no, by security, by the way. My car got stopped. What do you mean not boring? It's just you meeting people, having coffees, freezing your ass off, and then leaving. You, okay, but and you then crowded. hate that, Mario. You hate that in particular. But, I, but a lot of people uh, genuinely like that, as you said, once a year, you can pretty much meet anyone you want. And um, and there is a there is an attitude in Davos which I like that if you DM someone for a meeting or whatever it's not taboo so people you know so it's just a once in a time where um, you 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 can get access to a lot of different ideas a lot of people um, I would uh, the only other thing I want to add up is that I found there to be a very big anti clash on ESG and all those things. So it's not monolithic. I cannot emphasize A lot of people at Davos, at the World Economic Forum, are criticizing the World Economic Forum. So this is a very interesting point. When I was walking on the street, people would come up to me and, you know, when they're interviewing me stuff, that would tell me, like, what's your take on the, recent, on the criticism and, 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 and X, Y, Z, I'm not going to start naming them now, um, related to, to ABC. I'm not going to name people either. So there's one, people one last here. statement, Mario, I want to make just to, to lift everyone's mood a little bit. So maybe I'm a little bit older than most people here. Um, I remember the 70s and 80s, okay? I, I got to tell you, folks like Rebel and all the alternative media and the scrutiny and the and spaces, we, we could have, you know, I mean, what it was like 30, 40 years ago in terms of echo chamber, monolithic narrative, etc., so much worse than today, guys. So lift your spirits up. It's really not that bad. The fact everyone is under scrutiny. Now, the Klauses of the world had 10 times more power 20, 30 years ago than they do now. Okay, I cannot emphasize this enough. You know, the guys at Pfizer, all these people are entrenched now um, uh, uh, in fear. So it's not what you guys think. We have such openness now of narrative as opposed to where we used to be. But but how do we say that when everything when uh, a lot of these these theories that had come out in the beginning that ended up being proven true that were censored by all of these social media platforms from from governments around the world that were putting out these narratives that they knew were lies. Uh, how how is that something that that uh, a point that you can defend? I'd say, I'd say the media. I'm I think the, he, like the media the media's improved. He's, yeah, but the social media's gone make made it worse. And I'm also saying that the fact that all these lies are now out in the open. You know what? You, you know what vaccines were like in the 70s and 80s? There was no alternative narrative. At least now we got guys like yourself, you know, chasing Pfizer around and, and, and holding them to account. That did not exist before. All I'm trying to say is that, you know, the, the whole idea of canceling Davos is sort of hypocritical because it's 
because it, it you know it goes against the fact that okay let's bring people together let them network let them do all this and frankly the debate and criticism there was 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 outstanding okay and and not something you saw in the 70s and 80s okay mario i want to ask you a mario? question right before mario, before i, I uh, you know go to other yeah, people and, and i see aaron aaron i'll give you the mic right after yeah. as well see so so to my question well. to you right is your feelings since you were at davos last year has anything changed, you know, with the mood, with the way people talk about ESG? I mean, last year, everybody was bullish on it. This year, what was it, what was it like? Was it any everyone, everyone, is, everyone is questioning everything. everything. Exactly. There's no, there's no one narrative. Everything. You then, know what yeah. used to say? Don't trust the media. Don't, don't trust this. I, oh, my God. Like, like the most establishment figures know now not to trust what they hear. Okay, because it's just I think people have seen the track record over the last few years and and and, and have seen, you know, um, uh, how, how much misinformation was coming from the actual establishment, let alone alternative media. Right. So that's so Exxon Mobil came out with their data, you know, it was leaked about three days ago and they're one of the biggest funders of the WEF. So how can we expect that companies that fund and literally want to be at the WF because it's such a popular and prestigious place to be seen, funding it, and then they're the ones that are suppressing the actual information about climate about 50 years ago. Kind of a conflict of interest, no? Mario, can I, can I comment? Sorry to Yeah, jump in, Eric. Yeah, uh, sorry, I was glitching out earlier, but I have a layover. I'm going to get on another flight, so I just wanted to chime in. I'm going to try to just stick to the facts on my comment here because I think – a question in the background of a lot of this commentary is what exactly is the WEF? What kind of organization is it? How is it structured? Who makes decisions? And then how does it play out in Davos? Or why does it play out in Davos the way it does? So strictly speaking, the WEF is a trade organization. It's a, this by their own self-description, by their legal structure and so forth. That's what they are. They're a trade organization representing the 1,000 wealthiest corporations in the world, corporations whose market capitalization exceeds the gross national product of most countries in the world, the 10 wealthiest individuals on planet Earth have more wealth uh, co collectively than the 85 poorest countries in the world. So just pause and think about that statistic to wrap your head around uh, the, the, the stakeholders at the WF, the people who pay the dues, the people who make the organization happen, as a trade organization, their ultimate agenda, if you peel away all the, the theatrics and the, and the whatever else, their ultimate agenda is whatever will serve the interest of those thousand member companies, period. And the interest of corporations exactly. is incre increasing their market share increasing their revenues and increasing their power. That is what the interest of the WEF is. So when you ask a question like, well, why wasn't Vladimir Putin invited? The answer has to do with somehow, in some way, it didn't align with the interests of those thousand corporations for whatever reason. If you ask the question, well, what is the ideology? Are, are they are they pro this or are they anti that? The answer to that question is, well, it, the ideology is going to align with the interests of those corporations. So climate change, for example, the WEF is only going to embrace climate change and foreground Greta and, and those types of people if those thousand member 
uh, corporations believe that they can utilize the climate agenda. Um, and this is not to say they have, they have nefarious motives. It's just, does that agenda align with our interests? Does it advance our interests? And so I think once you peel back all the layers, um, and you can you can very clearly see why do many of the world leaders want to go to Davos? Well, well by the way, just peel back just to, meet to peel with back leaders. a little further, Aaron. I mean, consider this: like even down deeper is the fact that there's there's government interaction here. There are world leaders in governments that are connected to to all of this. And and so That's it's right. one thing for corporations to try to work out deals. Listen, I, I'm I believe in free markets. I believe that capitalism has been a good thing for society. I don't hate corporations. I think that they should do what they need to do. The, I think the thing that bothers people the most is the way that these deals getting made have a government connection to them. So when you look at the favoritism that certain large corporations that even guys like Larry Fink, who invests in hundreds of the world's top corporations, have to government. This is a real problem in my mind. Yeah, Damn. let me just comment on that, Jim, uh, uh, real quick. Because yeah, just he, quickly, Aaron, and now I want to jump into Ezra and Alan right after, if you don't mind. Yeah, just very quickly. The, the, the direction that we've seen unfold, whether intentionally or unintentionally, whatever, at the World Economic Forum is toward the melding of state and corporate power. Now, why is that? The largest source of capital that many of these corporations want access to is taxpayer dollars in the wealthiest countries, meaning, meaning governments, okay? And likewise, for governments who, who want to expand power and control uh, over populations, the largest um, external source of power outside of direct government power is corporate power operating at that level. And and, and keep keep going, Aaron, but but a quick interjection here. Aaron, Aaron, quick interjection. Keep going, but I just wanted to throw this in here. A lot of people, when we think of numbers like GDP, forget that a component of gross domestic product is government spending. Which I just say that to emphasize exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And I yeah, want to jump so in, Aaron, I, if you don't mind. I, I, I want to quickly yeah. jump into Ezra, if you don't mind, Aaron. Because, um, Ezra, I, I want to kind of wrap up the, the uh, discussion about the experience on the ground in Davos before we move on to the next points in the agenda. Um, you know, me and Wahid have, have spoken about our experience. What was yours like? Because you were more, a lot more active in, in questioning the people that should be questioned, asking the, the questions that people had in their mind. Sure. Well, uh, it's a great point how uh, far away Davos is to anybody. Uh, you have to fly to Zurich, and then it's about a two-hour drive. A lot of private jets land at a nearby uh, private jet airstrip. Z- you're talking uh, about Zurich, the one in Zurich? Uh, Zurich is the uh, main commercial airport. They do take private jets there, too. But I went to an, a private jet airstrip called Alterheim. And the private jets were landing every 10 minutes. It was unbelievable. In fact, there was so many paparazzi there. They had an official paparazzi area where they, where just guys with telephoto lenses would snap pictures of these, you know, VVIPs getting off the jet and then getting in the helicopter because God forbid they drive the last, you know, 45 minutes to, to Davos. And then once they landed by helicopter at the helipad in Davos that is just set up just for the World Economic Forum, then they get in a black tinted window 
SUV to take them to their destination. So the fact that Albert Bourla made the mistake of walking on the street, the fact that, um, you, you know, Tony Blair walked on the street, John Kerry walked on the street, they didn't have to do that. I guess they just wanted some fresh air because there's this entire insulated way of moving around. There's, there's endless black tinted window SUVs, the kind of things that, you know, um, I mean, just big. There are some green vehicles there, but none of the VIPs ride them. It's private jet to private helicopter to private SUV. And it's only when they make the mistake of leaving the drawbridge castle that they'll come into contact with ruffians like me. Um, the whole downtown of Davos, the main drag, is turned into, I would call it a Potemkin village. Uh, coffee shops, restaurants, stores are bought out by Google, Meta, whatever, all these companies, BlackRock, that turn them into like a showcase just for a week. So there might be a clothing store that might get paid a ton of money to shut down for a week, move all their stuff out. Carpenters come in and turn it into really like a movie set or a Disneyland area just for the week. Uh, and then when the week is over, they tear it down and go back to normal life. And by the way, in terms of accommodations, the entire town is booked up by the conference. And so, so Ruffians- expensive. Ezra, give them an idea of how expensive it is. Like a room could cost you $10,000 a night, and that's a tiny, tiny room. It really could. We had to stay a whole town over, a half away, half an hour away, and it was still extremely expensive. That's what happens when you take thousands of very high net worth people and dump them in a small town. And I think there's some something deliberate about that. If you want to go to Davos, as I did, and you're not an official person, it is hard, it is long, slow, and expensive. And I think that's by design. This is an exclusive retreat high on Mount Olympus. And how dare the little people come there? Last anecdote. We were one of the few independent journalistic groups there, but there were a few others. There was a Japanese lady named Masako who was an independent journalist, and she was very um, very good at her job, and she managed to scrum um, Klaus Schwab as he was leaving his hotel to go out to dinner. And you can find this on her uh, Twitter page easily or her website. And she went up to Klaus Schwab and said, can I ask you a question? And his handler said, no, we're busy. But Klaus Schwab turned around and said, yes, Um she said, I'm from Japan. He said, oh, who are you with? And she said, I'm with an independent media outlet. He laughed at her and turned her back on him, turned his back on her and walked away. So Klaus Schwab, that's just, that's just how it is when some lowly peasant dares to speak to his royal highness and look him in the eye. Um, he, Klaus Schwab would have spoken with her perhaps had she been with the New York Times or some other regime media that was fully bought into the WEF agenda, when she dared say she's independent, he laughed and walked away from her. And that tells you everything you need to know about the relationship between these masters of the universe and you. And even if you're at Davos, there's always a bigger fish than you. There's lots of little fish. There's some medium fish, but then there are the big whales. And uh, whoever was saying before, I think it was Aaron, that um, this is really run for the benefit of the trillionaires. That is correct. And Klaus Schwab is not interested in talking to any media other than media that will really take down notes of, the, of his narrative and propagate them. How is it possible that Albert Bula 
has done 100 interviews in the last two years, and not a single journalist has asked him an accountability question. How is that even possible? Well, because they're all in on the game. I want to jump into Piotr to balance the discussion and then obviously go to Alan, who's been waiting for a really long time. And also, before going to Piotr, I want to welcome James, James Melville on stage. First time on, on the show. James, such a pleasure to have you. So I'll, I'll, I've got a few questions for you right after Piotr and Alan. But it's a pleasure to have you, man. Um, and Ezra, I, I also want to again, agree with the point that you made. I didn't see that video of, of Klaus. Um, uh, I've heard about it, mocking the independent journalist. But it's yes. Yeah, there are meetings. There are meetings that do happen behind the scenes. It's still like it's the, the probably the, one of the few places where you can uh, find such influential people all in one place, sitting in a cafe. You know, we had the um, uh, the Queen or Princess of Jordan, for example, was sitting in a cafe. Um, you know, I had policymakers walk past and and people. Tr- you know, when you see that, usually those people would, ha- would be would be when when people see them in the public, they'd have a swarm of people around them. In Davos, it's a lot more it's a lot more normalized so that's at least my observation but obviously if you don't imagine it like Ezra kind of balanced it out don't imagine like you go there you're going to see presidents walking past you it's not, it's not that far uh, but um, Piotr I'll let you respond to the points that Ezra made and, and balance out the discussion before going to Alan and um, and of course James yeah thanks Mario uh, really interesting and I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you I'm not going to disagree with them as much as you think. I have a huge array of issues with the WEF. Um, just for context, I think this is also a good time to address one of the biggest things that happens about these kinds of conversations, which is when we talk about globalism or globalization, um, and often WF, World Bank, all these sorts of entities are uh, mentioned. Now, I work in the World Bank, but I don't like the WEF. Or I have problems with the WS. So I think it's always this is a really good illustration how when you label someone a certain term uh, or orientation, that's a little bit simpler of a simplification because it doesn't mean I, they actually have an alignment with everything that's associated with that concept, i.e., globalism. So um, to what has been said um, already, I'll, I'll state the positives first. So the World Economic Forum does produce a lot of research. It does come out with a lot of data, and it does provide some interesting analysis on uh, work-life uh, balance, for example. They've done a lot of work, which I find very useful, about improving uh, you know, four-day work weeks, finding an improvement in the way that we go about responding to mental health, um, climate change, uh, and these sorts of things. However, now I'm going to focus on some of the negatives. So some of the negatives for me, this is about as elite and detached from the average individual as you can get to everything that uh, Ezra has said. I went to the WF, not as, an, not as a part of a congregation, not as anything, as an independent. Uh, I went with some uh, friends, I was working with a certain organization, and we wanted to try and go to see uh, what it was like, see if we could build a network, uh, you know, uh, fundraising, it was part of an NGO. Oh, my Lord, the prices are through the roof. Uh, for, 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 just for mention, a thousand flights land in the beginning of the event. These are apparently individuals who care about climate change and environmental social governments or ESG principles, yet they're coming in private jets and taking private cars. There's no carpooling, there's no coaches, there's no public transport. It's incredibly unsustainable in its principles, and yet we're being preached to about how we need to be more um, uh, sustainable. Some of the biggest funders of this organization are Pfizer, Coca-Cola, Nestle, um, Google, Meta, 
uh, and some of those companies, namely uh, Nestle and um, uh, whichever one I've got already, are some of the biggest pollutants in the world. Coca-Cola, they fund the COP27, 28 events every year in the UN. Some of the biggest pollutants, they don't even have non-plastic alternative packaging. So the World Economic Forum on the surface looks principally quite good. It's about trying to bring together lots of different ideas from countries, cultures, uh, principles or values uh, and put them in a space. But it is very heavily Western. If you are a country that has done bad things, i.e. Russia, you are not allowed to come, which I don't think is great because if you want to be fully representative, you need everybody there. Um, they don't do well with criticism. There was a French journalist from a couple of years ago who actually spoke out against um, some of the principles that the World Economic Forum was talking about. I think it was to do with um, uh, uh, capitalism, uh, and he was not really that well interviewed or given public uh, sort of attention by the media. Um, and then there's the last thing, which really began to get my mind questioning uh, the authenticity of World Economic Forum, which is when they talked about stakeholder capitalism. Now, this, the concept of this is that everybody, firms, businesses, um, uh, state, uh, um, investors, governments, states, civil society, we all have an equal slice of the pie. It's, it, capitalism doesn't work like that. And so stakeholder capitalism, for me and many other people, was simply just a rebranding of the status quo. Uh, and I do think that there is a large array of um, issues that the World Economic Forum has. It, it could be, in principle, a very effective thing. Uh, and I, as I say, I do think it comes out with a lot of knowledge and human capital. But I think that the way it is constructed and done needs to be grossly changed. But it's not going to because it's 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 primarily about uh, to Aaron's point. It's about economic um, growth. It's about raising money. It's about monetarily and uh, trade. So uh, for businesses to businesses and businesses to governments, yes, great. But if you're not a business that's already within that specific community it's, it's hard to break into that into that realm your audio by the way so Piotr, i'm going to re- so just uh, your audio shit is always Piotr. Uh, but i think you've made really really good points um uh, nick i'd, I'd want to jump to alan because i know he's been waiting for a really long time as well to get his perspective on things as well um alan first i appreciate your patience and um and would love your 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 take on on the world economic forum um especially how it uh, from a brazilian perspective Thank you so much, Mario and Nick and everyone here. Uh, first of all, I would like to add that uh, capitalism is not something antagonic to communism, socialism, Marxism, because we cannot compare a economic system with uh, a kind of culture. So this is the first thing we need to pay attention of. Secondly, uh, when we say uh, I disagree or I, or I agree that people are making clubs or uh, think tank or something like that. They can do whatever they want. The problem is, and then I need to quote Stalin, do not pay attention to their words, but in their deeds. So we need to take, uh, we need to take care when they, uh, not, I mean, everyone has freedom to think whatever they want. Um, but when they start doing things, building systems to shut up everyone that disagrees with them, and start starting suffocate or stiff small business making a monopoly in the world controlling government such a way that we cannot do anything to fight back that is a problem we need to pay attention on it otherwise we will discuss about words 
while they are doing things. But, but and and, I do, can I say can I say something? Sorry about your point there. Um, and and this point's been made a few times. Governments making decisions and and shaping policy for the world. I we have to remember the World Economic Forum is where they meet and you know they they discuss things, but they cannot decide policy for Brazil or policy for the U.S. or Japan or Russia. They can. They can influence, but. At the end of the day, these countries and, 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 and the political systems in countries like the U.S., they'll make the final decision. And we're seeing a lot of resistance in, the, in many countries around anything that comes out of the World Economic Forum. So it's not like a bunch of people that will make the actual decisions in the World Economic Forum. And if anyone disagrees with this, do let me know. But Alan, I'll let you continue no, first. No, I won't. Yeah, so the point, is, the point is, Mario, you said that they, not make, they do not make decisions uh, openly, but behind the scenes they do so and when you say there are a lot of countries they can decide to fight back you are talking about the first world countries because in brazil it's not such a case so i'm from brazil uh if you have your own business in brazil and you start getting bigger uh you will not get any credit to increase your business in these such countries that you do not have a free trade and uh, better say free market. And we need to emphasize the differences between free market and free trade. I post on a comment here in this space, uh, a article writ- uh, written by Karl Marx on free trade. There is no such a thing as a socialist against free trade. They all defend it. The problem is they do not defend free market. And that's the big difference. When you start start to stiff and and suffocate a free market, while you are kind of openly uh, defending free trade, what you are doing, you are defending such a monopoly that can control countries. So uh, if you say, "Oh no, there's, there are a lot of people fighting back," fighting back where Venezuela, Cuba, Brazil, Argentina, no way. You can say they are fighting back here in the United States, where I live, but not in my country. We do not have at least one small tool to fight them back because we do not have money. We do not have free market. We cannot grow. We cannot do anything against them. So if you say, oh, they, they do not decide, they do. They really decide everything in my country, everything in all these poor countries. They do decide because they are billionaires and they are protected by these government that want to steal free market while they are openly defending free trade with their tyrant friends like China. They do decide. They do destroy every person who is growing up uh, uh, their business, uh, their lives. You know, it's kind of it's, it's such a thing that if you are in America, you can say that kind of kind of. Fair For point. It's, 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 a, it's a fair point. I think not all countries can push back to the same extent. Uh, Piotr or Sam, maybe you want to touch on that point, but I, I think it's a valid point made by Alan. Yeah, yeah I would just say, um, you know, I'm going to sound more like quintessential uh, globalist to people in the audience now, but uh, I'm not a globalist. I'm an internationalist, which means I believe in international cooperation. Um, slight difference. But um, I don't agree fully on that. I'm more aligned with you, Mario. Um, the, the, the WF doesn't have a mandate. It doesn't have a, a, a 
capacity to actually force national governments to implement policy. They can heavily influence. They can heavily influence. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, and I think, I think, Alan, Alan, would you agree with that statement, Alan? Do you think that that could we could we characterize it as heavily influenced rather than decide? Because they can't explicitly decide. No, but they can not heavily in influence countries. Not no, but they can't. Countries. Even in poor countries, I'm just semantics. They can heavily. There's a keyword here. Heavily influence. They can put them into a corner because countries like no, Sri Lanka no, won't have star, starve or comply. Starve or comply. That's not a. Really that's good. heavily influenced. That's heavily influenced. No, it is no, 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 no. It's like the corporations will. Do it's not influenced. They will Mario. decide on a certain thing, right? The corporations get together. They decide how can we best use uh, this country's resources. They make the decision over at the WF. That's where they meet, and then these countries have to pay the price because they are entirely dependent on corporate funding. They're entirely dependent on international funding. These countries cannot survive on their own. They need American uh, American money to help them, right? They need international money to help them. That's the problem, and so these decisions are made by fiat without the approval of the people living there. So, Norman, uh, so Ian, a couple of points to that. Um, I lived in sure. Kenya for several months, and one, I think we should also draw a distinction between several different members of the global south. Africa is very different to Brazil, very different to uh, Southeast Asia, and so on. Uh, when I was in Kenya, I was there around about the time the DWEF was happening, and um, I can tell you that a large array of Kenyans were well aware of it, uh, and they would reject some of the policies. The national government, I mean, again, some countries that are more autocratic and they like the idea of just implementing the policies from the WEF because uh, that finds it benefits their self-interest, possibly. But Kenya was an example where they, they rejected some of them. So, so it's I'd like to, 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 to expand on the point I was trying to make. So most of these countries have you know, elections, right? You've got different leaders. Now, the leaders that are aligned with the WF, meaning, you know, the people who are listed as WF global young leaders, uh, the ones who are friendly with uh, the WF, or who even have an investment, right? Like an investment or share in the companies that do go to the WF and they attend these uh, events. These young leaders, whatever you want to call them, right? Their policies, I mean, their policies will always be shaped by the people they meet at the WF, right? Now, it's up to the people, obviously, to decide whether they want to vote for these guys or whether they want to vote them out, right? In my country in particular, there are a number of leaders who do attend the WF. They were, like you said, present at the WF with the Malaysia uh, pavilion, right? That's a thing that they do. And and these people want to court that money at the WF. Now, a lot of this is, is it's self-interest, right? I mean, these people are corrupt as hell, right? Let's just make no mistake about it. They, they don't care about the little people who vote for them. They make a bunch of promises. They go to the WF. WF. They're, they're, they're told, hey, you guys, they're like, if you flyers. give us some contracts and nobody uh, in, votes, in Malaysia. Nobody votes for them. I mean, that, I, I mean, I love what you're saying, but nobody votes for these idiots. That, no, uh, when we uh, learn uh, about it, when we learn that they've done this, then people will not vote for them. However, many voters are low information. They will simply vote according to whatever promises are being made, uh, you know, whether they have, they have a lot of ads spent. Now, that's another thing that people don't talk about. A lot of these politicians with the backing of the companies at the WF, you know, but you can, you can play semantic games and say that, oh, it's not the WF as an organization fully. It's the people who go to the WF who are making these calls. No, I mean, that's a meaningless distinction because, in general, the people who do go to the WF tend to be globalists and they will back these candidates with money, right? Like the WF itself, as an organization, doesn't a do lot that. Of money, the companies I, I that am. do that, uh, the companies we, we, that do that, do. We, we, we well, and to get away from these, glob- these globalists are ruining everything. Countries need to have their own sovereignty, uh, language, cultures, and border. This nonsense that we're going to make one world and we're all going to be the same is crazy. People tend to uh, to to gather 
with, with similar people to themselves. And, and these elitists that are sitting at the top in these in Davos and other places in the world, dictating what happens to everybody else, need to be thrown the hell out. They've got well, their and, money. Leave, leave us alone. Yeah. So, so let, me, Brian, let me expand upon that because what Alan is pointing to, and I'm going to pass this back to you, Alan, with what I have to say here. Like, let's consider this for I'm, – I'm for global trade, but it has to be done under free market conditions. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that's the distinction Alan's trying to make here, where people have individual liberty to make choices about how they're going to pursue their business and certain things. But then when you take a country like Brazil, and there are many others that don't have the kind of influence that the United States has, which, by the way, we're fighting – and, and questioning the WEF, many of us like me in the United States, because the United States needs to positively influence this process rather than to buy into it. But when you take countries like Brazil that has a, a some key natural resources and just oil and, 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 and all the criminality that's gone around Petrobras, which I'm sure Alan knows much of, the, this this whole issue where these larger countries connected with certain corporate interests, and, and, and by the way, World Economic Forum is not just Davos. It's an organization that connects throughout the year, not just for a week or two uh, in, in Davos, Switzerland. And the, the people that connect around this often are making deals that are to the detriment of countries like Brazil that uh, and in, that help influence people like the criminal Lula who's just now become president again and who's a communist and desires to take over the resources of Brazil to use them for the benefit of others. Alan, is Jim, that can you give really, us an example? Uh, I got, Jim, I'll go, yeah, yeah. an example? Because everybody talks about these dirty deals, but no one's actually given us a single example oh my gosh. of a, well, of a well, particular okay, deal Sam, that was made. Sam, okay, I'm going to pass before. it to Alan because Alan will have a better answer than that's I can a, give, but let go me ahead, make this point. You just, I get, you I just get said that, that there was a deal. Sam. You just said that there Hold was on. a deal. I'm doing made. it, Sam. Sam, let me, sit. Guys, let me do guys, it. Okay? Right, easy, guys. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, Sam. The point is that right now, deals that are being made, that have been made around Brazil, and again, I'm going to pass it to Alan because he's going to have better answers than I do, but deals that are made around Brazil, for example, with China related to oil, because they don't produce as much oil on their side, those deals get made all the way around Brazil, and then it affects them as a country. That is one key example. These types of things happen, and China's connected Jim, into Jim, this I'm as sorry. well, too. Jim. Go ahead, Alan. Yeah. Guys, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Before, Alan, Alan, before you – hold on. Sam, uh, I'll let you Sam, just Sam and Jim to go back and forth. Sam, go ahead. No, I mean, look, with a lot of the talk um, tonight has been about deals made behind closed doors – and, and then they just there's just a statement a deal was made deals are being made and then there's absolutely no evidence to back it up let's let's get some some meat on the bones here if you're saying that a deal has been made behind closed doors tell us which deal you mean tell us which policies have been affected that's how you have an intelligent debate you don't just say deals are being made um, and then everyone in the audience just goes oh that's Sam, terrible i can give you an example i can Good, give an thank example you. yeah just to give an idea uh, for example, the biggest companies in Brazil about construction and so forth, they need more credit. Do you agree with that? That big companies need more and more credit from banks? It's a yeah, bit more complex. Continue. Yes, it's, I mean, a, it's a pretty broad do, question, but continue. Yeah, but do, do you understand that big companies need, need uh, Am I bigger now credit? Alan? No, 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 uh, it's, it's you. We can hear you. Sorry, go ahead. Alan. 
Yeah. yeah. So once once you need to comply to get these credits, uh, you will follow whatever they want, and uh, unless if you try to fight back, and they will make you, uh, they will destroy your company. And these big companies that want to comply everything they say, uh, they destroy uh, small and medium business that can fight them back. And these companies are the companies who fund the co- corrupted uh, politicians. And and that's how they they do not make democracy as people uh, love to say. I do not like the word democracy. Uh, I, I like republic. And they do not make a fair fight between the politicians and between their voters. So this is how they how they control everything. But this is this happens in the U.S. This is lobbying. This I, is, I, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. That in the US. This has nothing Alan, to do. Alan, this has nothing to do. Where does with this is about? It's not even lobbying. It's not serious lobbying. Hold on, guys, guys. So Wahid, go ahead. I'm just saying this has nothing to do with World Economic Forum. It has nothing to do with it. You could say the same thing that the that the cabal is is central banks. It's it's governments. It's Washington policy. It's CCP policy. It's Bolsonaro policy, guys, come on. Let's well, let's well, with respect. We're, yeah, we're you're you're right. Right. You're, you're framing. You are framing. So I will. I will go to. Uh, I do want to go to uh, James. I would actually like to go to Prodigal. I mean, uh, he uh, before he that. Yeah, no, he I know. Has a number Prodigal. of examples. He has a number of examples they can provide, Sam. So I'd like to go to him, and then we can go to whoever. Is that fair? Because he'll be fast. Right, go ahead, Prodigal. All right, go ahead, Prodigal. Just one or two examples. Go ahead, Prodigal. Specific to the World Economic Forum. And while you're doing that protocol, actually, I'll just I'll use this opportunity yeah, while you unmute. Yeah, while you're unmuting, just for anyone uh, listening, the newsletter is pinned above. I forgot to mention it. So if you do want a summary of all this and all the spaces that we do, make sure you subscribe uh, to that newsletter. Uh, and you get summaries. Prodigal. Yeah, I'm going to keep it as fast as I can. I'm just going to add a little context. Thanks, what people man. have to realize is we're Thanks. in a new Gilded Age. This isn't the 19th, early 20th century where the robber barons are tied to national interests. Prodigal. No, prodigal, it's going to be really prodigal, fast. Prodigal. So, I'm going to so, give examples. Uh, no, no, no. The multinational uh, corporations, yeah, okay. For the NGOs, and everybody who's a partner at World Economic Forum have the same policies. I'll give you an example. The Bank of International Settlements said we want to move to CBDCs. You see IBM, Bank of America's CEO, and the national governments moving in unison for the CBDC. You look at the ESG policy, Barclays, HSBC will not fund fossil fuels. They have made multiple announcements. This isn't that the WEF by itself is there, but you have the the members of the WEF, you have NGOs, and you have these other lobbyists that were only allowed to grow to this size because – our politicians, through lobbying and other means, repealed Glass-Steagall, repealed the Telecommunications Act in 1997, allowing 90% of the media to be consolidated under six companies. There's no trust busting, right? These supranational organizations and these corporations have more power than the entire most national governments throughout the okay. world. So I'll, I'll pause it. Protocol, protocol. I'll, let you, I'll give you the mic again. So first, I want to agree with what you said, um, uh, everything you said. But I do want to go back to Sam. So Sam, what you are requesting um, was an example of what exactly, just to make sure we're on point. What, do you, what exact example? I'm, I'm just, look, every, I, I don't disagree with, with the points being made, Neither. Um, but I don't see how they're coming specifically out of the world. They're all members. Board. There doesn't that's, have that's to be an overt conspiracy. Yeah, but no, no, no. Prodigal, prodigal. What does that mean? Every policy for any country that's a member is now a fault of the World Economic Forum? That seems to be the argument here. Every single policy. Well, when they're all moving at the same time, right? They're not moving 
isolated. But you have causation, the whole world... correlation. I, I, I'll say this. I'll say this. Probably, I'm going to give you... The same time, you... Mario. That's the yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're yeah, all moving exactly. at the same time in the same direction, and they're having these conversations at the WEF uh, where they go on public, you know, in stage, on stage, to talk about their policies, and they all move in unison. That's the issue. That's what the WEF facilitates. It's hard. It's but hard. Yeah, exactly. That's the one we'll... In public. Isn't that a good thing? That I know that no, it's not. Not when it overrides the population. The WEF is a problem because it is so tremendously powerful to the point where they can make these decisions in public, in the public, you know, in the public eye, and the public can't do anything about it. Like, we can look at it, complain about it, look at what they're doing with ESG, and say, hey, like, uh, oh, d- that doesn't look like it's going to benefit us at all. But guess what? The, the, we are not the ones making the decisions. Our, our politicians, the people we vote into power because we trust them, they happen to be there as well, and they agree with the WEF, and they make all these policies happen because they have a ton of money. That is the issue. That's why the WEF... They get the golden parachute when they leave office. Now, why you think they're getting two million dollars speeches why do you think they get a five million dollar book deal advance that never gets paid the corruption is legal in the western systems and now the multinational corporations and the other globalists control these interests when you say well they, they they're not moving in unison they're all there they're bragging oh, about it when bank of, when bank of america's ceo is bragging about about saying we're going to set a new esg policy and if you don't you don't do what we like we're not going to do business to you how are you going to fund capital intensive projects how are you going to go against the system to talk like this when you're in economics is just naivety or you don't care to see what's going on right they won't fund it right you're seeing states push back but even then the outflow from blackrock is very small compared to what it takes in when the when the federal reserve basically makes blackrock the steward of the covid pandemic recovery money and stimulus these corporations i have a a, have a a question for you so would you agree with this statement before we go to james would you i'm just trying to find the balance and this is us trying to guess because we're not in those meetings weird my mic is weird it's a little, yeah, it sounds like you're in a tunnel again. It's crippling. Yeah, I, mean, I can understand what you're saying. There's, there's, yeah, just just keep going. Just keep going, man. Uh, no, uh, if it's bad, I'll have to fix the mic. Um, so interrupt. Okay, yeah, okay. Kathy asked a question. Yeah, yeah. So so I'll go to Nick to ask James a few questions. But I just wanted to kind of see if Prodigal agrees with this. The uh, World Economic Forum is not a place where everyone goes, makes a decision, and then the next day it's implemented. But but it's a place where they go, and they. Start, they agree on a few things and they, impl- they, they influence, heavily influence a lot of the decisions being made throughout the year because it's a congregation of power and there's a lot of things that do happen behind the curtains that none of us know that I'm sure when you have, you know, I gave examples and I gave positive ones. I'm sure there's more negative ones, but I gave positive ones here. North and South Korea meeting for the first time in Davos. The German unity discussions in Davos. Mandela and de Klerk meeting in Davos for the first time and, and playing a key role in ending apartheid. So a lot of these decisions are obviously positive. A lot are negative. But the concern that we have is there is that congregation of power. Is that a well, just very briefly, because I do want to go to James. Is that Simon Prodigal, would you, would, would you agree with that characterization or still disagree? James agrees. So, I mean, so Mario, I mean, you made a lot of good points there. And and for me, this is the thing. I don't believe that 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 the intention of everybody there is sinister, but it seems like so many people and it's a trend right now. It's a social media trend, this outrage, every single thing. It doesn't matter what subject we're talking about right now. There's outrage about everything. Everything is. And rightly, I agree. I agree. agree. You've just listed a whole. Mario, Mario, I'll be quick. It's not a conspiracy when the, when the Washington post says that the billionaires have more more control. It's not a conspiracy when Biden says, and I'll end with it. When Biden says publicly, I can't get this done. We need to rely on the, 
the multinational corporations to put climate change. Like this is facts. You could paint it okay, however okay. you want. So, to. So, They're pushing so, policies. So, so, 90, yes. 90 million more people are going to starve protocol, in Africa or near starvation because they're so, so the point. Change- the, the, I agree. So the point that you're making, and this is a point that I made, and I've made a few tweets about it. Today, Oxfam did say that this is the first time in history that, um, what was it? The, the poorest people in the world lost wealth and the richest people in the world gained wealth at the no, same time. No, that has been happening yeah. since 2020. Oxfam has seen it. Yeah, but did the pandemic accelerated? Yeah. But 2000, okay, okay. So two said, guys, guys, I love you all. Just two seconds. Yeah, so just, just, just 2020. Yeah, no, no. Piotr, okay, so, yeah, so, 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 so inequality is, <laughs> is, is, get, is getting, yeah, it's been getting worse and worse. So rightly so. Sam, I agree with your point. I think people are too, and that's why I'm trying to balance it out. I think people are just too extreme in painting. Like as soon as I said I'm going to Davos, people immediately painted it like, hey, he's on the other side. Everyone's there is evil. No, there's no evil. There's no, it's not trying to do. It's always good and bad everywhere. Even though I, the I, end I, results I, are all that matter, Mario. The, power, you can, you can claim the, the road to hell um, is paid but, uh, good attention. Uh, uh, prodigal? Prodigal. Um, can, can you hear me? Uh, can you hear me? Ian or Nick, can you hear me or no? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can hear you. It just sounds like you're you're talking into a tube. That's all. You you actually no. It it like it auto corrects itself. So don't worry about it. Like if you keep speaking, for some reason it fixes it. Right. I don't know why it does that, but it it comes in and out. So sometimes you sound like you're coming through a tube. Other times you sound fine. How am I? Am I now good? Am I good now? You're better. Okay. okay. I'll go. I'll go to Nick. uh, To we have worse. Nick, (laughs) Nick, off to you, Nick. Yeah, Nick, you host. Sure, sure. So, so, so James, um, obviously you've been covering this pretty extensively, uh, and you're pretty well versed in the World Economic Forum in general. Uh, one of the biggest concerns that people have with the World Economic Forum is their, uh, one, uh, it's, it's one of their biggest goals here, right? Which is the Great Reset, which people like to call conspiracy and everything like that. But what it is, it, I mean, they're very open about it and they've been talking about it since 2020. Right, 2010. And it was the economic... fourth industrial revolution before it was rebranded as the Great Reset. But continue. No, it's 2020. Okay, so it was 2020. Yeah, HBO did a documentary on it in the early 2010s, where they want to tie basically the new monetary system to energy consumption, etc. Continue. I could post it up top if you want me to. He's true. Right. He's correct. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So, so uh, when it was, it was, it was rebranded, I guess, as the, as the Great Reset in 2020, which started driving a lot of speculation about, you know, the, the, the ultimate goals of the, of the World Economic Forum. And so uh, basically what they've said is, quote, there is an urgent need for global stakeholders to cooperate in simultaneously managing the direct consequences of the COVID-19 crisis. To improve the state of the world, the WEF is starting the Great Reset Initiative, which is to, urgently build the foundation of our economic and social system for a fairer, sustainable, and more resilient post-COVID future. So it, it's about combining a... efforts. Nick, just, yeah, just to cut, you know, just to put a pin on it, it's to combine all these efforts in a way that has never been done before. This is what Klaus Schwab talked about in the book, The Great Reset. It is also his keynote speech from last year, or, or the year before, actually, where he talked about consolidating all this power and moving it in a single direction. This is something that is being done uh, through the top 1,000 you know, corporations in the world, excluding a few, of course, like Tesla, uh, as well as government interests, uh, think tanks, and a number of activist organizations. We're talking hundreds of activist organizations are all moving 
move towards a single direction under Klaus Schwab's basically orders, right, and his people. The idea is is to uh, is to remove all the differences that you know the WEF wasn't always this consolidated. You know, it it it, all, it used to be a place where you, you know, people do trade. They have different ideas, competing ideas, and that was great. That's, you know, that's democracy in action, whatever you want to call it. But that's no longer the case. Now, the top people, the top dogs, I'm not talking about the little people who go there like you guys, you know, when you attend the WF, you, you're not privy to these conversations, right? You're not on the, on the stage, on the main stage with all the big names, right? So you, you're small players, no offense, but you're not, you know, you're not important to the, to the big picture here. The people in charge of painting this big picture, however, they're all moving in a single direction. You can simply watch uh, um, the uh, Ursula von der Leyen's uh, recent speech, her keynote speech at the WF. She outlines it very, very succinctly. I recommend that you all watch it. Right. So essentially, my question is, James, I kind of want your based on everything you've heard while you've been in the room, what is your overall opinion on on what is going on with the World Economic Forum? Is it is it is it just a push for corporatism? Is it a push for, you know, uh, a push against the United States as a world power? What is it? Thanks. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, I love these spaces. I learned so much from them. But I've listened to about an hour's worth of the comments. I agree with many of the things that have been said, but I want to take a bit of a historical context about the WF. I mean, Davos has obviously been going around for a number of years, but back into the 70s and 80s when the WF was sort of developing and spreading its wings, it was largely seen as a policy wonk shop, and then it became more corporate over time. So I think there is an element, first of all, that WF is a giant networking centre for the inverted commas, the elites, um, it's a money-making machine, but it's also setting the agendas, as people have pointed out. And I think the reason why the WF has become part of the kind of bubble of scepticism um, in terms of what their motives are is really since the pandemic onwards. I mean, if you look at the pandemic and then the pandemic moving into sort of a digital response and vaccine passports, and then you look at some of the things that have been written about in the WEF, such as the Great Reset and so on, which were previously seen on the kind of outer edges and people who analyse that and be accused of being conspiracy theorists. A lot of this stuff is consolidation. And there's a really good point that someone mentioned earlier on about if you look at where everyone's heading on this in terms of the, the financial system, the fiat model, which largely is a busted flush, since, in particular since 2008 and 2009, and then aspects of net zero, then aspects in terms of um, what's happening with the pandemic response and vaccine rollouts and what the WH are doing with um, particular treaties. The one thing that I've really noticed with the WF and listening to some of the panel debates and reading about some of the, the keynote speeches this week is whether we're talking about net zero, we're talking about uh, pandemic response, vaccines, uh, monetary system, central bank digital currencies. There's one thing that interlinks all of those things together, and it came up time and time again in various speeches, in particular Tony Blair's speech, and that is digitalization of everything, and also digital ID. And I think that's where we're heading. I mean, none of this is conspiracy theory. It's about kind of join the dots theory. And I agree with another comment earlier that the majority of people have no idea about this. They have no idea about what's going on behind the scenes. And we need to be careful, all of us, about separating stuff that is actually fact and stuff that is wild theories. And I think the WEF is a consolidation for a lot of people. 
Because it's very, very difficult for everyone to go, something's happening in one place and then something else is happening over here. We're bombarded by news to the point that most people are bamboozled or switch off or are too scared to say something because they, they really don't understand the issues. So the WF becomes the center point for that. And I agree that the WF is not setting legislative um, policy, but it's nudging. It's, it's putting everyone in the same room. As George Carlin once said, it's a big club and we're not in it. it. People are in the same room and they are, you know, they're meeting each other, they're discussing ideas, deals will be made behind the scenes that we don't even know about. But the connecting force, going back to something I said earlier, is about motives and agendas. And I think since the pandemic, people on our side of the debate are looking at this and thinking, well, what is the direction of travel here? And for me, it's two things, of which is two that these two things are mentioned repeatedly through this week at Davos. One is about the digitalization of almost everything in digital ID. And the second point, which is connected to the first point, is our financial system, our monetary system, is a mess. And the move towards central bank digital currencies in pilot scheme or consultation or executive order in the States is happening everywhere underneath the radar. And most people are unaware of of this and what it means and the risks attached to it. So I think what we're looking at is a number of people who are putting problems in the world together and seeing digital ideas as a potential solution. It's back to that old thing. You create a problem, you create a solution, you create a whole set of other problems. And the WF has become like the conduit, almost like the poster boy for all of this stuff. But I do think that it has an influence. It has an influence because it's getting people in the same room and they're saying things that are interconnected and then governments are then, along with you know the corporate aspects of government and corporatism, are putting this together and moving towards these digital ID solutions on a number of different fronts. That's all I need to say. Right. So, so, so James, I, I do have one more question for you here, just based on your points here. So there is a the Brookings Institute, which is a think tank in Washington, D.C., uh, they have given an argument both for and against the World Economic Forum, and they say the need for a group like the like the WEF is more important now than ever. The global challenges we face cannot be solved without action by wealth holders and decision makers of the corporate community. Right. So is this is this a fair point, or is this something that you know have we gone beyond that to the point where they don't actually have the best interests of the of, of the uh, uh, of the of the world in mind? Well, or? I mean, I mean, WF and Davos have been around for a very long time. You know, I've always had you know, issues with that way before even the COVID response. You know, I, I agree with, again, an earlier point. I think the WF is not all bad. I think there's certain things that they are saying about, you know, how to improve communities and well-being and the rest of it. There's something in that. But there's a lot of stuff that is interconnected to the problems that we're, go- we're, we're seeing right now. And I think whether it's WF, whether it's aspects of corporate, whether it's to do with corrupt governments, whether it's to do with aspects of media and the sort of funding pipelines of the media, you have a series of interconnections there. And what they're doing is framing a set of messages under the auspices of virtue, which is like the greatest kind of Machiavellian contract always shown by a bunch of authoritarians. They basically do good, stay safe, uh, stay secure, and it's for your, your convenience. So they're doing all this under the auspice of doing good. But we all really know what it's about. It's about asset grabs. It's about asset grabs of money. It's about asset grabs of land, of energy, of healthcare, of data, and so on. Now, none of this is new since the world is turning 
you know, our elites have been trying to do this. But the problem we've got now compared to what's happened in the past is it's much more interconnected through tech. You know, it's not like it was, say, 100 years ago where we'd all, you know, elites would do what elite things do. But now we have that interconnection whereby the solution can be driven around all forms of either big tech or digital ID. And I think the WEF is a platform where if you look at the agenda this week, it's all interconnected around all these different issues with the ultimate solution being somewhere down the lines of digitalization and digital ID. Uh, James, I have a question for you. I've been pretty critical and concerned about uh, the impact of inequality around the world on on both the, the, the world economy and uh, potential military conflicts. Uh, if this continues, this path continues, and the reason I'm asking it now is obviously it was discussed at the World Economic Forum and I actually tweeted a tweet by one of the, the visitors there that kind of brought attention to this. They were talking about globalization is great for the general economy, but it's got serious flaws in, uh, in leading to more inequality. If this pattern continues... Where do you see the world in the next five years, five, ten years? Because it's, it's just getting more and more concerning. The polarization we're seeing in different countries, the, 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 the populism, it just shows that people are standing up to that inequality, and rightly so. I'm just worried where it's going to lead because it's not getting better, and COVID just made it significantly worse. Yeah, I agree. I think the problems uh, are really since 2008. Well, there's always been problems in the world, but in particular, sort of financial. Yeah, the GFC, yeah, exactly. Since, yeah. From an inequality point of view, it's really – um, catapulted to different dimensions since the financial crisis um, and then you know had the world dealing with a decade of austerity and then now then you have COVID and then you know to bail out the in terms of the response of COVID uh, money printing just took place on a ridiculous scale in Britain I think it was pretty much 500 billion was printed um, over the two-year response of COVID now, most of that money was not going into the real economy. It was propping up financial institutions and governments and so on. And yet that has a knock-on effect by, by the dint of um, quantitative easing. It, it devalues currency and creates an, an inflation problems. And therefore, that creates an aspect in the real economy of more poverty. And you've got an ongoing cost-of-living crisis. So I think we have got a major issue whereby the 1% are getting richer and everyone else is getting in real terms poorer. And it's not becoming just even a thing about, you know, the working classes and middle classes are attached into this as well, especially since, you know, COVID onwards. And I think people are, are struggling with zero-sum games to, in, in the UK, for instance, of either heating or eating. Um, add one point to what um, uh, no uh, no man no your mic bro your mic you gotta fix your mic what about this is that better uh, yeah better yeah okay it's just because I'm far away right okay no I absolutely loved what uh, was being said uh, yeah that's the fucking thing crashed everybody like ugh okay, Ian can't hide him either <laughs> um, so Ian what, what do you think about what James was saying uh, while waiting for James to be back I was just listening. There's like, you know, there's this train of thought and I've lost it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, 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 
He, he quoted George Carlin, who I really love, and, and another one he makes me think of when he mentioned uh, him is um, that we, uh, the WEF gives off um, thoughts of we have uh, right, we don't have rights, we have privileges. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, I agree yeah, with that. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, don't yeah. Have we have privileges, and, and they're granted to us uh, basically uh, by, you know, and, uh, governments and uh, by corporations, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is a certain overextension of just how powerful the WEF is, but I think it's because we don't know what it means, what it really stands for, that there's a lot of um, ambiguity and distrust in it. And, I think that's uh, and I, think yeah, I agree. Well. Yeah, I think we're on the same yeah. page on this. Like, if anything, you know, the WEF needs to actually have, like, a... I don't know, some sort of founding... Um, accountability metrics. Accountability, accountability methods, yeah. Like what, what's being discussed, you know, what, what's being agreed to. I think, you know, members of it need to need to actually address these things, right? And, and, and it has to be done as a whole, right? As a whole organization, not as independent organizations that go there making these decisions, right? I think that this is something that needs to be a foundational, uh, I would say, like, pillar of the WEF. Well, right? there, was a, there was another interesting one from about 2010. If you cast your minds back after the uh, global financial crisis, there was um, uh, the Occupy movement, um, if people remember. remember. And as part of the Occupy movement, uh, they occupied London, they occupied Wall Street, they occupied a lot of places. But one of the things that came out of that was uh, what was known as the World Social Forum, which was attemptedly people's uh, desire to create a sort of crowd, a crowdsource sort of people's version of the world uh, economic forum. It didn't lead anywhere, unfortunately, but there were these efforts to sort of counterbalance against this very uh, specific perspective approach narrative that we do have. I do think the World Economic Forum has a place to be more uh, useful for our research and, and sort of yeah, publication. But Peter, but that's... These people are too smart. No, right? I know. I know. They, 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 they can't handicap the West when they know China pollutes more than the entire developed world combined. And China said na energy security is national security, which is smart, which is what the U.S. should do. Build out refineries and take care of natural gas because all the reductions in pollution has been through natural gas, especially when there's a war in Ukraine. These same people who are pushing for war don't seem to care how many lives are lost from their bombs, don't seem to care how much smoke comes out of the bombs on Ukraine. They didn't care when they sent so, uh, Boris Johnson over there to kill the peace deal, right? So it's all hypocrites. What this end system will result in is they will freeze in the power players. And, and people, the social mobility, which has been decreasing in decades, will be gone. Where you are now in life, you will be locked in forever. The reason why they're doing this is because this is the first time in history they are able to. Before the emergence of these multinational corporations, corporations had to care where they made money. The robber barons of old, Rockefeller, Carnegie, even Ford, cared if the U.S. economy was good because that's where they were based. That's where they need their money. Now, if they don't make it in North America, they'll make it in Asia. They don't make it in Asia, they'll make it in Europe. And they have homogenized all these cultures that all these international cities, if New York falls, I'll go to Paris. If Paris falls, I'll go to Hong Kong. If Hong Kong falls, I'll go to Tokyo. They have managed to root out culture, nationalism, religion, family. That's their end goal because once they cement it in place, you're not going to be able to afford any of these things. You're not going to be able to do a goddamn thing. You won't be able to afford a stake. You won't be able to afford the car. Their standard of living will not change, and they will consolidate power, and this regulatory burden will eliminate any future competition they have because everything will be frozen. If you have to comply with all these rules, which make no sense, I mean, you're talking about how great they are. What came out? What did Oxford say this week? That various standards of their carbon tax credit system was bullshit. 90 plus percent went to nothing. 
So these people use euphemisms and count on your stupidity to say, oh, okay, I'm still waiting for an answer why when there wasn't even an industrial revolution in cars, the temperature was hotter when the dinosaurs were around. Right? So, many, so many points. Particle, particle, so, many, so many points. I don't know if Sam or Brian, you want to take this one, but just so many points. Probably it's like when you, when you, speak, you, make, you make a lot of good points. Is an amazing too many at a time. Speaker. Would you guys all agree? I'll, I'll, I'll He's one of the best. Mario. He's the yeah, best speaker there is. The best and I'd like for him to finish. Yeah, 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 let yeah. him finish first. And then you'll go I'll, I'll end with this point. They, they couldn't – China and Russia can do it through a barrel of the gun institute control. The West could only take away their citizens' inalienable rights and freedoms through the public safety state. The COVID pandemic fear porn didn't work. What did they say next? We're going to push the climate change. Project Veritas had the video of CNN. They had their marching orders. And for people to say, I don't know this, no, it's for our good, well, what have they improved? What have they given the West? Globalism has given us a system where you compete for your home against international billionaires, where you compete against your wages, against uh, migrants and illegals, and where your culture is being eradicated and they say don't have any nationalism. Well, hang on. Okay, okay, protocol, protocol. No, there's many points made. He's talking about fucking everything. There's too many things. I know, exactly. It's just way too many points to respond to, to to get a discussion. So I'll let you respond to it. Yeah, I I can see it. Not machine gun it. You said machine bomb it. Uh, Go ahead, uh, Piotr. Yeah, I mean, look, I like Prodigal. He also texted me saying that he's fucking exhausting and not going to be speaking like his usual self. Bullshit. Oh, yeah, uh, that was the, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jordan, no. uh, go ahead. Uh, because I want to go back to James as well um, to continue yeah. that chain of thought that, uh, that was in the other space that crashed. But yeah, go ahead, Piotr, just to respond. Yeah, to yeah, look, I mean, Prodigal and I... I just want to make a quick point. Guys, please, Piotr, go Briefly, just like 15 seconds. Sorry. Just look at the evidence. That's what. That's my point. Look at the evidence. Look, look at what the world looks like now. This is the result of all of that meddling, all of the plans. Look at what it looks like now. Is it good? Is it a good place? I mean, ask yourself that question. There you go. Well, Ian, um, well, yes, because life expectancy is at the highest it's ever been. Quality of living is at the highest it's ever been. Um, the average standard it's of living dropped in the is US at the highest and the, um the gap between well relative yes but you you're also talking about ian you're talking about canadians can't buy a house americans can't can buy I, a house. can i speak please mate okay now you do kind of piss me off when you do that um look I, I i never interrupt you unless i do genuinely think you're talking like buddy everything but anyway um the point i'm trying to make is that i agree with a lot of what you say we agree on a lot of stuff you're very respectful to me and and, and i'm sorry for losing my moment there but i look globalism is very nuanced it's built off as i said before uh the long standing remnancy of colonialism, imperialism, and a desire to sometimes deliberately keep certain states poorer because then you can extract and utilize them. There's a great book, I've mentioned it before, called Why Nations Fail and the deliberate desire to have extractive institutions in certain countries so that you can utilize them for resource uh, uh, acquisition uh, and so on. So this this is a dark component to globalization. But that being said, not all of it is economic. Some of it is demography. Some of it is public health. And the average uh, life expectancy expectancy of people in Africa has more than doubled in some places. In the, the average income has more than tripled. The global poverty rate has decreased. Now, you can argue whether or not $2 a day or more is not exactly great poverty, but for some people who have literally nothing and have lived in subsistence and poverty traps for the whole of their lives, globalism has given them the opportunity to do that. If China didn't think that the globalization, well, free trade and all this sort of stuff was so bad, then they wouldn't have opened up to the World Trade Organization in 2002. So uh, I think we need a better form of globalization. 
Uh, and that's why this whole idea, to bring it back to the actual topic of the room and pivot back to Mario, is this whole idea of stakeholder capitalism. Sounds great, but in theory, it wasn't really anything but a rebranding. So, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll land there because I, I could talk about this all day. Yeah, could, could I just chime in really fast? I, I, I sure, think that sure. I, I think what Peter just said, I, I, I think that to say that the world is worse off now than it has been in the past is such an extreme uh, misconception. Uh, I, I, I mean, no matter what metric you look at and compare it to 100 years ago or even even 40 years ago, and we're, we're like way ahead of it. So just 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 an example would be would be the world population population living in extreme poverty in like 1900 it was 78 percent whereas today i think it's like nine or ten percent the literacy rate i think it's it was around 78 percent in 1900 and today it's it's 14 percent worldwide i i mean i could go on and on health child child mortality i i I mean it, it just goes on and on basically every metric that you can use to measure standard of living uh on the in the world has has almost exponentially increased over the last 100 150 years so so i i, I don't think you can use that argument that that we're living focus in, on the uh, 90s forward focus when on true the 90s. globalization emerges started focus I, on so, that a, a, every if i focus on the 90s it's, it's still a downward trend for well, but, 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 but Brian, trend. what do you credit that to does that have anything to do with, you know, the World Economic Forum or consortiums like this, you know, globalism? Or what, what do you credit that to? I, you, you know, I, I, it would be irresponsible to say it's because of the World Economic Forum. I, I, I credit it towards tech, for, towards, I, I credit technology for a lot of that. I, I credit, I do credit some, some globalization. I, I think that as, as we globalize the planet, technology is able to spread new ideas come up we work together on on technology we're going to need to continue to do that what whether we do it through the through the world economic forum i don't i don't know i i think that i think that some aspects of the forum are unfair for especially the the lower classes the middle classes i i think that it's it's greatly skewed towards the wealthy and and the powerful uh, but 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 I I just want to point out that like by no means has the standard of living gone down. Not even if you compared the year two thousand to today. I, I mean, How big is the American middle class? Do you know that? What's their debt levels? It's at all time high. But, you are 100% I'm talking on a world. You are. I care like about the America in the West. But they use the United States. Hang on. Hey hey. Uh, yeah. Okay. Hang on. Brian, finish your point, and then we'll go to. Uh, I'll have Predigo respond. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, if, if you go country to country, I'm, I'm sure, sure some of the some of the numbers are trending down in some areas. Uh, but overall, the world is a better place. Uh, the U.S. I think you can also say it's a better place. Yeah, we're in a hell of a lot of debt. I, I think that that can be blamed on pretty much every every policymaker in the United States over the course of the last forty years, as well as as well as the rest of the, the planet. Uh, but I, I think overall, I don't think we're doing bad. Okay. Prodigal, go ahead and respond uh, just for Before you respond, uh, sorry, can, can you hear me okay, Nick? Yes. Yes, I hear you. Can you hear me? You sound good. Yeah, he's 100%. Mario? Yeah, is, can you hear me okay or no? 
I can hear you. Can you oh, hear thank, me? Thank God. Okay. Sorry, protocol. I just want to make a point. I've been a lot of technical issues on my end, but um, the, the point um, that Brian made, and I heard some of it, protocol. Let me know what you think. Is that the the way I look at it is that the world as a whole has improved drastically, and, and there's multiple metrics to show for that. Living into we've never had as much peace as we have now, despite the Ukraine war. We've, you know, uh, life expectancy, quality of of of, of life, etc. That, that's all improved. However. Inequality has never been worse. So it's like a double-edged sword. Uh, I'm not sure if would you agree that 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 you know I'm trying to take the middle position here. And- yeah, I, I agree with that, uh, and I'll, I I want to address some of his points. I mean, somebody picked out China the other time. The only reason why China was the only nation to basically be able to buck buck the globalists is because we had globalized all markets before we had entered them to get access to the Chinese market, which was a billion plus. We made deals with them regarding joint ventures, tech, etc. And they basically took the exact opposite economic strategy that we recommended to the Soviet Union and Russia in particular when they fall. The shock economic treatment. China only had basically free markets in its global cities. It didn't depeg its currency. It didn't get rid of uh, uh, balance its budget to get rid of education and other social programs. So China did the exact opposite of what we told them to. And when he says the standard of living, social mobility has never been worse. Consolidation in all industries has never been worse. The, 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 this, we're at a point where uh, uh, um, Europeans and Americans and Canadians can't even afford a house, right? Debt levels for the individual family are, is 176000 in the U.S. They have average credit card debt at 17000 at the highest rates ever. We are still spending on stimulus for these programs that don't go anywhere, and we're increasing prices. Nobody's against a transition to, against a transition to clean, renewable energy if it works. But when you're saying this is the be-all, end-all, and everybody knows you have to idle other facilities, whether they're biofuels, whether it's coal, whether it's natural gas, you aren't solving anything. And these people want you to think that when you strip mine the world and you slave labor for these batteries, which multiple studies have shown, takes somewhere from six to seven years before the car even has an economic impact. These people are lying to your face. Biofuel is cutting down trees and burning wood chips. And they want to pretend, well, no, we're going to eliminate this. No, we're not. And our geopolitical rivals like China and even India, which is neutral in other countries, are saying, we're not this crazy. We're going to do what's best for us. We're going to take care of coal. We're going to... The, the standard of living in Africa, that's from clean water and electricity. That isn't because we improved their lives a great deal. Go look at Nigeria, where they rebel against China. Go look at what we're doing in the Congo and who we're propping up. These are all lies. And you expect people don't read international news and don't know geopolitical politics to just go along and say this is a good thing. When supranational organizations with our own elected officials and multinational corporations are meeting and deciding policies against the own populations of, of their own countries this is treason in my opinion and they are pushing this at a time at a time i would believe they want to win in russia this is ridiculous he's conflating what's not factually correct peter protocol can i jump in with some data hang on let's go sam first let's go sam first and we'll go to peter i want to respond after that because they're all connected we don't live in a vacuum Right, everything well, touches upon. I'm talking of not living in a vacuum. You can't. We talk can about lock down for COVID, debt. but everybody you can't else talk dies. About Who cares? Household debt hey. without talking about G- GDP, because household debt is down twenty percent relative to GDP yeah. in the last one dollar in the OnlyFans account take, isn't the same. You can't take stats out of in isolation and ignore the wider uh, macroeconomic picture. It's a it's a tactic of people who try to l- use data to mislead. Household one dollar in the OnlyFans account is not the same as a dollar in oil and a dollar. No, uh, ahead, Prodigal, sorry. you cut out there. Oh, he dropped. All right, go well, ahead. Like, I made my yeah. point. I just think it's really important that we put data into context. You can't talk about household debt being high when GDP, 
you know, relative to household debt, household debt is down 20% in the last 14 years. It's misleading to state yeah, these Has social mobility increased? Has Brian. cost of living decreased? I agree with Brian. When we look globally, when we look, look, we're in, we're in infl- a terrible inflationary like, environment right now. Why is that? Okay, they shut down the world. They let the big economics. companies stay open. Home Depot was open. Walmart was open. They bankrupted the third. Protocol. Go ahead, Sam. No, no, it's, it's fine. I, I mean, Prodigal can, can respond. I'm just saying, sure, I, don't, I, sure. I don't think that inflation was caused by the World Economic Forum. I'm not saying, these are all the same actors, whether it's the World Economic Forum, whether it's the UN, whether it's the West acting in unison with the multinational corporations, they have the same goal. You can't talk about every single organization as being a driver of of, of every single factor. Uh, The World Economic Forum is a completely different institutional body. It's not even an institutional body. It's a forum for a bunch of different people to come together in, frankly, rather grotesque and um, bullshit ways to uh, talk about the global agenda from their very... uh, well, cushy perspective. The United Nations is an organization made up of every single country with a actual intention to try and improve. The every country is on the Security Council. Can, can I jump in? No, here but real the, quick? You think the UN how, how many Security African and Latin American members are members of the, the Security if you're going to Council? Talk how many about causation? And- Guys. Come on, we've been doing this for a while now. Uh, I do want to go back to James with the chain of thought that you were talking about earlier, James, when the space crashed. Um, Nick, do you want to ask a question again that James was answering before? Unless, James, you want to comment on the current discussion. I do. I would love to continue the answer, the, the chain of thought you had in the last space. Yeah, <laughs> I got cut off. There's a crash. I don't know how long I was talking for <laughs> into the ether with nothing there. Um, but I'll try again. I mean, basically... I I agree with the thread that the WEF is a problem in the fact that it's bringing together a lot of people to share ideas and um but they've got no legislation but they're nudging governments around the world and it's a great networking forum but um for the elites to come together but to answer the question I think the last question I I had was about where where do I see things in a few years time I think we're in you know, the world has always been spinning around different crises, you know, since the dawn of civilization, you know, whether it's wars or famine or disease or whatever. But I think the problem now we've got is around technology because it was shown through the pandemic response, um, in particular how the rollout of um, a form of digital ID with vaccine passports combined with um you know, other issues that come down the tracks and have been developed through net zero. And in particular thing, I focus on quite a bit, the fiat monetary system, which is a busted flush and the potential solutions for that through central bank digital currencies. And I think that what we're heading for is that we're sleepwalking towards an entrapment of too much technology, too much digitalization, too much digital ID. And it will be wrapped around the auspices of safety security and also convenience take central bank digital currencies most people the average person will have no idea about what that means and it will be framed and sold as oh it's a bit like paypal or you know apple pay or whatever it's for your convenience will make things quicker my my argument with that my concern with that is that it risks entrapment and a possible slope towards uh, central bank digital currencies into social credit systems. Uh, and if our financial transactions are effectively owned by the state, that is not a good thing because it does open up all kinds of abuse in terms of people's ability 
um, to to pay with a sense of freedom and also privacy as well. So that's the thing I think we're heading towards because there is pilot schemes and there's also consultation documents all around the world on central bank digital currencies. And I think that is one of the main maneuverings around all of this because our monetary system, it's a mess. You know, whether it's whether it's financial institutions or, or governments, the only way the system is being propped up is through quantitative easing. Which then creates another problem because by doing that, it creates um, aspects of inflation. And I think what they're doing as well is, is adding other aspects onto the digitalization of everything, such as, for instance, the net zero response, such as, for instance, smart cities. And actually anything that's called smart is not, is not smart. It's about control. But I think this is ultimately on the point of inequality. A, a set of manoeuvrings under the auspice of virtue um, for everyone to comply. So therefore, the massive corporations in connection with government policy get more what, in terms of what they want, in terms of assets and also wealth. And the point about the WEF, to finish this off, is they're, they're part of the conduit of this. They're like the, you know, the networking forum where effectively all these bad actors are putting all these things in place under the auspice of virtue. They gather together. So the optics aren't very good at WF, are they? They're, you know, the likes of Tony Blair and Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates and so on. All the same names keep coming up time and time again. Plus, you know, big business and pharmaceutical companies. So I think ultimately they're, they're wanting the same things. It's about more control, more assets and more wealth. I mean, none of this is new. This has all been happening for, you know, decades and decades and decades. But the difference now is that they've got the technology to effectively entrap the entire global economy. And, right. And okay. Wanna... So, so, so yeah. Well, okay. Me... So go, go, Jim first. Yeah, Jim. And then uh, I want to address some things that Maze said to us earlier in, com in the comment yeah. section. So go ahead. Yeah. yeah so, uh, and Maze has got some good info. But listen, I, I posted something up top. That is, uh, you know, because the, the, the and what James is saying, by the way, is, is fantastic. And I hope we can connect sometime, James. I'd love to talk about this even further. But um, the, the, the claim has been made, hey, you know, backroom deals. What are you talking about? Governor? Listen, um, I posted up a picture from the WEF website where they are talking about ESG without proper environmental, social, and government's regulation, potentially harmful greenwashing efforts may flourish. Well, if greenwashing means uh, skepticism about climate alarmism, count me in as a greenwasher. But, here, but here's the point, beyond just the climate change thing. In, environmental, social, and governance, like, is, is, is this catch-all thing about promoting uh, a type of injection into private business that favors certain government interests that are also promoted by certain actors in policy in and outside of government. So, so the, the, the notion that the WEF does not have an agenda that is toward government action is false. Also, I found, and I'll post it up sometime because the site I got it from, the information's accurate, but the site I got, got it from is just a kooky site, kooky conspiracy site. But the, but they, they posted up a document with, that is a, how many pages here? It is a, uh, eight, 16, is it a 16? No, no, no. It's a 
12-page document that's a list of everybody from governments around the world who are showing up at the WEF. Now, those people are talking in the background, privately, whatever. And what all that means, you know, we got to figure all that out. And so I'm not, I'm not saying every conspiracy of every bad thing is happening at the World Economic Forum in Davos. But the reality is this. The fact that they promote ESG, the fact that they have the influence because of the connections that have been built around the WEF to push an ESG agenda. ESG is antithetical to freedom, period. It is about using government forces to try to advance certain goals that cannot otherwise win legislatively through the ballot box or anywhere else. It's a bypass of free systems of government, not a not some we're talking together and we're trying to figure out how to do things. That, so th- this is what we've got to re- realize, and that's got to be seriously addressed by people because these are serious attempts to advance a particular agenda that is causing particular problems in the world economic system even because ESG goes beyond gov- uh, corporations building value for their shareholders and owners. It's about advancing a political agenda. Right. So I'll let James respond to that, and then I'm going to go to Maze after that. Go ahead, James. Right, yeah, I agree. It comes back to that point, um, using ESG as an example. It's a, a virtue contract again. The actual elements of ESG are, on a whole, quite noble. Um, and ESG has effectively come, become the bastard child of social responsibility. Where in an, in an idea where we want corporates to be ethical with good governance and have a proper trickle-down effect whereby um, employees and also the wider communities benefit. But it's not. What's happening is that they're using the masquerade of virtue to plunder more assets under the auspice of this badge word of ESG. I mean, it was mentioned a lot, for instance, within some of the panel debates at WEF about this particular element. In the same way that they do this, the same contract around the responses to COVID. And I think what's happened with all this is since COVID onwards, the individuals who've gathered at the WEF and so on, whether it's to do with finance, whether it's to do with big energy, whether it's to do with tech or governments and so on, they've sort of spotted an opportunity out of the panic of COVID to consolidate their control, first of all, by scaring the living daylights out of people into compliance, but at the same time using other agenda issues to get people to comply because to do good, to save the planet, for instance. And then the other aspect, which will come down the tracks that I've talked about, central bank digital currencies, for people to comply with that because it's for their convenience. It's the oldest trick in the book to get people to comply either out of fear or the feel that they're being worthy and they're complying because they're saving the planet, doing the right thing, being virtuous, or because of convenience. And all of these things are coming together. And it's, it was so interesting at the WEF, just listening to some of the debates and so on. The solution in every single case, as I said earlier, was to do with aspects around digitalization. And that's the thing that concerns me now compared to, you know, what happened in 2008, 2009, financial crash and so on. We're in a different landscape of tech right now which means that there's an interconnection right across the planet so people can comply in a number of different ways through digital ID. And for me, it's also about, so that's the problem. So what's our solution? I'd be interested to hear what people say about this. How do we prevent this going further? For instance, more entrapment through 
healthcare digital ID or, for instance, financial ID through central bank digital currencies. How do we stop that? Because if we're not careful, we are going to end up in, a, in an even worse landscape in five years' time. How do we reach out to our well, communities? Oh, sorry, Jim. Quickly, Jim, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, ESG is bad enough. And and it is something that must be opposed politically, ideologically in discussions like this and elsewhere where we can put it out. But I'll tell you, and you pointed out, the most concerning thing is not the technology behind CDBCs, but the fact that they could so easily, I mean, not just in places like China that have a, a little bit more authoritarian system or maybe a few other governments around the world you can point out, but in places like the United States, in European countries and elsewhere that actually have free government, where at least with all its faults, people have a voice with their elected officials. And and some of those elected officials, particularly when you look at the EU and certain Democrats and some others in the United States, Republicans too, that they this social credit system that once you once they've got your money, they've got everything. And, and this stuff gets very, very scary, and, and it is just naive, in my opinion, to say that Davos in particular and the World, Government, World Economic Forum in general and its operations on an annual basis don't play a role in the advancement of these really scary ideas. The last thing I want to say right. on this, so, just one, one last comment. I, I agree sure. with that. I think, I think WF is the conduit to put everyone together. I mean, their entire agenda was around all the things that we're talking about here. But yeah, but it's about, it, it is about more control, but it's controlled for effectively the greatest asset grab for a bunch of disaster capitalists in the history of the planet wrapped around technology. If you take, for instance, smart cities and, you know, in the UK, there's a problem right now. A lot of people complaining about the sort of 15 minute cities and low traffic neighborhoods. That's effectively another form of control. It's, and it's destroying local businesses. There's, there's pilot schemes, for instance, in Oxford, um, this proposal in Scotland right now that Scotland's going to turn itself into a 20-minute zone. And a lot of small and medium enterprises are concerned about that because we won't have the same footfall in the centre of town for trading. That's all part of the same problem. And so people, we end up reacting to this. So these things suddenly happen. And the same thing, the central bank digital currencies are coming down the tracks. Most people don't have any idea what that means and what the potential repercussions are of that. And I agree, it could lead into forms of social credit systems. So therefore, my question again to everyone is, as someone who specializes as a profession in communications, we should be nudging people in our communities to, 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 I don't like the phrase, wake people up. It's very patronizing. But it's to try and do aspects of that where people, through their own day-to-day circumstances, go, actually, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm going to take a stand. And I'm a great believer that's four communities over the last three years. Last thing I'm going to say is as people from the COVID response onwards who have been bamboozled and scared because they're watching and reading the wrong things. There's people like us who are very aware of what's going on. There's people in the third community who want all this to happen, in particular the 1%. And then there's the final group, and it's the final group that we need to be focusing on, the silent majority. The people who know in their hearts that over the last three years this isn't right, but they don't want to make a fuss. But they They'll listen to what we're saying if we approach it in the right way. So my question to everyone here is, 
how do we solve some of these problems? How do we push back from things like the WEF and actually the agendas that are happening to take away a lot of our freedoms under the auspice of digital ID? So, okay, so so th- this is actually going to be a good transition to Mays because a lot of your points she brought up actually, and so I want to c- encourage everybody to uh, uh, leave the reply in the bottom right hand corner, hit that purple button because that's that's actually why we brought Mays up. She brought some fantastic points. Uh, and before we go to her, I do want to say go up to the top go into the uh, jumbotron or the nest, whatever you want to call it. Click on there resp- uh, and sign up for the newsletter as well. Uh, Mays, you brought up several good talking points here. Uh, uh, some of the things that James actually brought up were uh, smart cities, public pr- uh, private uh, partnerships and ESG. And I- I'd love to hear what you have to say on that. Thank you, Nick. And yeah, this is a great conversation. Um so just some helpful nuances. I think it's important to, to know that globalization and globalism are a bit different, right? Globalization is happening. The interconnectedness, the interdependence of countries, the cooperation, the, um, you know, flow of data and, and, you know, the, it's just, it's, it's, it's happening, right? But what's also happening is that there is some sort of, uh, like let's just say plan of governance that is taking shape without our consent, without our, without um, us being a part of, of the changes and, and decision-making. So, and I think that there's many paths to be able to kind of get to this ideal globalization, but the one that's drawn out for us is not um, necessarily, I would say um, conducive to everyone benefiting from it. It is definitely going to Please, take advantage can I ask a question? Sorry, Mason. Am I yeah, working? Because I've got sure. a, okay. So, so, so you said globalization, globalism. Can you define very briefly the difference between the two? Well, just the the nuances is you know globalization is like the um, increasing the interconnectedness, kind of moving around data and trade and and okay. you know so in in globalization it's it's like being able to even um, let's say manufacture you know things in countries where it'd be a lot cheaper that would impact you know the 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 countries that are already developed the middle class that is creating those same products but that would calibrate right eventually over time but what we're talking about right now is kind of more of an ideology of how things should be in terms of efficiency so with the amount of the the population as it's growing there you know moving into a digital transaction system. And, and you know what, James was on point. Like everything that he said is exactly correct. Um, there's just a lot of uh, implications around that, right? So a lot of the policies that are being pushed, you know, with the veneer of, of climate change and all of that um, is getting pushed down through these ESG. So if you imagine veins kind of going around the whole planet, <laughs> Um, you know, that's kind of the ESG. It's a scoring system, right? It, and and anything that goes against or doesn't necessarily align to net zero would be adversely impacted. And then that also adversely impacts their ability to get funding um, and investments. They, they, you know, so this is um, being adopted um, right now. So we're in full implementation mode of the 2030 agenda. There are C40 cities right now that are being created. I don't know if you guys have heard of the C40 cities, um, but these are the smart cities where they're going to be aggressively pushing a lot of 
the 2030 agenda, which is also the smart cities consumption intervention. Um, so by 2030, they won't be ha- they uh, the consumption of meat and dairy will be zero. The private uh, ownership of cars will be zero. The number of outfits that people can buy per year is three per person. Um, these are the this is the type of stuff that I really want to highlight because guys, we're actually positioned very well. Um, in this because the last great reset. They did not have the same opportunity that we have, right? We have an opportunity to research, to connect on platforms like this and discuss, and to effectively, like James said, kind of in our own life, there's going to be unique types of um, opportunities that surface where we'll be able to grab the wheel. But talking so, about- So, Maze, let me ask you real quick. I want to ask you, yeah. it, the, the Agenda 2030, is that a World Economic Forum initiative? It is. It is. So there's, it's, so there's. It's not. We already refuted that earlier on. It's not. It was a. It was a video that was released that was written by an individual. Uh, was created by an individual MP, a Danish MP, I think. It was a theoretical theory about what what could the world look like in 2030. It okay. is not. Oh. Okay. Let's let's, let's do, Actually, yeah, I'm, I'm it's, curious. It's a conspiracy oh, okay. theory that has been. Yeah, it's a conspiracy theory. Let's go through it. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Okay. Years. I'm going to go through it. And Prodigal, I know you've been waiting for a while patiently, which I'm very uh, ex- uh, happy about. So I'll give you the mic shortly. But uh, sorry, Nick, just quickly. So, Nick, can you go back to your question? Can you ask it again? Because sure. I want to really dig into this. Can okay, ask so, your question so again? Means you were referring to different initiatives in, in, uh, in Agenda 2030. And, and maybe we've talked just a little bit about it. But is that an initiative from the World Economic Forum or is that a third party which initiative? Which, which initiative? Uh, well, well, she was mentioning, you know, about transitioning away from uh meets and uh and you know moving towards smart cities and such and attributed that to agenda 2030 and so that's what i want to know is that okay so agenda so so let's ask the first question maze very briefly i want to go through the thought process because i was touched on a few times what is agenda 2030 for the audience because the space did crash we do have a new audience what's agenda 2030 and by the way while i do this while i go through this exercise i want everyone in the audience i want to go through the comments Give me your thoughts on Agenda 2030 as we go through this thought process. I want to see where, where the audience is going to be at. But yeah, please, Mace, can you explain it very briefly? And I want to go to Sam with, a, yes. with another question. Yes, and I think it's very important that we understand that th- this is all a part of the Sustainable Development Agenda, part of the UN. It's a strategic partnership. We're not, I'm not talking about the video, Sam. I know what you're referring to, and I understand you know, how that was kind of uh, suggested as by, you know, not necessarily a mandate, but no, there is definitely a 2030 agenda. Um, and I can, I can drop some links in the chat for you guys. And so, um, this is kind of, uh, you know, they're calling it a way to be able to solve for poverty and hunger and, you know, create productive employment and, you know, education and, uh, universal healthcare. So coverage. Maze, Maze, what's the, what's yes. the concern it's a that UN people agenda. have? It's a UN agenda. Uh, okay. Just, just what's, and what's the, why is it so, why is it so polarizing? Why people have concerns with the 2030 agenda? What, what particular points are concerning for people? And, and that's a great question too. See, I think that there's a lot of these things that we would want as a globalization, right? As a society, but they're the way I think that the globalism, the idea, the ideology that the way that they're paving the path there is not necessarily, and that there's issues with that. So for instance, like I said, the, the, um, consumption interventions, the just determining that the best way about, okay, the private public partnerships is literally um, the most dangerous, and I can I can break that down for you. That's just going to take a little bit more time, so I'll just pause kind of with the nutshelling. Um, but the private uh, 
public partnerships, the um, the smart cities where literally the Internet of Things is going to network in everything from your car, your toaster, your watch. And then what they're talking about, including our biosensors. This is very openly discussed, by the way. I'm not trying to be, a you know, they're talking about biosensors that would be able to kind of connect and be layered in to the Internet of Things. And they call it okay, actually... So, so- but so, the, sorry, yeah, sorry, Miss. I should can, can I finish finish your point. No, no, no. I interrupted at a bad time. I continue finishing your point. Then I'll, I'll I'll go to Sam. Go ahead, continue. I just I think that there's a lot of um uh, the the ideology I think is just a bit flawed in how we can achieve globalization. And so the 2030 agenda that they have um, literally been under yeah. full implementation is um, very uh, technological. It's radicalized. Tech, it's radicalizing technology. It's, it's, um, it's, it could lead to more inequality, more centralization of power. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. absolutely. Okay, I understand. And, and by the way, just for the audience, again, comment bottom right. Let me know what you think it is. And we're talking about Agenda 2030, Initiative 2030, whatever you want to call it. And, and I do want to go to – I want to get everyone's perspective on this, including you, Brian, if you don't mind, and Protocol and James. Uh, Sam – so you were you, you quickly snapped at when when they made oh Dr. Dinesh is here. Uh, you you responded pretty abruptly when they said this is an agenda by the World Economic Forum. You're saying it's an agenda by um it's, by a, it's a UN it's a UN, UN agenda. Okay. So but why focus, is it why yeah. but I, I when 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 I saw the amount of uh, criticism earlier in the comments, I'm like holy shit, this must be something really bad. It's something good with negative. In, with negative repercussions. Is that a fair statement? And Progo, you probably disagree on that. So I'll go to Progo right well, look, after. I've, I've shared it, uh, Mary, I've shared it in our chat so you can actually pin it. It's a, it's a big old document. Um, it's, you know, the main points are, yeah, these are just buzzwords. People, planet, prosperity, peace, partnership. Okay, so I get their buzzwords. They're resolving to end poverty and hunger everywhere, combat inequalities, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we, we keep going back to this thing about technology, and I think it's misunderstood. It's interesting, um, you know, we've obviously had Elon on this basis before. One of Elon's goals, one of the reasons that Elon is, is trying to create robo-taxis and autonomous vehicles is so we can have far less vehicles on the road, ironically, as someone who is making a lot of money selling cars. Um, and yet we're, we're painting it as some kind of evil agenda. You can't own a car. That's not the agenda. And it's the same with anything like this. It's like, let's let's take a, an agenda that, that I hate to say this as, some you know, whatever people want to assume my politics are. I don't believe the UN have got to go and go, let's fuck everybody in poor countries and let's ruin it. Let's control everybody. Let's take everybody's cars away. I don't believe the UN have done that. I believe the UN have said, look, we want to end hunger. We want to stop wasting the globe's resources. We don't need two billion old cars on the road because well, technology Sam, is going to combat Sam, this stuff. Sam, technology is going to combat this stuff. That's what uh, Sam, is, is we should be embracing Sam, technology. Sam, I, I'm, good, I'm just going to have to disagree with you there. The UN may say all these nice things. They may have all these nice claims, make these nice promises. But guess what? Look at the results. Just look at the results. That's all Ian, I'm going to say one thing. Yeah, you know, no, I, I want to go to you. I'm actually going to go to you next, I promise. And my question to you, Protocol, is um, would you agree with the statement? And I know you probably have a million things in your mind. I know that for a fact. So you, we'll get to the other points after, I promise you. But on this particular point, Protocol, just this point, would you agree with the statement that the intentions could be good? But the implementation is what's concerning. Is that a fair statement? I don't think it's a fair statement, and I'll give one example. It's come out recently that ethanol and biofuels actually cause more environmental harm than good. Germany was literally begging Biden to give a biofuel waiver that would feed two to three more billion people across the world. 
He refused. And that was for climate change. And they're still doing it. You look at this and you say, how are we going to change it? In the U.S., we can't. They're using regulatory capture. They directed the SEC to get all public companies to disclose their climate emissions. They're not renewing nuclear facilities licenses. They're closing down coal plants. And in California, they just closed down four hydro dams, which are the most cleanest possible energy source that powered 60,000 houses in California households. So this is all full of shit. But these are (laughs) – okay. Okay. So to, to respond to what he's saying, Ian, Ian, yeah, no, Ian, you tend to agree a lot with what Prodigal says, but I do see that – and maybe I'll go to Denise on this one. Dr. Denise, do you mind responding to Prodigal's point? Because I, my yeah, take is – I don't know if nope. he's – is he like finding a few examples? Exactly. Um, it's not as, that – Mario, the, 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 go the ahead, problem Ian. is they claim something's clean, but it's actually dirty, right? And we see this quite evidently in the way that they have rebranded oil, as in fossil fuels, right, you know, gasoline, as green. Seriously, they call it green now. Like, how is how is how are fossil fuels green? They're not. They're absolutely not green, and yet they're calling it that because they want to meet their ESG goals. It's a stupid. It's a stupid label. That's all they're can, doing. Can you it's- expand on that, Ian, so we actually understand what you're talking about? I'm talking about in Europe where they are uh, drilling again. They're doing the fossil fuel thing, but they're saying it's green because they have the, failed Europe, thus far who, to meet their ESG goals. Who's saying it's green? The governments. The, the, the who, which government? Europe has 27 governments. The European Union. The European Union, yeah. <laughs> so, so the European Union are saying that... I'm just, I'm, I'm just digging because I, I want to understand the context. Yeah, the European Union claims. says that uh, fossil fuels are green now. You, you see how why Greta is bad? So here's the thing. I agree with Greta that fossil fuels are not clean. <laughs> so, but the point is they're calling it green. They're saying it's clean and all that crap because they want to meet their ESG goals. You see how much of a sham this whole thing is? No, so, really so is this is this about, can I, Ian, you kind of implied what I was making, is that implementation is the issue here. Like, they're going towards a positive, like, they're aiming to do something good, but, he, you know... They're not aiming to do anything good. They're, they're aiming to make, to do anything that will bring them, the, like, the most profit. It doesn't really matter I think it's. I think it's a, it's a mix of both. I think profit... Well, some people, it stands yes. in the way of doing well, it. I think people, it, exactly. Yes, it's like a battle. It's like a battle between capitalism. Oh, not capitalism. A battle between profit capitalism. and greed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A battle between greed, uh, greed and doing things for the common good. That's, I just it's, see it's battle between both. I mean, okay, so, so here's, here's why it comes in, right? So people come with these ideas. They sound nice on paper, right? And that is where the whole common good argument comes from. The public good, the common good, whatever you would call it. But then afterwards, you know, the, uh, the companies, they get a hold of it. And they're like, you know what? How can we finagle a way to make profit out of this? So it, it, it really becomes a grift at that point. Like the Green Lobby, you know, the Green Lobby is uh, pretty notorious for this because they will literally shut, you know, lobby to uh, uh, state governments, for instance, in California to shut down uh, hydroelectric power plants, right? Like that is what they do. And then they replace it with like in- incredibly expensive and uh, uh, inefficient, uh, you know, uh, sustainable energy. They call it sustainable energy, but those are like, you know, like uh, your windmills, your average windmills, which by the way are produced in China. So, and, and they're produced of plastics and metals, you know, and, and sorry, not metals, like um, plastics and, and, and oil. So, what is sustainable about that exactly? It's nothing sustainable about it, but it has the branding of being sustainable. It's not environmental. And they're friendly. non-recyclable. It's a local yeah. environment. Like, they're I literally go, killing birds. I, 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 wanna, I see the audience. I'm going through the comments. By the way, Prodigal, you've got a lot of fans in the comments. Um, yeah, but, but I, I want to go. Right. But, 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 but Ian, uh, uh, you know, Mario, the one thing I want to say is, 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 is 
my dear friend protocol. I do want to go. I'll, I'll give you the mic again. Just want to go to Doctor Dinesh. Yeah. You've been waiting for a while. Please, yeah, and I'll give yeah. you the mic in a bit. Can you guys hear uh, Doctor Dinesh, good to have you back. Hey. Yeah, we can, All man. Right. Good to have so, you back. Um, I wanted to kind of go back to the original commentary around the UN. I think it's really easy to talk uh, to, to cherry pick specific items and specific initiatives. I will tell you of one of the initiatives that I personally was involved with that I saw completely change people's lives, specifically. The UN, after the earthquake in Kashmir, had a program called Skipper, which was Spinal Cord Injury and Paraplegic Earthquake Rehabilitation Program, where they literally helped women who were affected by spinal cord injuries, which if you know anything about Kashmir, you know, you know women with injuries are, are like third-class citizens. It's an awful, awful thing. And they went in, they trained them, they taught them how to do business, capitalism, actual capitalism, and they started honeybee farming businesses. And if you have paid attention, there was a lot of hoopla around it. And ultimately, they had these successful businesses in Kashmir. So we can talk about all the bad things that they do, but to try to act like the whole thing is marked and awful, I think is incredibly uh, limited in insight. Well, they help a small group of people. You just literally just talk about a small, tiny group of women. What about they are doing these programs when the United Nations stepped in? I think ignoring that is literally just speaking from one side. Yeah, yeah they worked wonders in Haiti. They've they stolen the autonomy of the East Timorese for the favor of the uh, Australian government. The Australian government is like the de facto rulers of East Timor, right? The people who live there, they do not have control of their government. It's all under the auspices of the Australian government. And the United Nations made that possible. Again, the, so no one's just to argue that oh, it's, it's no you know, it, it, there's like a net good or whatever. It's like well, that didn't really matter if people didn't have their freedom, does it? It just depends. My point is that we can argue about exactly. I think instead of just saying they don't do any good, which is what Prodigal kind of said. No, that's not. What no, we're I never about. said that. I never said that. What, what I said is you can't lecture me about the environment when the disposable mass you force the world to work take 400 years to decompose and destroy the ocean. If we want to talk about the environment, you have to look at it comprehensively. People ask, why are you bringing up all these other things? Because they're all connected. We destroyed the ocean with these masks, and now these same people are lecturing me, and they're saying, hey, switch your gas car with an electric car that takes 30 minutes to charge, and guess what? We're going to try to put a kill switch in. At this point, do you want that government having that kind of control over you? I'm sorry, I don't. And, and let's, I'm from let's Eastern be, Europe. Yeah, I don't be, trust governments. I'm sorry. Yeah, let's be let's be clear here. So, um, uh, and, and Dr. Dinesh, I mean, I, I don't I, I don't mean to demean what you said, and and I get your point, but but let's just understand something here. The comprehensive plans of internationalist government uh, agencies like the UN, in ways that I've claimed the WEF does, and sorts these sorts of things. There is something that's really forgotten in this process, that free government, where individuals have control over their lives, and they are not uh, subject to expansive government uh, policies that give special benefits to certain groups of people, whether that's a corporate, corporate interests or other interests, even, by the way, when it comes to welfare and stuff like that, too. When you have free government where people can make decisions, you have the best opportunity to expand liberty and expand economic uh, uh, growth and prosperity. We, we've seen this with all the negatives that have been going on in the, in the last uh, 100 years. We have seen uh, adverse poverty, I mean the worst of poverty, 
amazingly decreased, especially since the 1970s. And that has been a good thing. And I think that with all these organizations that say they want to do these good things, the best thing that can happen is for these organizations to stop so much doing things and let the people figure it out. Because when you have global trade that's based on free market principles largely, which it's not entirely, and we could have that discussion, but when you have largely free market principles taking place in global trade, when you have more and more countries that provide freedom for its citizens so that they can also undertake those. But Jim, things. aren't there any That's good for things? everything. Are there no, is there no Jim, these are the same people that try to institute apartheid under the force of combating COVID. Bill Gates, the same guy who did the vaccine Absolutely. rollout, gave us Common Core, which has set back American students decades. The pandemic lockdowns, lowest test score in history. You say, no, trust them. They have good catchphrases. The, you, there's been no accountability. Bill Gates is still at the forefront of this. And you're like, why does it not? Listen, I made what I am in America. I love America. It gave me social mobility. They are destroying it for people and Americans. And it's disgusting. If You, you don't see it because you're well off. I still care about the people. I want them to have opportunity. And when well, they lock this in, you're locked in it forever. You, I yeah. can afford it. Whatever they charge, I can buy the stakes. I can fly. It's not going to make a difference to me. It's going to make a difference to a lot of other people. So the same people who failed you and pushed all these policies, whether it's ethanol, whether it's the mass that polluted the ocean, whether it's Common Core, whether it's lockdowns, whether it's apartheid and their vaccine mandates, you're saying, well, why don't you trust them? Why should I trust them? Bill Gates is a guy who tried to call, cut out his partner, Paul Allen, when the guy had cancer, right? This is who you trust? Go worship your God. So I want to know what Dr. Dinesh wanted to ask me. I'll, I'll answer. It's a very answer. simple question, which is there's got to be a line where there are clearly some things that are public goods that the world should be coordinating to work towards. Do you not? Do, do you? Does everybody? What, what would those be, Dr. Dinesh? I'm curious. Uh, sorry, what was the question? Well, as I was asking, what would give me an example of one of those? I don't know. The flight to end world hunger. Uh, the well, flight, so, I mean, so these and biofuel waivers, it's done, hold game over, article, and ethanol. You know, yeah. My, my retort climate, to that, perhaps, Dr. Dinesh, I don't know. <laughs> so, Dr. Dinesh, my reply to you on world hunger is more economic freedom, not more coordination by governor, governments. The, the reality is, and Milton Friedman used to make this point, and I think very effectively, the, the, the reductions in poverty that have ever taken place in world history have happened because of free markets where individuals got to make choices where and, and, and where largely special benefits were not conferred upon corporations, which is one of my big problems with the World Economic Forum and its tendency to provide that and other things too. But when you have economic freedom is when poverty goes away. You don't get poverty reduced by throwing money at it, by providing a welfare program, and there there might be safety nets that governments can provide, and, and, and I might not argue with that on a limited basis. But we have taken extreme poverty, and this was an even worse problem in the 50s and 60s and 70s than it is now. We addressed world poverty by throwing money at it, by giving money to governments that never used it for their people, or rarely did, and often... Uh, enriching themselves wholly without getting to their people. But when people get to make the decision to try to build their own future, then they succeed much better than any government program can. I just fundamentally disagree. Yeah. I think there are some things where you need to have safety nets. 
You need to provide access. You need to provide access to, there are people out there that don't have, they're not born in a wealthy family and have the ability to do all these things. I think we need to give, so we're saying that we shouldn't have free schooling. We shouldn't have access to free food for people. We shouldn't have access to free shelter. I mean, we shouldn't have access to a climate that actually enables. I mean, we know that, that all of these things are critical utilities. I mean, I, I, I can't believe that this is actually even a discussion. Well, so, so Dr. Dinesh, my, so, let, so, let, me, let me respond Jim, to that. Dr. Dinesh, I have a, I have I a question to... for you, Jim. Jim, before you no, respond, no, Mario, can you just Mario, tell me? Yeah, oh, just sorry, ask this go question ahead, and then try to fix that. Go ahead. No, all good, all good. No, nothing. Go ahead, Jim. Okay, so, so uh, Dr. Dinesh, I, my response to that is then give then give political – or are you talking, Mario? I'm sorry. No, he's not anymore. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. So, Dr. Dinesh, my, my point then would be that um, when you give more uh, uh, political liberty – to individuals, then those things can take place. That's how those things come about. They don't come about because a government program said, uh, with someone on high said, okay, here, we grant this to you. I mean, I think it's significant that people go back and look at uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan's report to the Lyndon B. Johnson administration when he first called out the beginnings of an expanding welfare uh, programs in the United States and the effect it was having in, in in particular on the black family at that time. He was he actually showed the for, this is the former uh, US senator from New York. He showed in his study and he was he was a brilliant man. I disagreed with him politically on a lot of things, but the guy was brilliant. And he went and did the research necessary to show we've got a problem here and the welfare programs are contributing to it. They rejected him then he backed away from it politically later and didn't make as big a point about it. But this is something that we find in study after study after study, that government interventions are uh, – and I, I agree with you. Some safety net can be there. I'm not necessarily against that. But what I'm saying is if, if safety net is the answer – government safety net is the answer to all this, that's no good. By the way, school choice works. Better academic outcomes more availability to others. There's a lot that government does that it does highly inefficiently at the uh, harm of uh, of people who could otherwise make good decisions for themselves. Okay, so, so, so Brian, I know you've had your hand up for a while, so I do want to let you respond to this, but I, I also want to throw in a question here. Um, you know, we've heard a lot about the fact that, you know, there are a lot of countries that are still poor out there, and especially in, in Africa, um, and, and when it comes to globalization, the United States was founded on the idea that subsidiarity, uh, as in the uh, decisions should be made at the lowest level of government, is the best way to do it. And the United States, in a very short amount of time, has become the most successful country the world has ever seen. So how is the argument made that globalization and putting the power into one consortium's hand is the way to handle global po poverty? Well, so, so I, I, I do agree. I, I think that local government is super important. And, and I think I, I think in most cases, the most powerful and it, it it doesn't influence people outside that that sphere. Like for, I, I'd say it's like school boards. I think school boards are really important rather than than a whole than a state making a rule for every school in the state. So so I, I, I think in many cases, local government is very important. But at, at the same time. I don't think there's harm in 
nations working together for common goals and sharing information, sharing technology, and and trying to work for a better good for everybody. It, it doesn't have to be uh, po- total policy making. It, it it should be it should be things that they discuss and then they themselves vote on as a nation. I I, I don't I don't really agree on on a global vote. So like like I, I but, I, but I, it I seems like the entire idea behind the World Economic Forum is to these initiatives on the entire globe no so, so i i i i respect the world economic forum in that i think the sharing of ideas the sharing of of philosophies and and all that i i think that has tremendous value to to everybody i i mean there's never something wrong in people learning and discussing and better understanding each other i i do think that sometimes policy that could come out of these discussions that are forced on countries that that might not it, they might not be the best for. I, I think that can do harm. Uh, but I think overall, I, I don't have a problem with just just the forum in itself, where people gather, discuss, and and share ideas and share 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 their aspects of and their ideas. I think. Okay. Uh, so, so if I can, yeah, I, I'd like to share a short story. Okay. Sure. And I'll just share it anyway. Don't need your permission. <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. So when I was young, you know, maybe a kid, like 12, uh, heard about you know globalism, right? What 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 is globalism? A world economic form, a world government, you know, a one world government. You know, all these ideas are being thrown around. Obviously, a lot of people are talking about it even back then. But the possibility of losing a sovereignty. I had no idea what this meant, right? All I thought about as a child, right? And this is my child's mind. I thought, oh, it's kind of neat, you know, like the whole world, everybody deciding to vote, right? Like, so that I could have a, you know, like a, 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 a say in what happens in, say, I don't know, California, right? And some kid who lives in, or maybe not kid, but a person who lives in India uh, could have a say in what happens in Australia, right? Like a lot of people, they, they, they kind of still think like that, which is actually quite silly. The idea that, you know, a foreign country could have that much of an impact on somewhere else, right? And so no one's going to be happy in that case, right? That everybody's going to be miserable because policies, uh, you know, they have to be local. They have to be localized because you live there. Who better than you to know what's good for you, right? And so obviously I was opposed to that idea. It's a stupid idea, right? Now, the problem with the World Economic Forum and similar organizations, but particularly the World Economic Forum, is that it attempts to Turn that into a systemic thing through ESG, right? And that, and that's why that's like such, such a problem. So not only is it like, so obviously, you know, a bunch of people from India are not voting to determine policy in say Italy. That's not what's happening. Instead, what's happening is you have a bunch of corporations, a thousand or so, right? And a bunch of people who uh, like to envision themselves as masters of the future, right? They're the ones making these calls. They're the ones saying, you know, here's what would be good for like everybody, right? And maybe they're not even saying everybody, but what's good for them? What's good for their bottom line? Because that's where it really is. Let's not kid ourselves and assume that, you know, everything they're doing is altruistic. Maybe a couple of them are, but the corporations aren't there to be altruistic. They're, they're only... Uh, duty is to appease their shareholders, their, you know, uh, their, the, the people who invest in their companies. Otherwise, they're going to go bankrupt and there's no business left, right? So that's where their interest lies. And this interest does not, you know, benefit anyone anywhere, like literally nowhere. And so you, you can't just say, 
oh, well, maybe it benefits some poor people in Africa. Well, it certainly doesn't benefit a bunch of people in California who are now paying, you know, God knows how much money for their energy, right? Or people in the European Union who are have who have to do the same thing. Or even the, 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 the people in Vietnam who are getting slave wages uh, because their economy is so dependent on uh, foreign money, right? Now, if they had independence as individual nations, as sovereign nations, they wouldn't have to rely on the global economy to keep themselves afloat. They would basically succeed or fail on their own merits. It wouldn't be, you know, under the influence of anybody else. There would be no uh, certain, certain power to decide that, hey, you know what, we're going to uh, decide to kill this industry because it's not ESG-friendly. And by the way, sorry, sucks to be you. You know, five million people who don't have work now, sorry, sucks to be you. You're done. Your industry's finished. It wouldn't be like that. There would be more fairness and more equity, arguably, right? And one might suggest that, hey, maybe, you know, why don't we do something that's more equitable uh, for all these people? But that's not really the plan. It was never the plan. It's just it's just a pretty word, it's a pretty phrase. You know, it's, it's things that they, they put out there for their marketing spiel. But really, it's all about the bottom line. Let's be fair. You know, let's be honest about this. Sorry, I'm going to go to Caroline because, like, she's had her hand up for, like, ever. So, like, yeah, well, I was going to respond to your point, Ian, but if you don't want me to... I mean, I, no, no, I, Sam, well, you, I, you, well, if you don't mind, yeah, Sam, yeah, Sam, well, Sam if you could respond before Caroline. I mean, Sam, respond first, balance it out. Again, please. it's like we give these examples, so we just give these examples and then we brush past them. Like, why, why California energy so high? You know, because of runaway inflation, because of deregulation. Because they closed the nuclear plant and four hydro dams. Yeah, um, but I'm saying it's like, but they have a drought because they the haven't built a reservoir in decades, and their population has tripled. And what has this their own forest managers have This is a local. This is a local government problem. They deregulated the industry, and and it, and it has destroyed the industry. This has not got anything to do with people in Davos having a conversation. This has been going on in California for 30, 40 years. It's led to this point. And it doesn't help that they're getting record temperatures every year. But, of course, half this panel are going to deny that there's climate change, even though the statistics say there is. So this is the problem with these big spiels, because we can make a whole load of points. And unless we actually go into these points and take each one apart individually with evidence and say, well, look, it's not the world. Sam, yeah, but I'm just making the point here that, you know, every time we don't seem to back enough of stuff on this conversation up with evidence. We just make statements and then we move past them and expect everybody in the audience just to accept them. That, you know, what's happened in Davos over the last 20 years is why energy prices are high in California. That, that's that's just not true. And, and anybody with any understanding of the economy in California. It's all of the above. It's happened. not mutually exclusive. It's not when it's the same players with the same goals. It's not mutually. It exclusive. The same yeah, they might have a nice California party in Davos, but ago. I read their white papers, their NGOs and think tanks put out and it's all the same shit. You think people aren't reading these think tank papers. You think they're not reading the policy papers. We are. And all these people are part of the same clique. Yeah, it's not just the WEF. It's the same NGOs. It's the same bullshit. So that's what you're leaving out. And I'm sorry, you can't point to California's situation and say, yeah, closing that nuclear plant was smart. Yeah, closing those four hydro dams is smart. Yeah, these it's, were local it's decisions. Not, it's not this was decentralized. This was decentralized. This, this wasn't a centralized decision. This wasn't the, the man, you know, controlling the earth from his sinister castle, you know, which is what everyone seems to say. It was executive was power local... from politicians who aligned with these goals. It was from the federal government under Biden. It's from Newsom. These people are part of it. They yes, love it. They you love think it. California's problem is, is, is a result of the last three or four years of policy? 
It's absolutely I think it's not. made it Everybody worse. I think it's made it yeah, worse. Like, no, I think like, it's decades long. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Just, just like I think Germany deciding to shut down half of its nuclear energy made the situation worse. They had to do a U-turn. I think it was a big problem. Why do you think France did a 180? It's going to build 17 plant, nuclear plants over the next couple of years. Why did the U.K. backtrack on fracking? They're trying to hold this together with toothpicks and bubblegum because they made their investments in this technology and this push, so they have to. They have a lot of favors that are people are calling in, and they're doing it at the same time. They're allowing Ukraine to go on. That's worsening the whole situation. So you know this. You're an investor. You're a smart guy. So I, I, I cannot believe yeah. you don't know these things. Yeah, so, so Sam, I do want to make one point before we go on to Caroline. I do want to say that, you know, while you made the characterization that a lot of people on this panel are climate change deniers, that's not necessarily true. But a lot of the argument has to do with the fact that they don't want these policies to be forced on them, especially with technologies that aren't ready yet. There's a lot of a lot of push from the World Economic Forum to say that we need to move to windmills and solar and and you know all of these but because these evolutions take decades Nick. and if we don't they start, if we don't okay, start doing it do... now we're going to run out of time people are just well, ignoring sure, the science don't... they're ignoring the data they're ignoring every the world has consumed more na- more so coal this problem. year than we should be using more power not less i'm just saying you know we should right. be using so, more but... power not less the the more we start consume forcing technologies that aren't ready exactly. to go yet on the world we cannot afford to to Actually, that's not that's not the plan, Nick. Countries. That isn't yeah. the plan. That's that's we misleading. Should be, that's not we should the be plan. using the more is, power, not less. More energy. Is, more nuclear power work. plants. The plan is we should have more nuclear power plants, goals. not less. The, not fewer. I, I you know, nuclear like, power. I 100% agree with nuclear power. Good. good. I, you know, we're on the same page as that. And my my frustration is that they're saying that nuclear power isn't green enough. It doesn't fill the fulfill the ESG goals because you know the climate law. You're right in what you said earlier on. The EU actually just ruled that nuclear and natural gas are deemed green energy now. So, you, so well, you're right, they, they just deemed... You're right, they it took them long enough. They should be against, right, against what the climate lobby wanted because they're unhappy due to the fact that their bottom line is now affected because people are going to buy fewer windmills in Europe, right? That's the issue. So, and, and you can see how they tried and succeeded for so long to brand nuclear energy as a bad thing. They said it was dirty. They said that, you know, all they yeah, had... Yeah, but the issue, the issue is that the war you know? in Ukraine has changed the, has changed the picture, you know, because... Has. Been... They had to become more realistic. They couldn't. They couldn't be depending on Russian oil, cheap Russian oil, for this entire time and expect to succeed. Here's the thing. So here's the thing. In order for all of their little climate agenda goals to succeed, they need clean energy, right? Oh, sorry, they need cheap energy. Okay, they need cheap energy, and the only way they could get that was through Russia. Now they kind of fucked themselves when they decided to sanction Russia, and then decide to, you know, do a little backtrack there and start buying Russian oil through China. It's too expensive, but they need that oil in order to survive. This is where they screwed themselves up. They thought, hey, you know, we can screw the Russians and we can totally go ahead with the uh, sustainable energy stuff. But turns out the technology sucks. And they the truth is, in it was a perfect, economy. it was a perfect storm because in COVID, lots of refineries shut down, and you can't just switch refineries back on the supply chain died this this is a much bigger picture it wasn't just russian oil russian oil this is a huge picture and you this know i predicted that oil was wait, wait, several years it. ago and, and exactly it, it played out exactly how a lot of people predicted that post-covid there'll be a massive spike in oil demand or just going back to normal but the issue was the infrastructure died during covid so it's not as simple as just saying it's russian oil in fact the green initiatives were going in the right direction and yet yeah, because COVID the energy screwed everything was cheap up. How much did Germany spend on wind energy? They wanted to reach a 30% target. What did they actually reach? You should know this. 
I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, no, but it, it was... got to the point <laughs> where Germany could... <laughs> well, well, I shouldn't be talking. Well, I'm sorry. I got to say, Sam, like, like it's just fun because, you know, it, 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 everyone's got to get challenged. So I've, I've told people for a long time, I used to, and I, I probably mentioned it to you, but I, I, I used to sometimes more on Facebook back when it used to be like a decent platform. I used to block conservatives more than I would block liberals who were beating up on me. Uh, unless a li I got with a liberal and I was just engaging with them and they just were being a jack. But I just saw some conservatives like, what are you doing? You don't even know what you're arguing about. And so what, the, so what I would try to explain to people is when you get these arguments going, you have your argument. You're passionate about what you think. But what you need is to polish off the rough edges. And the way you do that is engagement, not just sitting back, everyone, you know, patting each other's backs. It just doesn't work that way. And we never get to anything that's useful in the long run. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's you know, Jim, I didn't even know I was a liberal until you explained it to me about a week ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, I don't have politics. I don't vote for, I don't, I can't, I voted like a conservative in the UK then. I voted for uh, Tony Blair's Labour and that turned out to be a disaster. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have set politics and that's why I love these debates. And I tend to like play devil's advocate a lot on this, on this spaces because somebody's got to, you know. But, uh, but you guys have taught me a lot and, and, and I've actually shifted my opinion on quite a lot of areas, believe it or not, but I'm still going to be here on this panel to push back. Yeah, Sam, I'll, I'll give you one more area. <laughs> if you look at studies coming out now, these super solar farms are raising the temperature a couple of degrees. They're about to destroy the entire world as we know for 2.5 degrees Celsius. Go look it up. They have found this out. This tech, most of this tech that they're putting in is non-recyclable. They're strip mining the earth. I'm not against this. We can transition. I will look it up because I look everything up, man. <laughs> look it up. This, uh, you want me to? No, I, I can will. DM I you a couple of I will because anytime, anytime anything comes up on these on these spaces that I don't, I'm not aware of and I, and I don't know about. I promise you, I go away and I, I read up on it and I, and I change my mind if I'm wrong. And I've, I've said to this to to the group here, you know, loads of times I was wrong on that or. I acknowledge that or whatever. And I think this is what's so great about these these spaces is that we've got a bunch of guys who, yeah, and girls, obviously, who respect each other but disagree so much on so many things. I mean, Speaking we were literally... girls, we should let Caroline speak. She's been waiting forever. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, crash. Caroline. I'll be quiet now. No, y'all are good. Um, I was disappointed when I saw Brian drop off because Brian and I don't agree a ton. But I thought that um, what he said earlier was good. I agreed with what... I agree with what uh, most, I agree with most of what you said, sorry. Um, but I think we just arrive at fundamentally different conclusions. I tend to fall on the side of like, what's going on at World, World Economic Forum is dangerous in, in terms of a centralization of, uh, of power. And Sam, I agree with you in that um, we have to be careful in making sure that we are going through all of the facts. We have a good understanding of um, the effects of decisions that are made. And I actually think that that hits on the concern 
is that in the United States, we have a government where we are able to make decisions at the lowest level of government quite often. And what that results in is this experiment of, hey, if Georgia like super cares about um, going green or California super cares about going green, which in many ways they claim to, um, that we have these little experiments to show whether or not those types of things can be successful. And so when you have people that are at the very top levels of government, of power, of business, and they have all of these grand ideas that they want to execute onto the world um, with, very little, with very little evidence of showing that they will actually work and work at scale, um, that is frightening to most people. And I don't think that that criticism or fear um, is unearned. Um, so I think I, I, I definitely agree with both of you on some points. I just think that we arrive at very different conclusions, if that makes sense. No, it right. doesn't make sense. So what's, what's the, okay, so let's, let's go to the other side. What is the alternative? Because do we believe that global issues do need to be discussed by corporations, for example? Should corporations that are clearly very influential be involved in global discussions because they have a huge effect on our lives day to day. They employ millions of Trust people. Trust bust cetera, them first. So, I believe they're... I believe that they do, but I think that when there's a di- the nuance is really in what is being discussed and whose interests are being furthered. Oh. That's really Perfect. the issue. Perfectly said. Right. And, and is this actually a discussion? Or is this a, a, a something that is that influences policy? Because when Correct. it comes to the like the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed in the U.S. Uh, that doesn't actually reduce inflation. It's kind it's of a joke. The opposite. In fact, it's Correct. the opposite. Yeah. yeah. It was discussed even at this World Economic Forum this year in Davos. It was discussed as a climate change bill. That's, mm-hmm. it, that, it, that's, that's what it, it is. That, exactly. And those 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 initiatives that were put and mandated into that bill were developed partially in Davos last year. Oh, yeah. So, Speaking uh, of which, the omnibus bill has about $300 million that's going to something called the Climate Change Corps. And that was the thing that was brainstormed at Davos, just so you know. Right. Well, and I think another another piece of this is just watching the people at the very top make decisions that are incredibly inconsistent with the values that they purport to have. I mean, we watched that happen throughout covid you watch Nancy Pelosi, all of our, you know, old decrepit leaders in government who are telling us about this virus that's going to kill everyone, most particularly old people. And you see all of them going to their parties without masks and, you know, drinking and hanging out together. It's like, if this virus was so scary and deadly, why are some of the most important people in our government, uh, you know, rubbing elbows and pretending like, you know, like life is normal. Yeah, but she had I mean, to bankrupt that... that hairdresser. I mean, she had to bankrupt that. <laughs> <laughs> she she had, that was a hit job on that hairdresser. It, was it really terrible. was. I think that woman yep. had to move. She did. Yeah. Yep. Democrats and, are crazy. And, and so back to that point, we're talking about subsidiarity. Zimbabwe does not have the same problems that the that 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 France has. So Caroline hit on that point a little bit, and but I do want to bring James back into this because he's pretty well versed on these issues. What have you thought about this over the past, you know, I guess ten fifteen minutes now? <laughs> Um, I've had it on in the background because I've been trying to sort about various other things in my life, but I think I love these spaces debates because 
I like the forum where people can disagree and largely it's done respectfully. And I think this has been another endorsement of this really great feature on, on Twitter. Um, and while I was talking earlier about I'm concerned about the entrapment of technology, lest we forget that actually technology is a double-edged sword. So it's pushing us down the sort of dark and alleyways of control through central bank digital currencies, smart cities, the response to COVID and so on. But it's also giving us more freedom of information. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. I know a lot of the tech companies have suppressed a lot of messages over the last couple of years. Twitter has freed up a bit because of what, what's happened with Musk. And that's great. We're getting both sides to debate. But if we look at, and I think this is part of the problem, you know, there's always been the elites or the parasites, or whatever you want to call them, since, since the start of civilization. But most people didn't know the, the roots of evil and what was going on behind the scenes until now, because we have this technology to debate and unearth things. And COVID was a perfect example of that, whereby, you know, I was, I was against lockdowns and the responses from the summer of 2020. And it was a difficult position to take. And I'm sure many of you were the same on this group. But then the data started stacking up on the collateral damages. And we could disclose that data and share that data through technology. So it is a double-edged sword. The technology that we have in front of us through social media and so on allows us to form all these new partnerships and collaborations to get the messages out there. But at the same time, it's also a massive concern about where we're going to go with that technology, in particular the entrapment on what seems to be a very coordinated set of agendas on net zero, on the response to COVID, the vaccine rollouts, and also um, the monetary system. But going back to the purpose of this entire group of why we're all here, the WF for me, it's a poster, I think it's a poster boy for everything that's going on. They're not setting the legislation, but they are nudging the agenda because they're getting everyone in the same room together, whether it's, you know, it's to do with the corporations involved, the um, political actors involved, um, and the technocrats involved. And so I, I think the WF has gone from largely a policy shop back in the 1970s to something that is now um, done for the, right mo the, the wrong motives because it's pushing agendas for the best interests of the people who are actually at Davos. And those agendas are not for the majority of people. The, the majority of people are really struggling right now because there's been a massive surge in inequality between the super rich versus everyone else. You know, if you look at the UK, you know, homelessness figures are going off the scale, cost of living crisis, governments aren't responding to it, yet the governments seem more concerned um, to attend things like COP and, and the WF than actually solving the problems of society and communities. Our politicians, you know, we're supposed to own them rather than them owning us. But I think we've now got into a model whereby through corporations, billionaires, technocrats and governments, where it's become the sort of unelected, as I said earlier, George Carlin phrase, it's a big club where they're serving each other. And you throw in, um, you know, the media into that cycle as well. And meanwhile, everyone else is looking at this aghast saying, well, they're not solving the problems for me. They're not solving my energy bill or they're not solving my 
you know, the problems I've got my business since the pandemic. And so we've now got this elite that are doing one thing in one room that's serving themselves. Meanwhile, everyone else is going, hang on a minute. What's happening to me? And while I think the pandemic was a lesson in huge amounts of mass subservience, and I'm worried about bank banking currencies, people just thinking it's convenient. I do think, and this is the hopeful message here, I do think more and more people are going, actually, this isn't right. And we need to do something about it. And it comes back to the question that I said earlier. This, this space has been really enjoyable. But between all of us, we need to go from all, all our concerns of which many of them are valid, to actually implementing some solutions to try and move the dial a bit further to get more and more people on our side. That's that. That's the question I want to ask everyone, is how do we do that? How do we spread our wings even further in terms of how we communicate our concerns into direct action? So eventually we end up getting rid of the individuals in government who seem more concerned with corporatism rather than serving the people that the people who elected them and effectively the people who pay their wages. Okay. I'd like to put a pin on this because we're ending the space very shortly. So I'd like to get comments from every single person up here. You know, I'll go one by one and I mean, you can, you guys can figure each other out um, in 20 words or less. What's your takeaway from this conversation? Uh, Nick, why don't you go first? 20 words or less. I'll just use a bunch of them there. Um <laughs> Let's see. Um, World Economic Forum. Um, That's your 20 words, man. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> Prodigal. 20 words or less. Oh, come on. Trust bus. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. I'll, come on. Okay. okay. Let Nick, go, go first. No, no, Seriously. No, we'll just say real quick. I think there's a big discussion that obviously we've had tonight that it's very important that, you know, at least think about, especially over the next year before they gather back again, is it important to give power to one consortium or should we leave it at a localized level? Which one is more impactful and more beneficial to the entire world? I'll leave you with that question. Okay, that's a great question. And uh, if you guys have any answers that you'd like to you know, put in there, you can click the bottom right. You know, it's a little button there that looks like a little chat box. And tell us what you thought of this uh, panel or, or what Nick asked. Okay, uh, Sam, I'd like to go to you next. Thanks, guys. Yeah, um great debate always um i mean my my thoughts are if if you have global problems um you know it's important to address them you know in a global forum um i but you know i I do get people's (laughs) i do i do get and respect people's concerns that there's this concentration of power etc etc but the reality is the people who are attending they do represent you know their their countries or they represent a company that maybe employs hundreds of thousands of people, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we just need to keep an open mind that, you know, that, that all these attendees are not evil human beings. And it, there is quite a possibility that some of them actually do want to do good for the world. Um, and I also think there are some who are probably selfish and, and want to make millions of, of dollars more for themselves through influencing policy. So I just think we just, for me, we need to be balanced overall in our understanding of human nature to not just assume that this is an evil organization. Um, but beyond that, you know, I think it's been a great debate and I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, Jim, you're next. Yeah, I think uh, the, the number one point that I get from this whole consideration of the World Economic Forum is, well, not the number one, two points. First of all, that, um, you know, fine, get together, talk about things. Great. I love it. But here's the problem, that we have a fundamental misunderstanding that the best opportunity for success 
for human beings is that they have the freedom to pursue their own interests. And even the greediest bastard in the world who wants to become a billionaire, if he to be effective at doing that, he has to go build a product people want to use or service, and he needs to train the people in his corporation, take care of them well enough so that they can take care of those customers. At the end of the day, we don't need governments to help us get all this organized. What we need is freedom of people to pursue their interests and to do that effectively, it's the most amazing thing is they have to follow the golden rule because they have to think of others as higher than themselves. And no one does but, that. Uh, any, any, Jim, any, any examples? Yeah. I don't know if my mic is okay. Any examples it's of fine. that H- historically? What you just said now, we don't need governments for the world to, 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 to improve. Any historical examples of where, is that, the, 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 where that has worked for a prolonged period of time? Yeah, so – yeah, so actually, early America is one of the best examples of that because there, the you know even government was growing in the civil during the period of the Civil War and thereafter. It was a tiny, tiny government, and we even had economic downturns in the 19th century. But the 19th century in America is one of the greatest periods of economic growth and individual freedom in world history, and and there have been other times since. But I'm just saying. That time period where government was greatly reduced, where we were at constitutional levels in the United States, was a massive economic growth period. We became who we were to become by the end of the 19th century. And all of that happened because individuals, by and large, were able to make their own decisions without government telling them what to do. But there was a lot of atrocities during that period as well. Not not (laughs) a lot. Let's not ignore the atrocities. Huge economic growth based on exploitation, um, well, pillaging. So, <laughs> so Sam, Arguably. Sam, what I, no, no, no. So, Sam, I, 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 I don't disagree with your general point, but put it in context. And, and really that type of problem, which we're always going to have. Let's just be clear. 6,000 years of recorded human history proves the moral depravity of man. We are only ever good if we discipline ourselves. But, Sam, that problem really manifested itself in a serious way towards the very end of the 19th century in the very beginning of the 20th century, particularly after the Roosevelt administration, which I argue was a worse corporatist organiza- uh, 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 administration than what it claimed it was trying to stop, government started to give special benefits. We saw this in- uh, inkling into the Civil War contracts that corporations were getting go- and businesses where they were giving bad product to the for for the benefit of the army in, in the north, but it really got bad during the Gilded Age. But the Gilded Age was a problem of corporatism, not of individual liberty. So it was people taking advantage of that. There's always that risk, and we always have to pull that back as we can. And I'm still convinced, and I believe I can prove it in more time than I have to do right now, Sam, and we may do it privately or back in another space. That needs to happen, that we get back to reduced government. These big organizations don't secure people's uh, economic freedom and they don't get rid of poverty and they don't help society by and large. Organizing right. society, if you, if you look at the history of, of, of human development, Homo sapiens, 
the moments where society has been organized have been the moments of the most progress in society, not the least. And I would argue without society, we would not be where we are today. We would probably not have survived. So I'm just making a counter argument, Jim. No, no, no. It's great to debate it. No, listen, I agree with you, but I I have a different way to to say this. When, When societies are organized around the rule of law, where people, if they are harmed, have a way to deal with it, but also where people have that construct there where contracts can be uh, appropriately uh, held in bay. You know, these all these legal problems get taken care of. That allows the prosperity. That's the organization we need, not the kind of organization that's being envisioned by world leaders today. I, I'm in, in total belief that that will lead us down to more dystopian outcomes, if uh, maybe not always that severe, but certainly like that. And, and I would right. argue, I would argue that social media, what we've just gone through in social media that we're finding out about, that was the beginning of a potential dystopian period. And that's what we get when government gets more involved. People just need to make their decisions and they are able to prosper with mistakes, but they can prosper with the frailty of mankind as, as it relates to morality, but they can prosper. It always goes better when people ha- pay are able to, to uh, take all the benefits of the good decisions they make and also suffer, suffer the consequences of the bad decisions that they make. And if those two things happen, we moderate the whole process. People tend to come out of poverty and tend to do better. That's just my thesis. But I, I Sam, I think we agree Fantastic. more, but we just don't put the same spin on it, I think. Thank you. I think, Thank Jim, you what you're it's trying beautiful. to say is sufficient government is fine. Too much government is a disaster. Fair enough to say, yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I, I, agree, with, I agree with that as well. I, but but what, I, what I'm kind of pushing back on is... is... I think that we're going too far in assuming that the government are because we we said it repeatedly on this on this space the government are going to try to stop us from owning things that's that's just not true it's just not what's been said it's not it's not on the agenda it's 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 you know that's the point I'm making but uh, uh, yeah, I Paul, think we're trying to jump in there and say something I'm in Canada and if you talk to the back scene behind what's going on in Canada and the Canadian Parliament right now, they are trying to stop us from owning things. It's it's quite it, it's it's a walking disaster for what Trudeau and is going on here. And just just listening to to what's her face in make her speech in 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 WEF. Jacinda. Just, well, Jacinda. No, not just, Jacinda. Jacinda You're talking about the the, the, the uh, Deputy Prime Minister, Christopher yes. Freeland. Yeah, I, I, I can't even bring myself to say her name. But just just listening to it, just uh, just thank God Trudeau wasn't there because it, it's just I would have wanted to fly over and just you know oh just don't sit down and jump up don't and down. Yeah, but we'll anyway, do it in Minecraft. Okay, we'll do anyways, it in Minecraft. I'm, I'm sorry to yeah. sorry to interrupt, but but I have one other thing to add here. Prodigal, a couple of other couple of people have sat down and said, if you ever disappear, we will stalk you, find you, and haul you back in here, kicking and screaming. Don't give up. Don't get depressed. People here, I have not received messages from so many people when I get on stage to sit down and do something for the number of people that are clapping for you, Prodigal. So there, there you have, like, look at the hundreds that are coming up here and the support for it. Um, so we, we all applaud you and all the rest of the stuff. Anyway, that, that's not quite what I wanted to say when I, when I butted in here. So, Mario, sorry for butting in, but um, I, I just had to do that because I've got a government that is taking my stuff away and is blocking my bank accounts and is – is 
heavily into the CBD, CBCD stuff. Yeah, so Glossy, I, have a, I, have a, I have a question for you, man. Um, so so you, you have a government that X, Y, Z. Some countries don't have a government. And you look at those countries and compare life there in America, they would, they would lose a limb to get to, to Canada. What I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is a complete lack of government. Uh, uh, governments are there as a system that we've built over hundreds of years to allow us to, to survive as a species, considering all our flaws. Yet, government, too, too much government power, uh, too much government influence, that, that, that is not a good thing. No government is not a good thing. It's just finding that balance somewhere in the middle, and it's just an ongoing, nonstop experiment. And that's, an, that's where I had to step in and say something is sufficient is good, too much is bad. I, I have, you know, I live in Vancouver. I have more and more people from Mexico coming up here who sit down and laugh at the number of Canadians that want to move down to Mexico just to get rid of our government who's turning confiscational. It, and they just laugh at it and go, why? You know, I, I'm afraid of being kidnapped, literally being kidnapped in her own, in her own company. This is a lawyer who's moved up here. She's young. She's so afraid of being kidnapped. She comes to Canada to sit down and get away, and she's come within inches. Her business partner was, her business partner's brother was kidnapped, an uncle was kidnapped, and a number of other people. And she just said, "I'm too afraid. Come to Canada." And yet Canadians are sitting down and going down there just to get away from Trudeau and Freeland, just because of the stuff that's going on here and the convoy. And what people don't understand, even yesterday. Under the Trudeau government, we had another person who was involved in protesting against the government have get debanked. He was literally kicked out of Scotia Bank yesterday because the government sent down an order and sat down and said bye. So even a year later, a year after the trucker protest and they blocked the accounts, we still have a government who has the audacity to sit down and block bank accounts. And and the concern when people hear and they're coming for your guns CDs, too. Sorry, sorry, particle. What? And they're coming for your guns too now. Oh, absolutely. Oh, they're already oh, gone, right? Ab- ab- oh, yeah. I mean, the, the well, laws don't that get are into a gun we, debate now. Oh, we have two provinces <laughs> that are saying we're not going to enforce that. We got that. to four and a half hours, please. No gun yeah, debate. It's, it's just, anyway, that, that's another whole issue. But I'd like to get any... Caroline here. Oh, I mean, she has a couple of words to say, I'm pretty sure. Um, I just wanted to say I'm encouraged. My my takeaway from the night actually has nothing to do with World Economic Forum. I'm just encouraged that we're all here having this conversation. I am so glad that Sam and Brian and Ed's not here tonight, but Ed and Pialt, that he, um, that like all of you guys are here. And of the four that I mentioned tonight, I was able to find something that I agreed with each of you on. Um, and I think that's the beginning of a conver- of the conversation because sometimes when we get in these spaces, um, we're not even agreeing on like the premise or the facts. And so I think to, to just find the things that it's like, okay, this is what we can agree on. Here's my perspective on that. And I think that that's encouraging and I, I am seeing um, that these are being productive. So I appreciate y'all being here. I'm sure that it's uh, it's not easy when it feels like a room of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are disagreeing it, with you. It, it's great to like share different ideas, and and I think like everybody comes from a different, a different standpoint, and and like like I'm a I'm a tech optimist. I I think that technology can can really solve many of the world's problems, and I think we're headed into the fourth industrial revolution, and it's important that corporations and leaders of nations it's important that the powerful people that are leading us 
do work together, especially when it comes to AI. I think that's going to be important. And, and sure, you can take the other other side of things and say, what is the government going to do with with these technologies? And, and that's definitely an adequate concern. But at the same time, it's important that there are provisions and there's rules that we can all kind of st- stick by when it comes to some of these crazy technologies that are going to lead us in the, into the next two or three decades. I think there's a point that each and every single one of us can agree on, right? Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I, I can even yeah. agree with what Brian is saying now. It's like, you know, you government is not always the solution to everything, but um, we do have to find things that we can agree on because AI is coming whether or not we like it. So we do have to figure out how we're going to deal with that. Like, we can agree on that for sure. Mario, can I share a parting thought? Well, we're not parting, Aaron, but you can share a thought for sure. Oh, okay. I thought we were closing. Um, so setting aside whatever motivations uh, people at the World Economic Forum might have, I think one of the reasons that it draws a lot of attention from the public is, as I said before, it's Aaron, quite can you move your mic closer to you? Uh, yeah, sorry, uh, the World Economic Forum is quite literally representative. Um, and it distills, and, and its figureheads distill actual trends developing in in the global culture. The people are very hey, concerned. Hey, Aaron, your, your, uh, your, your mic is, is not... I, I, I can sort of hear him, Nick. Wanna... Let him go. Just, just be aware, Aaron, uh, to stay close to your mic. If if, if I can while well, he comes bit. back up, uh, so, I don't. So I, let's go. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this. To to say the world, world forum. Yeah, we, we can hear you, Aaron. I think the world forum is trying to lead trends. Aaron, go ahead. All right, so the World Economic Forum and let's say Charles uh, Klaus Schwab is a kind of distillation of a, a particular ideology that is both shaped by the people at Davos and also. Uh, uh, the historical developments that those people themselves are caught up in and probably trying to understand and trying to exercise control over. Um, whatever their agenda is, I think we can discern processes over the last three years that have been massively accelerated during COVID, both intentionally and unintentionally. We've seen the weakening of nation states um, and the strengthening of global powers. And once the fatherlands are gone, all that's going to be left are the great kind of economic organisms, which look more and more like fiefdoms, Um, these world-spanning corporations which operate like fiefdoms, with nation-states sort of acting as their instruments. I I think this is a a very broad and overly generalized, uh, you know, painting with a very broad brush but still accurate description of historical developments that... Oh, uh, looks like okay. Bricks, you have your hand up. Go ahead, man. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, my, my impression is that you look at the WEF, I, you know, I heard them, heard it said here that it's not that they don't want you to own everything, anything. 
And I, I completely, you know, I'm, I'm really, I am totally in the camp that that is what they want. They do want us to be serfs in the traditional medieval sense, S-E-R-F. They do want us to own nothing. They do want us to be completely without fiat currency, completely dependent upon electronic currency. And, you know, they have said what they want. In the future, you will own nothing with the promise that you will be happy. They have revealed their plan. They want us to own nothing. Governments are never, are not very good at giving things back to their citizens. Governments do incrementally seize power, however. They do ratchet up the screws. And, you know, when we're talking about whether it's better to have no government or too much government, I'd almost rather take my chances with no government. So if I've got an air on the side of caution, if I've got an air on the side of caution, I'd rather have too little government because you can make adjustments and go and go forward. But if you go forward too far, you cannot come back. Right. You know, even even in America, there are aspects of our government. There are freedoms that may never be returned to us. After 9-11, there are freedoms that our own government used to guarantee us and now aren't there anymore. So when I when I look at what their plan is, I believe what they say and they really but, do. But, but Briggs, the so they plan. didn't. They did. The issue, I, I respect a lot of what you said there, but the, the WF did not say that that has been misinterpreted deliberately well, by people to they, they didn't say it it was it was a theoretical kind of what could the future look like by an individual right. danish politician it was published by them along with lots of individual uh, conversations that were meant to right. sort of lead to debate it wasn't a I would policy, say that, it wasn't a mandate it wasn't on the agenda it was an individual well, politician and they shared the information this is the problem this stuff is taken it's expanded it's thrown out into social media it's mis it misleads people they never said this. This is not on their agenda. Well, they, they here's what they, they said: build back better, right? Uh, How have they been building what, back? Here's one thing they, they did say, though. I believe it's and... is it the vice president of the European Union? I forget her name. Who said that hate speech is coming to America? Well, hate speech is not coming to America. In America, we have illegal speech and we have free speech, and there is no hate speech here. If she thinks hate speech is coming to America, that's basically a declaration of war on our constitution that guarantees us Just free quickly, speech. Can you can, break can, you, can you can you hear me, Brixu? Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. You're, you're okay. So one. just yeah. so you know, guys, I've I'm, there's too many glitches in the background. If this crashes in in 60 seconds, uh, we will not start it again. It'll be a goodbye. If it doesn't, we'll keep it going. So uh, I just did something so I can finally speak and won't continue the technical issues. But Sam, I will let you push back on this, and we'll go to protocol because this is a a point that's constantly being mentioned, yeah. and that's a pretty extreme take on on something. It just frustrates me, man. It, it, and, and like the hate. The hate speech thing, again, you've, you've misinterpreted it. It was an individual European bureaucrat who predicted that laws prohibiting spe hate speech would come to the US. You know, this is the problem. You can't just say things that aren't factually correct because then someone like me will have to correct them on this forum. And, and I get loads of pushback because I do this constantly. The WF never said that they, they predict a world where there's no ownership. It was a it was a kind of thought bubble from a, a you know an individual, and it was something that they shared to lead to a debate. That's what the whole point of the forum is. It's about debating things. It's about looking at potential futures. So I'm not saying there isn't a, an agenda there. I'm not saying that that there aren't powerful people there who can make decisions and influence the world. And maybe we need to question that. But I think it's so important that 
that this trend of deliberately taking stuff out of context and turning it into a commentary that has now gone on for six years. Whenever anybody mentions the World Economic Forum, for the last six years, they are taking that information that was deliberately misconstrued and has now become a social media buzzword for the World uh, Economic Forum. And it never Joe, happened. And it's happened it's six uh, or seven times on this basis. Joe, Joe, before Protocol responds, I want you to go ahead because you've been waiting for a really long time. Yeah, hey, hey everyone. I've been listening in for like an hour, hour and a half, and I've worked for, I've done marketing for both electric companies and those who oppose um, things like the hydro plants. And some of the facts that are stated here, you have to realize when it comes to these things, a lot of it's perspective, right? Like Rick just said, he'd rather go to a place with no, he'd rather have no government than a little bit of government. Well, there's tons of countries with barely any government. Why wouldn't you move, right? If it's so much better. It's it's not true. It's perspective. Actually, actually, right? Brixie, like, I'll, I'll ask you a question. Sorry, Joe, I'll give you the mic again. You'll continue, I promise. But just on that, I want to ask you yeah. earlier, Brixie. So you said I'd rather have no government than, than the government we have now. So let, let's go through this. No, no. That's oh, not my bad. I said. Sorry. I said, I'd rather have, I said I'd rather have no government than too much okay, government. Okay, So let's, what's one country that has too much government at the moment? One. China. China's one. Okay. And, uh, so Brixie, yeah. another one. China, is there a Western country? Yeah. Is there a Western country that has too much government suit, in your opinion? Uh, some of the some of the uh, some of the Scandinavian countries are close. Okay, so well, let's. Okay. And England is getting okay, close. Let's use England. England's getting very okay. close. England with uh, thought police, and you can't pray silently on a street corner. That's Fair pretty point. close to okay, too much government. Which, uh, hold on. Well, let's try Canada, <laughs> yeah, guys. Australia. Okay, okay, perfect. So I, I lived in Australia most of my life. So I'll, I'll continue with this quick thought process. I'll go to Joe to continue his point. Um, so, mm. so Brixu, what's a country right now that has too little uh, government? Somalia. Somalia. Okay, good point, Protocol. Um, so, yeah, you can, pick, you can pick a lot of ones in Africa. There's some in Central America probably have too little. Okay, so just before – so everyone understands. I'm not – um, I'm not saying we need too much government, and there's a lot. Of, I've talked a lot about this, the concerns of too much centralization of power. But back to the point. So what I mean by this, Brixu, is just a, the statement you've made, and um, based on what you said now, is like I'd rather live in Somalia than 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 the UK. I'm not, if you, not sure if you've been to Somalia or countries that have very little government, but it's people from Somalia are trying to get into London. Uh, rather than the other way around. So the point I'm making is that it's, it, I agree with you criticizing too much government. Like, uh, by the way, you can feel free, even though I'm the host, you can agree with me, disagree with me, Brixu. But what I'm saying is that I agree with you too much government is bad. I'm just saying that a statement like I'd rather have too little government than too much government is – you could be right. Maybe it is better. It's just a – it's too complex of a matter than, than simplify it like this because based on the experiment we're going through right now uh, for the last few hundred years, too little government has been – you know has been – Mario, he's saying he prefers localized government that rules according to its people rather than a central authority that overrides it. That's what you're seeing in DC. Okay, that's a better. Okay, that's that's a better. Okay, now I understand. Okay, with that point, then I agree. In protocol, you always tend to smash me. You're pretty good at this shit. I swear. Uh, Josh, I really uh, appreciate you giving me the the mic. Go ahead. Yeah, about about perspective. Like we we all saw this like viral image that went around the internet. That was a turtle, a sea turtle with a straw through his head. And then all of a sudden, throughout the world, a lot of countries banned plastic straws. Like, I'm American, but I moved to Portugal, and now there's no plastic straws because of this one image. And straws cause almost no harm at all. And, and there's very little that cutting out all the straws in the world, plastic straws, actually reduce uh, um, or help the environment. 
And like Prodigal was saying about hydro plants, or either it's either Prodigal or Ian was saying that it's clean energy. No, hydro plants, and I worked against hydro plants. Um, hydro plants actually, some of them have more more methane emission than some coal plants, or or even um, uh, petrol with petroleum. It's, they're not good because when they flood the lands, the vegetation underneath begins to rot and it releases a ton of methane. This one has been of, operating for, for decades. It's already in existence, but continue. Yeah, but they've all, a lot of them have rolled back, right? Because when you actually analyze it, a lot of them are worse. And they're much worse. Even if you look at the entire carbon footprint, they're worse than the, than the, solar, the solar panels and the wind farm, right? Now... Yeah, Schwarzenegger Solar Project in California. How's that doing now? Have you looked at it recently? No, I have not. You should go check it out. You should really check it out. Product. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying they don't know how problem they do, but you have to compare. You have to compare it to something someone else. So, like example, I worked for an electric company that is doing natural gas, transitioning to natural gas. I saw the studies. There's no way for the entire world to go from petroleum to, to electric without having natural gas as a transition energy, right? You need to you need to transition to things. Things don't happen overnight. Trump didn't change America. Uh, Biden is not changing America. Things take a lot of time for it to change. Like trying to blame the economy on something Biden did a year in is absolutely yeah, would ridiculous, you actually... right? You... Well, well when, you're, when you're for war in Ukraine, and you're not unleashing American energy, and you're revoking nuclear power plants, and you're revoking a, a, a coal, the largest coal plant in, in Ohio because of an ash permit, uh, it's a problem, right? Well, this is a geopolitical issue. I mean, we're dropping a lot of bombs there. I mean, that causes harm to the environment. It's called being smart and looking at everything together. To say yeah, it doesn't affect... I agree with you. They, closed, the prodigal. They, they didn't renew the Palisades in Michigan. They revoked the renewal in Florida for nuclear... I mean, I could name all of them. You're an energy. You, you should no, know better than prodigal, me, so why should our, I tell you this? Our, are Americans for or against nuclear as a majority? They haven't been educated. I, I, I'm, I'm exactly. actually on the last thing. They haven't been I, educated. I, I think, they haven't been educated. I, I, I was just going to say, I, I think that nuclear is misunderstood because nuclear today is a lot safer, uh, incredibly safe compared to yeah, the nuclear. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah. 100% agree. But most, the reason they got rid of it is because people were against it. And no one wants a nuclear power plant in their backyard in America. Yeah, so but we all need to also recognize that the they were already of- operating, and DeSantis yeah. wanted it, and the people of Michigan wanted it. Whitmer didn't. I mean, people asked what you can do. I'll give my example, and I'll step down. You got to get involved in your local and state politics. You got to vote at the ballot box. And this is stuff I don't think anybody can disagree with this. You got to support politicians that want to trust bust big tech, want to trust bust big agro. We don't need Monsanto and Bayer as one company. Trust bust big pharma, trust bust corporate media, and any industry where a few multinational corporations control it, right? You got to break up the government bureaucracies in all the countries, in America specifically, the alphabet boys. You got to end regulatory capture because they're backdoing the Green New Deal through this. Stop bailouts of these multinational corporations where they socialize their losses and they get to will the government into bailing their asses out. Implement term limits, end the revolving door between big government and big business and lobbyists, and for the U.S. in particular, end Citizens United in dark money and politics. That's a start. I think everybody on the left and the right can agree about that. I know because I used to be on the left, and these were some of the issues in addition to anti-war. But, you know, bombs are eco-friendly, and, you know, we can't have straws 
but we can pass out uh, millions of, of needles so people can shoot up fentanyl and flood the oceans with disposable masks that don't biodegrade for 400 years. But what the hell do I, and we can, and for the environment, we can agree. Stop pollution of the oceans, stop deforestation and other stuff like that. And we can work on the bigger issues when there's an answer. But when you look at these models and climate change, not just in human history, but throughout the entire Earth's history, I want to know for a fact that this isn't cyclical. I want to know what type of issue solar is having on this. And I want to look and see, are we putting a Band-Aid on something that's not going to correct the issue while China and India, well, China alone pollutes more than the whole world and says they're not going to stop, Right. This is stuff we all can agree also on. Nobody's in, making these arguments. They're also leading in, in electric cars and sustainable energy. So it's, 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 this is the progression. This is the thing we all acknowledge. This can't happen overnight. It's going to take decades for us to, to, us to, to move to sustainable energy. Brick suit, did you? And you can't just ban, like, if, like you just mentioned Monsanto, and I can't mention all the other things. And probably I agree with a lot of things you say, but there's a limit. Like, there's, I'm American and I moved away. And there's one thing I learned about being American. We're very much just black and white and there's never any gray. Like Monsanto provides a good service when they I'm talking about modifying. trust busting. I, I'm not saying yeah, exactly. put them out of business. Okay. They're, they're yeah, too I big. With the, All these companies the are too big. Brick so, suit, do you want to jump in there? The hand up? Yeah. Rick Hand. Rick suit, go ahead. Gotta unmute yourself. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to talk about energy, and we talked to you know mentioned a little bit of nuclear there. Briefly, briefly, it's going to be brief. People need to realize that the type of nuclear plants that could be built today are not the same ones that are operating now. Those are the old first generation uh, pressurized boiling water reactors. There's a lot of new reactor technology that's a lot safer, a lot more efficient, requires less resources to construct and operate, and you know. That going forward, I think, should be the model. We shouldn't be, you know, so people think about nuclear power and they think about Three Mile Island. They think about Chernobyl. They think about Diablo Canyon. There are there are reactors that could be built starting, you know, next year with safety margins, orders of magnitude better than what exists today. And with that, I just want to say, and so there's a reason Sam and I are co-hosts, because we're actually friends, even though we disagree with other a lot. But actually, we agree on some things. And, we and that, I think, Sam, I think you'd agree with me. That's one of the great things about these spaces is we're getting that stuff in. There, There's information that flows through to people on both sides that really doesn't typically flow in, in recent history in our debates. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and these debates are so long that they bring up so many fresh subjects as we progress through them. So like people, I, I suspect people drop in and, and they absorb like an hour of, of information and then it can be a completely different subject. But we, you know, it's so powerful. I just on the nucleus thing, it's interesting. There was a there was a survey last year and it was very close. It was like 51 percent in favor of of nuclear. But that's actually less than uh, three or four years ago. So it seems that the U.S., the population are actually turning slightly against nuclear power, which, you know, and I think Jim and I both agree on, on, on nuclear power being, you know, essential as well. Is that right, Jim? Oh, I do. And, you know, there, there are a few applications, like I, I, if, if every part of the power grid could go nuclear that, that can reasonably do so, that would be a good thing for society. Everywhere. A question, Sam, Sam, Jim, question from the audience by Noor RC. By the way, everyone that has questions, bottom right corner in the purple, purple circle. A question from the audience is, what about nuclear waste? Nobody talks about it. So when you take a look at the fact that in France, 
was it really began the process of of getting this down pat. Like at one time, the last number I heard it was a few years ago. I haven't looked at it closely since, but I believe that they were repurposing nearly ninety percent of their nuclear waste. Nuclear waste is actually very compact and can be put in compact places and and relatively safely. I mean, it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. But the use of nuclear power is not only clean for the environment, and, and certainly in that regard, much better than coal. Uh, natural gas is pretty clean, but it's definitely much better than coal. And And so it would be good for the environment, and it's very efficient too. And even though there is nuclear waste, that nuclear material takes a long time to get spent. And plus, there are compact methodologies that are available now that you can go into a local community and put a small, safe nuclear generator, and and you can power things locally without having to build these big plants. So you can do a quick application. There, if you, you could probably replace upwards of eighty, ninety percent of the entire. Uh, electric grid with nuclear energy. There are some applications of other things that might work better, but you could certainly do that and you'd have a very efficient low cost energy too. And I think Sam, you probably agree with me that on that, wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, the, the ironic thing is the guy leading the, the clean energy trend, Elon Musk also agrees that we should have nuclear power. You know, yeah. so there's, there seems to be so few people, you know, in, in these positions of knowledge um, who are against nuclear power. And yet the population out there, is very much divided, almost 50-50. Um, and I think it's it's this fear. You know, I, I grew up in the 80s where, you know, we were scared of, of, of nuclear because of there was cellar field in the UK and there were disasters and things like this. But this was 40 years ago. You know, the technology has improved. Um, but, you know, right now, you know, the flip side of the argument is right now, Ukraine, there's this risk from the nuclear plants in wartime. So in an, in a, an unstable society, suddenly, you know, nuclear plants may become riskier, so we need to plan where But Sam, where you're are. from Europe, correct? And you've seen France do a 180. They're going to build, I forget, it's either 14 or 17. And now Sweden is pursuing it. In very liberal Europe, if they're realizing it, I'm sure the American public will, will wake up to it. I, I, I got to look for the exactly article. Right. Was, I think you're right. There was a very good piece, and, and Brixu touched on how little of the waste is remains. It can be stored on site. You don't need to use Yucca Mountain or whatever. This is this is doable, but we'll see. Hopefully, fusion comes around in the next 10, 15 years, and then this is all solved. Yeah, it could change. It could be a game changer. I think we've got a little bit of time, but it is amazing to see what's happening with fusion energy. But but Jim and Sam, would you would you agree, Jim and Sam, that the uh, the nuclear model followed by France is the one that the United States should adopt? I mean, instead of having GE builds this plant and Westinghouse builds this plant and General Atomic builds this plant. And they got one plant design that's standardized and basically all the operators know how to work them. Do you think that's a better way for America to go? That's a really interesting uh, thing to ask in the context of, of some of the debates we had about about centralization versus decentralization. And then suddenly when it comes to the safety of, of a nation, it's like, oh, maybe we should highly regulate this which i'm not i'm not pushing back or criticizing that but you know i think it's it's clear that you know it's it's better to focus on on one near perfect solution than it is to have multiple people kind of trying to do their best if that makes sense so i i do agree but i just think it's interesting in the context of of all the discussions we've had about there being too much focus too much control but i think when it comes to things like nuclear power we're all 
in agreement that we want it as highly regulated as possible. We probably want as much government involvement as possible to ensure it's it's safe and, and that there are rules about where you can put nuclear plants and things like that. So, yeah, I do well, agree with you on that. Surprisingly, I'm not quite in agreement with that, but I, I think we need to look at safety. I, I like the multiple design principle because the other application that we have not yet propagated in wide measure anywhere in the world are these smaller nuclear reactors. And I think it's going to take some some really uh, – it's going to take some ingenuity to do that. I mean, I'd love to see a guy like Elon Musk doing that in his company because it's engineers like him. Like he, like his brilliance is – he actually it surprises me how good a manager he is. But his engineering skill and ability to bring engineers together who can get these things done and empower them to do that, I think could be very useful. But Yeah, if, Jim, can I, can I ask you one thing? Because the Uranium yeah. One deal didn't help us out. And now Russia and China control the vast amounts of uranium across the world. This is stuff that was done prior to the last administration. Yeah, no, it's a it's a real problem. And and I I would uh, personally, well, I mean, I still think we need to pursue nuclear energy no matter what. But um, I, there, uh, I uh, say that uh, we got to take those assets back in the United States. But I'm not going to get into that now. I I think. Well, it's well, national security. You're not wrong. Just say it. There's nothing wrong with saying it. Yeah, no, no, I, that's what I think. And I just don't want to, I, I want to allow the space to settle down. But but that having been said, um, I definitely think that that deal was crooked. I think it was crookedly undertaken uh, by the Obama administration. And we need to address that direct with direct action. Wait, you're saying Fusion GPS is not trustworthy? I mean, they did great work for Russiagate. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, so, but, but I also want to note here, Sam and I agree a whole lot on this. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so, so important that, um, that we, that we keep going down this path and find a methodology to do that because this is what, I mean, we need to transition away from a need for coal fired plants. I don't think we got to just go destroy them. But we've got to go to a technology that'll work and that can, that is clean. On the verge of disaster at all, if we don't do something, I think we're fine. We will figure that out. But um, but I don't think we have to ignore the climate change thing. But what we do need to pay attention to is just cl- being clean in our environment where we can and where we can efficiently do it. But, but Jim, can, even if we is, even if we shut them down, can't they just learn to code? I mean, big tech has bled 200,000 jobs and the only big tech company primed for growth is China's TikTok. So they can learn to code. I mean, these are good euphemisms that have served America and the West well for about a decade plus. Well, I'm I yeah, I think that's it's funny to say, but but like Listen, if we're going, if we would just look at doing things cleanly, not imposed by government making us do things, but by really allowing that innovation to move forward, then we're going to see a lot of good things happen. I, I do think it's it's short sighted to say, well, you have to push for coal fired plants. Well, in an environment where we so in the United States at least so severely restrict the propagation of nuclear power in favor of coal, that I I find wrong. Where they both work on the same level of 
reduced regulation, and then you can go find good ways. Coal-fired plants, there's a nuclear regulatory commission that has made it impossible to build these plants. And the fear that was injected sometimes by the media as far back as Love Island in the 1970s, that's old history. That doesn't even matter. But I, I think Sam's point about the concern in war-torn areas is something we have to, uh, you know, pay attention to. I think that's and worth considering. I, I'm going to drop, throw it. Can to we you. Uh, can we call all sources? Do you want to come up and say something? Just unmute yourself. Yeah, and I, actually, it, it, um, yeah, for, for sure. Because I think Jim, you you brought up a point exactly what I wanted to talk about about you know this, the, the right now. And, and specifically, what we're talking about is the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant that Russia seized uh, uh, during this war. But I think one of the things that is, is kind of a, a good news for nuclear energy, because I agree, I think nuclear energy is a must. Uh, if, if, if your goal especially is to develop uh, a clean energy and kind of transition uh, uh, from uh, non-renewable energies, is that the, the both sides have agreed, basically, if you look at to basically try to maintain the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant because they're concerned about what what could happen if there's obviously a nuclear meltdown. And I think the, the power of the nuclear energy and, and how society has advanced and nuclear power has advanced safety-wise within the last 20 to 30 years is demonstrated by Zaporizhia. Right? We have where both sides, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, let's make this clear for people who might not know, is basically in the front lines. It is in the front lines right now between Russia and Ukraine. And I think the, the fact that nothing major has happened been there. There hasn't been a nuclear meltdown. There hasn't been a major security risk. Yes, there's been concerns in, in firefights, etc. But the nuclear power plant has stand still and nothing happened. And I think the concerns that we see in the 80s, right, with Chernobyl, Love Island, etc., if you look nowadays, that is kind of as the past. And I believe that, we, you know, we developed lessons learned from what we saw there and we look now. I think the last real scare that we had, and it wasn't really a scare because probably most people don't know about it, is in June 2021, there was concerns in China of a nuclear power plant run by a French company. Something like that. It barely registered in the media because it was quickly contained and secured. Well, I mean, and to I think be was, fair, Fukushima just released yeah. billions, of, billions into the ocean. They're going to be doing right, that Right, again. right. No, but, and I, I, you're, you're 100% right. And, you know, Fukushima is correct, but I think that, you know, that was a, let me, let me use the term black swan right that you know the, the, a massive black swan event but for the most part i think and and and, and I, this is something that i've kind of talked about before is you know every regulation that we have both in the u.s and probably internationally is because of right and i think those lessons learned had made nuclear energy very very secure and safe for use without throughout the world and i think you know france the model that they did and how they may manage that energy compared to let's say germany when Russia and Ukraine went to war and there was concern about natural gas, et cetera, France was in a lot better position to manage the concern of being cut off from Russian natural gas than Germany, right? And, and Germany had to kind of look around the world to see, okay, where can we get gas? You know, they had to look in the Middle East and that security concerns, right? Because now you're dependent on, on other governments, authoritarian governments, not, you know, re reliable allies, et cetera, to, to do that. And I think France in that aspect, because of the policy they had in nuclear energy, was in a much better position. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll add is that, I mean, listen, I, I'm not, I, I won't say my opinions on the Ukraine war, but if you were really trying to cripple Russia, 
you would have unleashed American energy to kill the price of oil and natural gas. You wouldn't have crippled your coal plants that were already operating. You wouldn't have shut down your nuclear plants. So the same people I see sending $100 billion plus overseas to Ukraine, that they're going to have to pay geopolitical real politics shows that these people are making moves that if they want to win and they want to cripple Russia makes no sense. So what I would I, I would push back a little bit on that because one of the biggest beneficiaries in from if you look at specifically at natural gas, right, one of the biggest beneficiaries out there has actually been U.S. natural gas. And, and, and so there's a lot of accounts that track maritime shipping that goes around the world. And one of the big explosions that we saw, especially since the war in, in between Russia and Ukraine, yeah, but, but is I, US- I, How's the how's the LNG spot market doing? What's going on there? Right, right. But but but, we, we, but the U.S. energy there, the mm-hmm. prices might be more. But you know, this is a boom and bust cycle. So the profits they make now, they need to invest later. When your politicians and regulatory agencies saying we're going to put you out of business, of course they're not going to build new refineries. Of course they're not going to upgrade it. They're operating at a hundred percent, which leads to more blowouts, more malfunctions, more issues. And at the same time, we're relying on this for fertilizer, for everything. Petroleum's from in your architect shingles down to your genes and our government's pursuing a policy on a pace when we're in a geopolitical battle that is not only crippling our own ability to help our allies but it's starving africa it's starving asia it's giving big issues and you look at these i'm just looking at the actors that are that are that are spearheading this and you you know as well as i do their moves don't make any sense i i would just you know and probably you you, you do bring up good points but i a huge boom recently because of the Russia-Ukraine war. And I think, though, that in general, I think the conversations that's going to happen because of energy security that we're talking about between the Russia and Ukraine that kind of triggered this, specifically in Europe, is I think these conversations dependent on foreign countries. And I think that's kind of like a, a generic criticism that you can have in globalization and how you might outsource things that might be identified for national security, right? And so th- there's, again, where I think this kind of ties in with this overall conversation. Another said, "Oh, we need more and more regulations." Unfortunately, you know, complex issues require complex problem solving, right? And certain scenarios, right, like specifically energy security, and, and, and depending on the country you're at, there might be a situation and it might be a legitimate argument saying, "Look, we need more government intervention and more government." incentives to allow let's say nuclear energy to proliferate it's not easy and it's not it's not an easy way to just automatically build nuclear power plants across a country that might not have you know you know that buzzword we always heard you know the saudi arabia vision 2030 for mbs he's trying to transition the saudi economy outside of oil because he the concern that like Saudi Arabia. So I think basically countries individually need to look, you know, either through themselves or through the region to make adequate decisions. And I think nuclear power and overall will come a comeback. And I think what we saw with fusion, I mean, that's revolutionary. And it's kind of crazy to think that we live in a time that fusion energy might actually occur in our lifetimes. It's amazing. It blows my mind. Jim. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Brick Suit Agnostic. By the way, also yeah. news, such a pleasure to have you on.
build an additional refinery in our state. They, they're not even going to expand the capacity of their existing refineries. So, you know, everything is hanging by a thread in terms of gas. Because if, if even one of those, even one of those refineries was to meet with some sort of mishap that would cause it to be offline for a significant period of time, we'd be in a world of hurt here. We're going to end fossil fuel. We're going to stop fracking. We're going to get out of this business. There is absolutely no incentive for the You basically put them on a timeline of which in the near future, they'll be out of business. Why should they do any of those things? And that's just going to create all sorts of problems, not just in both doing public policy and living there, uh, just you know, doing my work. And it amazes me the how little the footprint is. It has radically and positively transformed how we approach our mixture of use of energy. And, uh, and, and yet there, it's constantly being uh, just savage, both legislatively and in discussion. To human society, which is uh, health and welfare and uh, the ability to do things that we never could do. It's energy sources that have done today without plastics. You cannot uh, keep the health of the elderly in place without air conditioning. And, and heat in the wintertime for everyone. I mean, there's so much that we do with society. And now we have these opportunities like, uh, you know, kind of upgrading the electric grid, as I'm proposing, with nuclear power that can advance that and then reduce the dirty aspects of energy to some. the technology and really thinking through that. And I, I find it a false dilemma to play into the climate change uh, thing, not in terms of what do we need to understand about it. Into a political debate where power has to be used to advance a certain agenda rather than just going to the science of it, experimenting, figure out where we're going. Yeah, about the about the gas prices uh, in California. You gotta you gotta get your mic closer if you don't mind it's echoey and a bit far. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you do that, yeah I'll let Gnostic go first. 
Yeah, bottom left corner. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I got to find the button first. I'm too busy digging at that stuff. I forgot who who was talking. It's got the World Economic Forum stuff plastered all over it. So unless somebody else has done that, World Economic Forum has certainly agreed that that's part of their agenda. I've got to jump in. If you, look at, if you look at the bottom <laughs> of that article. Quickly. And this is very – like whether you agree or disagree with Sam, uh, it's something he does is very important, I think. Everyone on the stage re respects, and others do it. On the show, someone I, I appreciate massively, uh, and 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 it was a, a. I didn't read the article. So, what did the article say? Uh, maybe Sam, you could tell us very briefly about the. Non or am I messy? Gnostic, can you hear me? No, no, yeah, I can. No, I can hear you. Yes, sorry, that's me. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so look, this this article that's now been archived um, is the whole basis of this rumor. I... To be an opinion piece, a future prediction by an individual. Uh, the World Economic Forum is full of this. It's it's full of thousands of articles written by individuals. Um, this is why everybody keeps coming up. That's just not true because it's, it was an individual article written by an individual. And at the bottom, it clearly says the views expressed in this article are those of the author alone and not the World Economic Forum. It literally so, says. This is it sounds really bad. But this is just an experiment. It's just an ID. Uh, you know, this first look at look at it with an open mind. Not with, you know, with with with, with both um, with both hats on. And number two is. Um, Protocol with with what Sam just pointed out. Do you still would you still state that the World Economic Forum? to uh, basically an economy and a monetary system based on energy and consumption. And that's going to be something that really affects the lower classes, especially at a time when debt, inflation, and social... ...social mobility is non-existent. So I don't trust them. These are the same... What they want to tie that the new, that's what they want to tie the new monetary system to. Basically, okay. your energy and carbon footprint. They're going to judge it. They needed the vaccine passports. That was going to be the, st the start of the public safety state. They failed. Blair bragging about how they're going to do this. And the G20, which was in Singapore, saying we've already agreed to it. They all signed on to a declaration that they're going to do it.
so and I, and I think I'm going to kind of get just some reinforcing to Sam, but I think one of the things that what I want to really focus on is like the World Economic Forum. Like let's let's not forget the World Economic Forum is a non-government organization, right? In which Council, neither does the Council for Foreign Relations, but they seem to push Right, right, the Council for Foreign Relations. Hold on, hold on. So, so that, that, that's the thing, right? So, you know, the Council for Foreign Relations is just a bunch of people with, you know, that... of all political ideology that argue points and you might agree or disagree, but it's a, it's a forum like this space, right? And it's the same with that. So the world economic forum is simply as a, a, a gathering once a year of, you know, billionaires. is the same thing, right? It, the, the, the United Nation is beholden to the Security Council. Of the Security Council, five are permanent members that can veto any actions. China, Russia, U.S. is a monopoly of violence, right? That is kind of what we see. That is not going away, right? So I think the problem is, is that I think to, to Sam's point, right, is there these ideas that get floated around, then they just become this. This notion that is now this agreement across all sense of purposes, a non-government organization that has no power to enforce anything. Yeah, but a lot of people there sit on boards, correct? A lot of people there are pushing in the ESG. organizations. I read foreign policy too. To my knowledge, U.S. foreign policy hasn't made any nation better in 40 years. I'm looking at Iraq. I'm looking at Syria. I'm looking at Libya with its open slave markets. I'm looking at Afghanistan. And those NGOs and the Clinton Foundation, we we worked wonders in Haiti. Did you ever look those those uh, temporary shelter trailers? I think we toxic. I think we built six houses. Well, work- Hold on, guys. Guys, wait, guys, wait a second. I want to jump in just real quick. So so l- listen, I I think it's very fair as we're trying to get through this part of the discussion. I think Listen, the gathering together and talking about stuff, that that's that's never wrong. Like that's what we do. You know, in America we have the principle of freedom of association. Here's the problem As you're saying, I think actually it is a bunch of governments that do get together and do certain things. That's a bigger problem. But but putting the U.N. aside for a second, it's more clear. Um, the World Economic Forum. 
Corp does make proposals that doesn't bother me as much as the fact that it coordinates in a way that is concerning the corporate interests that go into government. Like, I think the biggest thing about the World Economic Forum is away from Pelosi and everybody else. I mean, they, Crenshaw has been making a lot of money, too. I mean, why, we have to support these people. They're, they're here for us. They care. Bill Gates cared about us so much, he pushed Common Core. He when we're debating things about the World Economic Forum, I... I I really don't have a problem with uh, Sam trying to say, because, by the way, the you will own nothing and be happy is not. Because I think it's a stupid idea. And I think some people there really do believe it. But that's not the worst issue here. And, and, and again, corporations talking to one another, trying to make. What about the mentoring programs they run? What about the mentoring programs that they run all year? What about the mentoring programs, group telephone calls, conference calls, and everything else with mentors that they run on an ongoing basis between corporate Going year-round conversations that these people have on an ongoing basis, in which they're look, they somebody wants a solution. Okay, what's her face, Canadian finance minister, whose name I really don't want to say. You know, has a problem. How do I get my government to do this? Uh, French philosophers that sit down and actually write this stuff behind Klaus Schwab. It's not Schwab himself who does it. It's those two. And all of this stuff has been designed for many, many, many. Agencies that sit down and specifically focus on the ability to use that line in order to deflect responsibility for stating things that they state. We design programs to They're trying to use that as a red herring. I oh, saw I, I more. I oh, saw I Morrison out of Australia. I saw Jacinda out of New Zealand. I saw Johnson out of the UK. I heard Merkel. I heard Biden. I heard Trudeau. They framed.
between the post-pandemic recovery and the change. Yeah, so, so, and I think this is where I kind of want to make the distinction to kind of what, what, what Jim is saying, and I think what Nasik and Pertigo are saying. Right? So, so the issue of, you know, In government yeah, is I'm, one way. Yeah, but I, but you, when you bring in corporate production, you, you, you're again deflecting off the issue of the socialist agenda, pushing this entire thing and sitting down and saying it's bad corporations. I'm not arguing so, that there aren't bad. Very world leader. Every one of them, he sent it so around. Your concern, so your concern, concerns with their policy and the amount of influence they have. All sorts. What's your what's your and no power to enforce their will? Their will on into you know individual countries, but, right? So the but you don't is, need the power. You don't need the power anymore because you've gone supranational. You don't need. I love it. I love it. This is great. Um, no, I'm muted. I'm muted. I'm muted. We mute everyone when there's interruption. We just mute everyone. Just give, just keep it balanced. That's all. No, absolutely. So, so, and I can understand, right? So, there could be absolutely. I'll openly suggest socialist programs. Again, the, the issue the issue at hand, I think this is where I want to make the distinction between Jim and I think what he's saying is that what Jim is highlighting is concerns about, you know, whatever policy pushes corruptions, etc. But then to, to kind of tie that... The Bloomberg, the, the Bezos Post, five corporations on 90% of media. That, that press you're counting on? The press that lied to No, us it could be... It could be any years? press. I mean, it, yeah. could be, it could be anybody. Who published the Panama Papers? Where is she? She got blown up in a car bomb. What press are you talking about? What, how, many, how, how many Go journalists ahead. have been assassinated in America? <laughs> or this notion that somehow the World Economic Forum has the power single-handedly through all this to force absolute changes across the world in society. No, they're helping them organize.
Prodigal. They're helping. Prodigal. 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 we could use yeah no also right, cool. so yeah, yeah, yeah all good also um uh, so what you're saying is that they just don't have the amount of influence that people give them credit the people that for corporations, businesses, et cetera, to talk about in business. But then you have the Munich Security Conference that is a defense-centric where, you know, you know, various foreign leaders, to include Putin, have spoken. Right? And so what I, and I think this is kind of to what Sam... I mean, that's the, that's the whole crux of the okay. argument. <laughs> okay, so let me, let, me, let me jump in here, because and I do want to go to Joe. He was, was having mic uh, problems earlier, but I want to give him a chance to talk. But first of all, all source, I get what you're saying. Things that can become nefarious. I mean, I've seen how the lobbying core works in Washington, D.C. The reality is this, that yes, you're right. It technically, you're correct. With governments involved, because of transnational corporate interests, which I'm not against a corporation being transnational, but because of transnational corporate interests that are All year long, like Gnostic was saying, and Gnostic didn't hear me earlier because that's one of my big points. Davos is not my problem. It's what WEF does all year long. So anyway, quickly but that's, that's that my point. U.S. level, right? Okay, so they spend hundreds of billions on elections also, for a job product, that pays a couple hundred thousand. Guys, guys, they're guys. not getting it paid back. Yeah, uh, hold on just a second. So uh, I hear you also, but uh, here's the problem. Here in the United our constitution and local laws to inject what they want 
and, and I'm not saying every one of them does, and, I, and our legal system hasn't entirely broken down, but we're seeing a slow breakdown. Of that, I mean, even to the point where when Donald liberty movements that began in the 18th century in this world. We are now moving into We really have to get around that. Like I can right now, I can say I disagree with both prodigal all sources, or I can say I agree with prodigal and I agree with all sources, right? Because if I'm agreeing with them on one thing, I'm disagreeing on the other side. So, if one industrial leader has a lot of power, a thousand of them coming together and coordinating have an enormous amount of power, and that's what the economic World Economic Forum is, right? So there, I agree with prodigal when when they were talking about the the socialist agenda, Social Security is the biggest socialist program there ever was in the entire world and spread throughout the world. If you look at Scandinavia, they have more millionaires per per capita than anywhere else in the world, right? It's not a bad thing. There's part of it that's good. It's kind of like the government that you guys were talking about earlier. It's good when it's used for good. Police are good. Firemen are good. There are all socialist programs. Like we always demonize socialism as something completely horrible. It's not. Just like government isn't always horrible. It's just when it's too much. So really have to get behind the perspective because, you know, World Economic Forum tries to position itself as not be having any power and being an NGO. The reality is if you just had like five of those members working together, it would be scary. A thousand of them working together is super scary. So things Joe, like the Paris Agreement wouldn't have happened without the World Economic Forum, for example. Yeah, so Joe, I want to I pop in here. I want to ask you a question. So you mentioned mm-hmm. there's no distinction between all these other forms of government and socialism. Now, most people would say, well, wait a minute here. No, socialism is bad, just fundamentally. Like, keep in mind, uh, the, the I'm saying that, meaning that the principal definition of socialism being something akin to, and I'm not bringing Mussolini into this to to try to mess up your point, but Mussolini Mm -hmm. said everything in the state, all in the state, all for the state. Like that's really kind of the definition of socialism that I'm operating on when you use that term. What are you meaning by that? Because I I think you're throwing me off at least. I want to get your thought. Yeah, I'm, I'm using the term of what socialist programs actually are, not something that's, Uh, fascism more so than socialism, right? Like America has a long history of going against anything but democracy, um, which I think is a a good thing. 
But the reality is America is really not a democracy. It's in, it's almost an oligarchy, except they're, they're industries that are paying for presidents and not people. I, I think some of us would give the definition a republic when we look at the constitutional form of it. That's a republic. But right. uh, but by the way, when you talk about welfare programs and that sort of thing, I mean, I would personally argue that welfare programs from the federal government are unconstitutional. Like that's that's not appropriate there. So so I, I, I think, you know, I, I take your points and, and I think it's all good stuff. I, I want to give it to Brick and keep things moving around. I want to get your mm-hmm. thoughts on things, Brick. Yeah, I just want to mention uh, something that hasn't really been brought up yet is that solutions that arise in Davos, they seem to be Europe-centric to me. Maybe they work better for Europe. Maybe Europe is more used to being under the control of their governments. They certainly have a different land use case than we have here in the United States, than Canada has, than many of the, the countries do in North America, where we have plenty of open space that we can expand into if we can find a way to get water and energy there. So, I I just don't see people in the United States ever really accepting the type of ideas that are going to be promulgated at the WEF. And when we look at, when we look at the, the issue of turning us into a consumption economy, one of the things that's happening that's making that happen is they're basically importing consumers. Our borders wide open on the South. Now, of course, you can fly in anyways and overstay your tourist visa, but we have millions of illegal aliens crossing into the United States each year. They are putting pressure on the housing market. They are putting pressure on the food markets. They are putting pressure on the job markets, downward wage pressure. They are putting so much strain on our economy that all of those things move us closer away from the way our economy should be running by itself. You're going to have more government subsidy programs. You're going to have more government handouts. You're going to have more government paying for lodging, paying that money to BlackRock, which bought the apartment buildings that are now, you know, housing the illegal aliens that came to America from, you know, Africa or wherever they came from. They're not coming from Mexico so much anymore. They're not coming from Central America. They're coming from everywhere because right now if you can get to mexico you can get into america something you just said about about europe being used to being controlled by the government do you realize europe has more freedom of speech than america does they're higher up more freedom of press than america Uh, no 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 no, how is that yeah no i'm not i'm not buying that for a minute I, they have so many, they have, not only do they have laws against freedom of speech, they have laws against freedom of thought. They have no, they laws have, against Facebook have, posts. Germany, so, I, so, I, so, I, let me, on a regular basis. So Joe, yeah, 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 Rick, I get it. On a Joe, regular basis, Joe, I get emails Joe, from Facebook, yeah, you know, yeah, from because someone in Germany complained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Germany's been trying to take hey, hold, down hold on, guys, hold on, hold on. Right, let me ask a question. So, Joe, um, you're making that case, but just recently, we had a lady just merely quietly praying across the street from an abortion clinic in London and was arrested for it. She was quite, it's right there on video. It was, she was questioned and then she was arrested. I mean, that, that kind of stuff doesn't even, as far as I'm you aware, can't, you can't have, take, be, hold you on, let me ask a question. Hold on, let me okay, ask a question quick. That kind what of about the UK woman that was arrested over the, hey. disagreeing with trans ideology? Did that yeah, happen exactly. in the UK hold or am I making it up? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. But but let me let me focus on this one. So, Joa, that doesn't even 
happened yet in the United States. I mean, that's that happens in European countries with some degree of regularity. Aren't you? Are you aware of this? It's not some degree of regularity. You're taking one case of something that. Well, no, I, no, it... I don't think we are. I mean, Prodigal no, just you... brought one thing up. We are actually there. There are laws in the UK right now that exist that uh, that people will go to jail for so-called hate crimes. Like well, that they, they have hate speech yes. laws, which is in direct contradiction of Judeo-Christian values on what their creator believes is a man and a woman. To and, say this and say, I'm European, I know it, you're either gaslighting or it's clear you don't follow your European politics. And I don't know. One other thing. Hold on, guys. Hold on. Guys, hold on just a second. We're going to move around the room. So so let's let's be aware of this. Okay, so... um, But Joa... One other item to bring up, there is a, a legislator, I think it's in Sweden, who shared a biblical point of view about marriage. And she was literally, uh, has gone, I don't, her, her trial is still happening, but she was, she had prosecutors or she had a, a warrant for her arrest. She's going to go through a criminal trial over posting something on social media about her biblical view of marriage so no i these things aren't even happening in the united states we, we got bad stuff happening here let's give let's give let's give yeah joe and source news to respond go ahead guys yeah it happened in the united states there was a woman in the south that was arrested because she wouldn't marry two gay people what are you talking it does happen in the united states and is that the law no she was let go she wasn't prosecuted correct same thing happens in europe there's little cases that happen where it doesn't follow. But if you look at freedom of, uh, freedom of speech indexes, America's does not score high at all. It scores yeah, I don't disagree with that. Well, country. well we got, we've got problems here, but I want to get what all sources thoughts on this. So go ahead, all source. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do want to, you know, kind of highlight because every time we, when we talk about freedom of press, it's, it, 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 or, or, or religious belief, and when talking about Europe, it's kind of ironic that I just want to throw this out there. Like, let's not forget that in Europe, there was a lot of efforts to ban women from wearing hijabs, which is a religious belief. You might agree with or disagree with it. And it's a religious belief. People were trying to ban it and there wasn't an uproar about it. Right. And a lot of it the, in, in these times. So, you know, I think that's something that, that kind of needs to highlight. And, and I think it's a, to Joe's point is like, right, you, you, you can weaponize certain cases. But I would what I would kind of push back a little bit. Enjoyed, I, do, I do believe that especially in certain European countries, there are more strict laws and freedom of, of speech in certain categories, right? Very, 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 very specific. And I'm going to highlight two. So one, for example, is the denial of the Holocaust, right? In, in the U.S., you can deny it, nothing happens. In Europe, because of the history, because there's historical context of it, you can get punished criminally for that. It is against the law, right? And because of the history of that, there's a certain matter. And, and for example, in Spain, right, there's very, very strict anti-terrorism laws that can you can go get punished and criminalized for glorifying terrorism or just sharing terroristic propaganda, right? In the U.S., that doesn't happen. But in Spain, because of the haters' history with ETA, the Basque terrorist in, in groups, and then with, obviously with uh, uh, the, the train bombings in Madrid, right, and the jihadist terrorism that they suffered there, those laws have been in place. But I, and I think that the important aspect of this when we're looking at individual countries' laws and why there's there is because there's there's a historical reason, right? In, the, in these countries, in Europe, they're democracies, and they go through the democratic process. Those laws get passed because of the context that they're in. And I think it's very unfair to kind of single out specific aspects of these laws when you ignore the historical context and the democratic process they had to go through to pass these laws. Spain has very legitimate reasons why they have very strict anti-terrorism laws. Germany has very legitimate reasons why they have very strict anti-Holocaust laws. And I think that's just something that as a democracy that those have to be respected. 
So yeah, I want to shift it over to Gnostic here real quick because I want to I want to get your quick, thoughts. Get, just we'll a real quick, you, the real quick thing. Is okay, go ahead. Also, they have really strong to add to all sources point. They have very very strong anti defamation laws here. Like you, you, there's no way you could say something about someone, and if you can't prove that it's true what you said, you will be you could be charged. I right? think I'd argue that those anti defamation well uh, that. Uh, Slander and so forth are those laws are much stronger in uh, England and Europe than the United States. It's a little hard. I agree. Yeah, but I agree. Agnostic, go ahead. I want to hear what you have to say. Well, yeah, because they have the fee shifting burden. You lose, you pay. I mean, I would I would like to see that stateside in certain sure. cases. Sure, Gnostic, go ahead. Jump in, or you're not going uh, to. What I was and before, say actually, is... before you jump in, just quickly, for anyone that wants to request to speak, there's a lot of requests. Do DM me, and the team is checking the DMs uh, on what you want to comment on. Um, uh, just to keep, we're trying to keep the balanced, uh, a balanced panel. Uh, yeah, so Matt, James... Mario, I, I'm going to head down because uh, I didn't expect to, to be up here this long. But no, uh, hey, prodigal, 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 stay with us. Uh, and also, just for everyone listening, uh, uh, pin tweet above is a newsletter. If you want a summary of the space, because it's been going on for six hours yesterday, we did 10, 11 hours a day before as well nine hours uh, the newsletter summarizes the spaces and we do go through the comments um so make sure you comment bottom right corner your opinion or your questions uh, my team is asleep at the moment but well, someone should be awake shortly and they go through the comments and bring him up in the stage but yeah sorry go ahead jim yeah go ahead uh Gnostic. okay what i was going to say is i live in canada and they're doing exactly the same thing in canada they're passing uh laws basically to edit and to make it a crime to sit down and say certain things uh, and you can be arrested. They're also passing laws that arrest doctors for, say, anything that's counter to the pro- provi- uh, to the prevailing provincial government health department, i.e. something against vaccines, subject to a $200,000 fine and loss of license, subject to saying something against it uh, on something like Twitter or someplace else, you're subject to censorship. And, you know, combine that with CBCDs and blocking accounts, there's a whole bunch of people that just do not like the laws that are being passed here right now. It's the parliamentary system that engenders the weakness. So that's the British parliamentary system, along with some of the other parliamentary systems in Europe that have that weakness because it doesn't contain the same rights as the U.S. Constitution. And you, the guys that wrote that, you know, young as they were, did a really good job of making sure they didn't have the same weaknesses in there. So yeah. uh, I really wish it would be redone in, in, under the parliamentary system. Yeah, and you know, that is one thing. I think a lot of Americans are looking up to Canada right now and saying, wow, uh, yeah, they really don't have First Amendment up there, do they? And that is, that's a key factor. I mean, I, I think it's an important issue. And and I'm curious your thought. I see uh, Justin Hart in the room, and, and I'm glad you, you popped in, and we always love having you here. What, what are your thoughts on this? You got your hand up, and I'm sure you got something to say. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a topic that, uh, it becomes eroding over time, right? And, and it's something that, uh, that that basically degrades if you don't uphold it. I think that's what we found here in the United States when we had the whole COVID issue come up, right? There were a lot of infringements on our First Amendment speech rights. Uh, and particularly the, the use was uh, using the, the threat of mortality or more specifically that you were threatening other people's mortality by speaking out on this. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I have my, my book that came out. Uh, I made the rounds to all the radio shows. Uh, and I have one B 
big conservative radio show host that I've known for 15 years. You know him well too, Jim. I won't name him. He's one of the top probably 10 or 15 hosts out there. I've gotten him exclusives for different people over the years. We've we've traded messages. I finally just DM'd him. I said, I'm a, I've been on Prager. I, I've been on Gorka. I've been on these guys' shows. Tell me what, what – I, I, can I send you a book? And he said, no, Justin, I'm not going to have your book on. I think you're actually killing people. And, and I'm like, wow, it just spans the spectrum. And it's amazing how quickly those tenets of – the First Amendment will fall when death is on the line, to quote, you know, the Princess Bride there, right? It's, it really becomes that, that, that weight that just goes against everything. Um, and I think what, what we're going to find is that uh, unless you really stick your neck out to uphold that, uh, that's, um, that's something that's tenuous. I'll tell you the other element. I'm sorry, I'm just popping in for this. I know you guys have been going for a long time, but... I got in so much trouble this week with my wife for spending so much time on spaces. So I kind of concentrated towards the kids there, but uh, I, lo- I couldn't resist for the last uh, little bit. The last kid went down. I, I, uh, not to shift the topic, but I wonder if it's been covered because I think this actually goes hand in hand with some of the things that, that we're talking about with the WEF and even towards first amendment rights, which is the issue of population. Um, this is a favorite topic of mine. While you have been scared for the last 50 years from uh, the fellow who put out the population bomb that's back in in, in favor now, uh, and what we're finding is that we're actually in dire need of people. China, it just announced this last week that uh, they have a decrease in population for the first time in their history. Here's the deal. A lot of people get concerned that China is this big behemoth. They will get older before they get more powerful. There literally are like 100 million, maybe 200 million 30-year-old men, 30-year-olds, males in China that have no prospects to get married. First of all, because of the one-child policy. And second of all, because of selective uh, sex abortion there in China. And then you go over to Europe. And all along the Mediterranean, especially, the birth rate there, the fertility rate is 1.3, 1.2. Uh, I'm a demographer. What demographers will tell you is that 1.3 is the point of no return. It is what they call, quote, the lowest low. No civilization has ever, ever come back from that point. Every country there, Greece, Italy, Maldives, anywhere, it's all very, very low populated, which is why they're so big on importing uh, people from other countries and why the WF has made that a major part of their platform and why the WF is totally for open borders because a lot of these countries have realized they have no kids to stick the bill to. That's a quote from Mark Stein's great book, America Alone, if you happen to pick it up. That's 15 years old. It was completely prescient. We are seeing that in America right now. We're at 1.7, 1.8 births per, per woman. Yeah, when, when he wrote that book, we were at about 2.1. Right. I, I remember it vividly. Right, right. And so with, with 1.7 births, you know, we're, we're, we're not at replacement levels. The only thing that's keeping us afloat, actually, is, again, immigration that's coming across the border. The problem is that when you're a socialist, right, even a democratic socialist in some of these big states, you can either be for low population 
or you can be for big progressive welfare programs. You can't be for both. They found this out in Greece, and that was like why Greece had this massive financial turmoil that they're still experiencing because the, the they basically had no kids to stick the bill to. By, I think it's 2075 in Italy, for example, uh, I think it's like 75, no, it's, it's by the end of the century, or maybe it's like within the next 50 year, 30 years, that uh, Italy, 75% of Italians will have no aunts, uncles, brothers, or sisters. That fabled uh, mantra and, and meme from the 90s, uh, my big fat Greek wedding, right, where this fecund, uh, populated family of well-endowed women, right, with pasta running down the table and everything else there, uh, and then uh, you had, you know, marrying into this single wasp family with a single child, right? It, that's not it at all. You you can't go to Italy and find children around there. They are so, you know, they're so desperate for that. Japan is the perfect example of a death spiral, right? Because they have no immigration to speak of. That's why if you, if you take, I took my, my one-year-old some years ago to Hawaii before the pandemic, and I could go a block um, during the, the big, heavy uh, uh, vacation season there, as there were lots of tourists from the Far East. And, and they would they would stop and just gawk at my child because they don't get to see one a lot. And I think what you're going to find is uh, that is a major proponent of what the WEF is trying to do. Th- there was a, a gentleman deeply, I think, involved with the WEF. I think he was one of the executive directors, if I'm not mistaken. But he basically just admitted on camera that, yeah, he'd love to see a billion people drop off the face of the earth. They really do, you know, they, they really do want this lower population. They have no idea the impact that will cause. In Germany, for example, they have huge issues. My last point here, the Germany they had huge issues. They have whole towns that they've had to completely repurpose all of the piping all of the underground waterworks and everything else because they counted on a certain amount of people flushing every day and there's no people there, right? And we, so we, you're going to see this massive issue. The biggest issue of our day within the next 30 years is going to be depopulation. There will not be enough people to run things and there certainly will not be enough people to, as, as Mark Stein says, stick the bill to when it comes due. So I think that's now, the issue uh, well, yeah. Absolutely. Well, the one thing I would say about that is, uh, I wonder if that depends on the areas, because we have concentrations in specific areas and maybe not others. But I'll go to. Uh, one, uh, yeah, one thing, yeah, Catherine. Jim. I want to actually, Sir, Sir James uh, has joined us. We, we, uh, we That's what I was going to do. Yeah. We appreciate the pleasure of you coming in here and definitely want to hear what you have to say. Why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself a little bit so people know who you are and uh, welcome to the space. We're glad you're here. Well, I just want to respond to what Joa says earlier about socialism. I can agree with Jim that socialism is everything belongs to the state. It's it's not only Mussolini's uh, believings of socialism. It, it was also the Soviet adaptation of socialism in the past, just before the Soviet Union dissolved in 91. I can agree on it. What Joa said earlier, let me correct your term, it's called social democracy in, in Scandinavian, in, in Norway, in Sweden, and Denmark. But what I would, what I would just want to say, Maria, you, you forgot Singapore. A small country with tiny population and the country frequently imports so many people around the world. Even, even now, the majority, 
the majority of people in Singapore are foreigners, are expatriates, are non-Singaporeans, I should say. More than 70% of Singaporean, of people living in Singapore are not Singaporeans. You forgot that. <laughs> but that's okay. You know, talking about WEF and world policies, you should know that based on my believance of, based on my believance of New World Order theory, uh, the government is only the population control. Well, it, it is very low, lower in, well, it is in a very lower rank than the corporate one. So if some kind, if one, one, one speaker said America is now becomes an oligarchy. Yes, I do believe in that. So does in, in the country where I'm living right now, Indonesia is also turned into an oligarchy in which oligarchy ultimately destroys democracy. I should believe in that. Because, wait, one moment, I, I, I forgot to lower my hand. <laughs> yeah, bec- yeah, because the oligarchy only works for certain elites. And you know, uh, oligarchy, uh, wait, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm done, fin- I'm not finished my point yet. Mike, Mike's leaking, Mike's leaking, Mike's leaking, okay. I'm yeah, not finished my point. Yeah. Yeah, 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 okay, okay. You know, you know, to short, to short, Governments and, and businesses are frequently connected and most and will likely connected in each other it in each issues. For example, like dealing with um policies that that will affect corporations, that will affect businesses. Of course governments and corporations will have to deal with them and World Economic Forum facilitates it. Your audio, Sir James, your audio is really bad. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you fix it in the meantime. I'll let Piotr jump in. I'm not sure what's wrong with your, your mic. I apologize, apologize, apologize. It's still really bad. Um, not sure what's yeah, going apologize. on. I'll DM, I'll DM you about this. It's all good. I'll DM you now. Uh, Piotr, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Well, Piotr, what, 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 are, what are your thoughts about that? You had your hand up. Piotr, Piotr you're on mute, man. You're, you're on mute, dude. Oh, well, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, wait for Jim. Was, oh, you're Jim back. Was speaking. Yeah, yeah, go Jim ahead. Was, can, you hear me? can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim was. Yes, we can. Go ahead. Yeah, I just removed him. Gaston, what do you think about what Sir James is saying? I, I didn't really understand. Uh, first, can you can someone define what an oligarchy is? Can someone explain to him what an oligarchy is? And for the audience. Well, I imagine an oligarchy is the way I understand it as a group of very, very wealthy individuals with uh, a huge amount of influence in running a government or a country. So really, essentially, they're, they're unelected individuals with tremendous concentration of wealth who have undue influence when it comes to running uh, Yeah, I think it's, it's too extreme. It's too extreme. While there's a lot of inequality, I'll, I'll go to Aaron. Um, yeah. To 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 call to call any Western nation an oligarchy is way too extreme, in my opinion. Or do you disagree? Well, an ol- so an oligarchy, strictly speaking, is one of the categories of of rule that Aristotle described in the Politics. It's it's simply rule by those who have the most money. It's w- rule by wealthy elites. Um, I certainly think that we're trending in an oligarchical direction. And <laughs> back when I was on the airplane, I think I was trying to explain this, and um, you guys couldn't couldn't hear me. But there is a current global trajectory that I think we see represented in the ideology of the web. Um, it doesn't mean that obviously everyone that goes to Davos is on board with this ideology, but it's, it's certainly certainly distilled in the 
many of the public presentations that that people hear and see and therefore attribute to the web. And basically, I think what we're seeing and what we saw accelerated during the pandemic, uh, the current trajectory is that we are seeing the fading of the nation state as kind of the dominant form of governance in the West. The external apparatus of legislatures, parliaments, courts, and so forth um, remain in place, but at least during the pandemic, they function mainly as window dressing. And a lot of the a lot of the decisions that affected our lives in very intimate ways were made by unelected bureaucrats. So, so essentially, what you're saying, sorry, Aaron, just to make sure I understand it, um, what you're saying is that the the whole nation state concept is doesn't function as we as we as, right. as 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 you know as we all would yeah. like it to. Or, or the, and there are assume it does you cannot, you, in, in liberal democracies. Um, you know, as as the nation state model. Um, as the core of it disappears, what what is left in place are the great economic instruments, right? The the world spanning corporations, which operate kind of like fiefdoms, um, and nation states, uh, so to speak, serve as their executive instruments. Um, you know, more or less, more or less, doing the will of of the of the economic elite and. And so I think we're nudging in an oligarchic direction. Um, I, I, you're right, Mario, that it's we still. I just want to mention them real briefly. If I could just mention something real briefly on oligarchy, while you, you touched on it, you said that Aristotle mentioned that it, that's a government by the wealthy. Currently, oligarchy doesn't mean that. Oligarchy is just now currently government by a small group. Uh, plutocracy has replaced. The term that Aristotle originally used as oligarchy. So plutocracy. So, so, well, so plutocracy. Just plutocracy, and I'm 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 kind of learning this stuff. Plutocracy is essentially governed by the rich. Oligarchy is governed by a few. Correct. Jim, go ahead. Yeah. No. No. So uh, yeah, oligarchy is always meant governed by the few, and I think uh, even though Plato maybe referenced the wealthy in a sense. I, it, I think that was the point uh, talking about the construct of the oligarch uh, of the oligarchs. But the point in his uh, mind was of the few. Yeah. And the point you're making, Aaron, and, and I want to go to Piotr because I know he's trying to speak earlier. But the point you're making is that it's going back to the whole um, the, the establishment, uh, so, you know, the behind the scenes people that are making a lot of decisions, putting a lot of the strings. Uh, not to the extreme or the, the Illuminati extreme, but somewhere in the middle between a completely fair democracy and the Illuminati. The, the reality is somewhere in the middle, and yeah. and the World Economic Forum plays a role in that. Is that a fair, a fair characterization yeah, of what I you think just said? That's, that's fair. It's a kind of corporatist collective, a, a global technocracy that's driven by both economic and certain political interests. And this this regime has gained power over the last three years, while the model of the nation state has weakened in terms of power. And, that, and when you say, when you say this regime, can you define regime? Yeah. So the, the regime is the welding of, of global corporate and economic interests with, um, with state power that starts to more and more serve those interests rather than serving the interests of the population that elected them. Uh, and, and Aaron, are you saying that that's that's got that's housed in the WEF, or where, where are you saying that that's so? I'm saying that the w- formally taking place. Yeah, I, I'm saying the WEF is one institution that represents broader trends in global banking, 
uh, global corporate life in, in the in the wealthiest corporate and most most powerful corporations. They're represented by the WEF. But you can, I mean, you can look at other, um, you can look at other non-governmental institutions that have either member state, uh, uh, nation state membership, or private membership that have grown up since World well, War II. So and WF is probably the most visible, and some think the most powerful among them. But there are many others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so, Piotr, I think you you were you had you got bumped down, and uh, you probably have something to say in all this. So, why don't you take the mic, Piotr? You're uh, you're you're muted. Jump in. Yeah, I know what's happening with Piotr's internet. Source news. Yeah, trying to jump in. Yeah, let, yeah, let's go to all. Let's go to all, all source. Oh, like Catherine, yeah, Catherine, so your mic is echoey, and I don't know what's happening with your mic, Catherine. Yeah, go ahead, uh, all source. Yeah, so so I think one of the 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 things I did want to highlight though that and I think kind of this notion of the oligarchy is I think it's one hundred percent correct, but but where I think there needs to be kind of a clear distinction, right? And I think that that this is being played also in kind of the geopolitical realm, right? And I think there's this idea that a lot of followers might have and a lot of listeners into the space. I think that when we say the elite, it's kind of this one global elite. That kind of all shares a, a, a same goal internationally, regardless of what country. And I think one of the things we have to also very much highlight, right, is how elites in different countries, both in the political realm and the economic realm, utilizes their influence to try to gain their own political advantage for the nation state, right? And I think one of the great things that kind of came out in, in foreign affairs that I really liked reading, in, in, in I believe it's in 2020, there was, it's called the rise of the strategic corruption, right? And, and, and there's been a plethora of books that talk about this, of how, for example, Russia and also China leverages business ties and corruption to then gain political influence, right? And I think that's just something that I, I highlight that as an important case because I think there has to be this clear distinction, right, where people might think that the, the, the idea that all these corporations and all these millionaires and billionaires that exist in the, West, in the, the world economic form have this one global agenda. And what happens when you believe that is that you kind of ignore how, let's say, Russia utilizes corruption tactically and strategically in the United States or in Europe to gain political leverage in those countries through corrupt methods. And, and I mean, we saw this, can, for can example. You, can you explain in, this before? Yeah. Sorry, also, I want you to continue your thought. Don't stop it. But can you explain again, what do you mean by strategic corruption, please? So basically strategic corruption, right? In this article in the Foreign Affairs, and if, you, if, if you're subscribed, you can Google it, right? The rise of strategic corruption. The, the, basically, the article was mentioning how authoritarian governments, through business ties and through corruption, contaminate political process and democracies, right? So let's, let's, for example, look at, at London. London is a perfect example that has very lax, you know, the, you know, London, a lot of people call London, Londonistan, right? Because they have a lot of wealthy former Soviet Republic oligarchs that park their money in the UK or in, 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 in tax havens across the world. And they use the UK legal system to protect themselves. And while they do that and they protect their riches and their money that they're extrapolating from their, their own countries, let's say, you know, in, in, in Kazakhstan, let's use an example, right? They, they, they use corruption. They pull that money out. They leverage that money and they, they, they put it in, let's say, the UK. They get UK lawyers to defend them in court so that they're protected from Western uh, actions you know, to try to seize their monies, et cetera, to send it back. And then through corruption that they use and they park their money into the UK, they contaminate the little political process and allow corruption to then grow in their own countries, right? So the strategic corruption notion is basically when authoritarian governments utilize corruption to contaminate and gain influence in our political decision-making, especially in democracies, because we kind of have those, obviously the separations of powers and laws that protect us. They use those democratic principles to contaminate and to corrupt our own process for their own political and geopolitical interests. I hope that makes sense. So I, I think I think I agree with you that 
that that's kind of where how why we're how we are seeing here in the United States a, a lot of policy get bypassed from the actual legislative and electoral process. That's just been a big problem. But Brick, um, I think a lot of what we're talking about here, um, I, you know, I I. I I hear some people trying to say that we have this internationalist oligarchical system. I, I don't see that having developed yet. There's certainly influence within small groups of people, smaller groups of people that even provide me some concern, but we don't, we don't have this oligarchical system internationally. I think what we're looking at is, is, is just these connections through groups like the WEF, probably primarily or possibly primarily, certainly through the UN between governments that, that exists and has some concerns, but haven't quite developed on the international basis. Would you agree? And, and what are your thoughts? Right. I, I, I don't believe, and you know, to kind of piggyback, like, again, my, my main issue when we're talking about elites, right, and, and, and what I kind of want to, because we haven't seen that, I think it's to your point, right? We haven't seen this notion that all, let's say all the, the you know, the Fortune 500 companies all agree on one thing and that this is the objective they want, right? There's still these individual interests, both in the economic and, and in yeah, policy. But, but what I would say, what I'd say, though, what, what I'd say all sources is that, that they, these groups are seeking to influence governments and there's more and more of an effort to bypass what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, so absolutely. that's the problem. Yeah. And, and, and I think, right. And, 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 but we're, and, and I, but I, I think the, the issue is, is that these groups do not operate in unison. I think that's kind of where the distinction I want. Well, to make. okay. So let me, let me just kind of pop yep. in there. So I, I would say, no, I think we're seeing more and more unison happening and it's not happening in a formal way in some international government system that exists, but it is happening somewhat. But I want to, I want to pass to brick. You've got, you've had your hand up. So go ahead. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I actually, um, we, before Catherine came in the space, we were talking about the erosion of rights in Canada, uh, specifically first amendment rights, uh, a little bit of second amendment rights, property rights, uh, financial restrictions, stuff like that. And I, I actually, I wanted to ask her to, to speak, you know, to speak to that, uh, because I, I think she's got some, some pretty good insight into it. Um, sure. I mean, I've watched a lot of changes happening in Canada that um, have been very shocking and disappointing. And it's interesting because I think uh, a lot of people from internationally have been watching that happen and, and what our prime minister has done and uh, have been shocked too. So, you know, I, I have been a liberal and um, I guess I, as much as I hate disclosing sort of my voting history, um, it is it is on the liberal side of things. Um, we've sort of in Canada is kind of an interesting country. Uh, for many years, people have sort of said that this is, um, you know, friendly dictatorship. And the reason that this has been said is because um, the reason it's been said is because uh, the idea of it is, you know, we have essentially one party and this one party is um uh, the liberal party is the party that has always been the one that people sort of elect and other parties really don't have much power so the we have the ndp and we have the conservative party but we've only had uh the conservative party in power once and so recently um you know when we had the 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 truckers protest um during covid this is really where we've seen i think the most clear erosion of of rights and for me that was quite a shock to see that so in this case we've had um 
you know, bank accounts frozen to people for people who donated to the truckers protest, people thrown in jail. Um, you know, this was kind of some people have sort of dubbed it the January 6th of, of, of Canada, even there was no like overthrow. Um, and, and then, uh, Justin Trudeau invoked the, um, what is it called? The, the millet, the, um, oh my gosh. Emergency act. Emergencies right act. That's correct, which was not invoked before in the past. So, you know, this is something that is meant for like, you know, true emergency. And he never the Emergencies Act wasn't even really used. So this was like a true to me erosion of of Canadian rights. And that has really changed my view, I think, of um, of where we are in Canada. It's it's kind of like I, I'm, I'm really conflicted at this point as to what to vote for, um, because I'm not a conservative, but at the same time, uh, somebody should not have that kind of power. So to me, it was a very authoritarian move. Also during COVID, you know, people weren't able to leave the country. I'm not a hundred percent sure what the situation was in the U S but if you weren't vaccinated, you know, the, the situation was that you really, you, you couldn't leave the country. So I found that completely shocking. Um, so there's a lot of erosions of, of Canadian rights that I just, didn't see coming because <laughs> as a liberal, you know, I, I, I want rights. <laughs> That's how I see liberal liberalism. Really. Uh, I want to jump in if you, those... mind, uh, uh, if you don't mind, if you don't mind break as quickly. Um, yeah. I want to ask the audience a question. Um, guys, at first Jim is, I know it's a background noise cause I'm outside, but is it uh, audible Jim before I ask the audience a question? Yeah, no, you sound okay. Yeah. Thanks man. Uh, so for the audience, um, yeah, for the audience, um, I want you to go in the comments, bottom right corner. Should we start doing the spaces for longer? I'm think I'm talking to the team because we've got an incredible network of moderators now where we always get great speakers. Um, and anyone that's in the audience that you think you're a good speaker and you've got a lot to add to any discussion, make sure you DM me because the team does go through all, all messages about this. But should we have spaces at least 10 hours a day, every day, seven days a week discussing various topics because there's just so much to discuss as long as we have great speakers on stage and it's always balanced, not an echo chamber and not biased, which has always been our policy. And great moderators, you know, Catherine, Jim, Nick, Ian, Sam, the list goes on. Um, I want you all to let us know in the comments. Uh, but I think it's been an incredible experiment. Today we did it for six hours, I think. Um, that yesterday we did it for ten and a half. Uh, no, eleven. Eleven, eleven and a half. Day before was like nine, nine and a half. That's the last three days. And that's with me traveling and, and being in Davos and stuff. So it's been a really good experiment. The, the response has been great. Um, and as I said, like people in Davos coming up to me and talking about the show, influential people, uh, about what we're doing here. Um, but that's the question to everyone in the audience. I want you guys to let me know in the comments. Let us know in the comments what you think and how you think it's best for the show to develop. Because it's like a debate. Should we keep it scarce where it's only for a limited amount of time? Um, so, so, you know, it, too much of the show is, is this too much of the show? Or should we keep it for longer to give everyone time to join at different time zones? And considering so many topics to discuss, let me know in the comments. But yeah, Jim and Catherine, what do you guys, Justin, you guys are regulars. Um, what do you think of um, of uh, doing the show for longer? I think it's a great idea. I think you ought to have a twenty four seven channel. I, going. I thought I thought <laughs> I, I, I asked I asked I asked someone that no joke. 
we are working on that. It's a bit. It's already in progress. But uh, let's start with ten That's hours fun. a day. Oh, everyone on my team will just quit. But you like the my idea? Just really called addiction. <laughs> my wife will hate me then. <laughs> Elon, love this. Uh, what do you think, Catherine? I'll end up getting a divorce. Uh, I'm going to be the minority on this. It's way too tempting to jump into these spaces, so I don't want the the temptation to be in front of me. So that's so my vote is no, just because I don't want that temptation to be there. I, I also, I mean, I'm much more of a compulsive planner. Um, I so so I'm a little bit different, but uh, other people will disagree with me and will uh, will send me more heat mail. I'm sure. <laughs> before before um, oh, Mark is here. I invited Mark to come up on stage. Um, uh, I know Mark from before. He doesn't know me, but uh, b- b- uh, um, uh, Jim, I want you while I try to bring up Protocol because I got a couple of questions for Protocol before we we wrap it up. But what do you think, Jim, for doing the space for longer? Well, um, I think I think you know people are on these spaces all day long. In, from Eastern Time Zone, I mean, I noticed that they're starting to really do them. About ten o'clock is when it's starting to roll in. I kind of monitor that all day long. Um, so you know, I, I think it could work. I think there are people in the day that are looking to to hear about things, and then they then in the evening you start getting another group, or maybe it's the same group later on. So I think it people people are definitely engaging. They want to be involved in what's going on. There's no doubt about it. So I, I think it could possibly work. Yeah, I can think I, Mario, you cool. can't post it. Per, <laughs> all day long because you need some sleep, right? So, so I think that. No, no, I won't. I won't be hosting it. Not at all. No, no. I, so we'll be we'll be mixing between all of us. That's the thing. It will never never work if it's just me. I can't live like this. But it will be yeah, really. like this. Exper- last last two days, like you know, Jim, you've been killing it. You and Nick as co-hosts, and today Catherine and Sam did a great job. Ian. Um, and the rest of the team, but um, I've changed yeah. my mind, Mario. I, I, I'm, I'm changing my answer to yes. <laughs> cool, that was quick. I want to get Protocol. Protocol, come up, come on, man. DM you an invite. I, Mario, yeah, go ahead, I, of course. Yeah, I go ahead, John. Comment, comment on what you said. There's a reason I like your spaces, right? I like watching the news typically, or before I used to just sit in front and and watch the news, see what's going on, have it playing in the background, even while I'm working. I have no idea if you're left or right. And that makes a huge difference because you try to balance the the room all the time to a point where I don't know what you are, right? I have no idea which way you lean. And that's really, really good because it makes all the difference in the world. So unless you can get hosts who are also completely like, I cannot tell because their comments don't lean one way or the other, then you can't have 10 hours. If you can find some people that can replicate that, I think it would be incredible, and I would have it on all the time playing in the well, background, the yeah, same I'll way you, I would news stations. I'll tell you what, Joe. Actually, you know, one of the things that's happening here is that Mario is the guy sort of doing that. The rest of us are quite often participating in the conversation, so that comes across – I think that uh, we've got a few people True. in here who are able to be very neutral. Well, I know I can be that way because I, in, in, when I've had, when I get a long period of it, I can do that. And and by the way, I'm extremely <laughs> friendly with the people that are on our team who are not aligned with me politically necessarily in certain ideologies. So we can get there. I think it can definitely happen. But your point is well taken. It should be like that. Absolutely. And um, another thing, just for the audience, um, number one, just make sure you subscribe to the newsletter above where the team will be summarizing spaces. So make sure you do that. But we do read through comments. Like if you want to come up as a speaker 
Uh, if you, you've commented, we see it, or you DM us, if you want to come up with a speaker, DM us. But there's, there's another thing to add, is that not only like, you know, when you're watching CNN or Fox or, or any other news network, uh, you're just sitting there watching it. But in part of the space, you can actually be part of the space. Like, I look at Shelby now. Shelly, sorry, Shelly just put a thumbs down when I said something, so she disagrees. I go through the emojis. I go through the comments. It just makes it very interactive, um, which kind of... And I, I'm pretty pretty bullish on, on spaces and audio rooms in general, and I used to be very bullish and active on Clubhouse back in the day. But Gnostic, what do you think? Well, from the comments that I get from my back channels and everybody else, there, there's, you know, like, A, yes, keep the spaces going, run them. You know, just, just blank out, run them, and, and it's really great. From the spaces I get in the background, if that's any reflection on, on what comments you're getting in the background, I'm getting all sorts of people feeding me things to come down and say, I've had, had whiffic things put at me. I've had other stuff. But one of the comments that comes out is, and, and this is a good thing to quite a degree, is a frustration with not being able to, to speak and participate, which I think is both a good thing and a bad thing. You're, you're, you're filtering people out. Uh, you know, you want the comments in front so it doesn't interrupt the entire process. All of this is good. It creates a degree of frustration for people. But at the same time, the frustrated people are still here listening. So the the balance that people are talking about, that Jim and some of the other people are talking about, where you sit down and go, and, and I can't tell sometimes what side of the fence you sit on. I poke you sometimes and go, what side are you on? But it, it's like, and people do poke you to see what side you're on, but just not doing it is as frustrating to people as it is neutral across the entire thing, which is what just breaks me up laughing because that's why the room is popular. What people are saying here is completely correct. You're doing a good job of maintaining a balance. You also, when you don't understand something, you ask for an explanation for somebody for the room. So you're educating people in it in a rounded way that allows them to sit down and have better opinions and balanced opinions. In the total of what you're doing, you're bringing people into the center. The far right, you're bringing into the center. The far left, you're bringing into the center, which is exactly what people need. We need that central view, that centrist view to expand and people to understand you can have disagreements. You can have, like Sam and I were going at it tooth and tongue, poking around and, and doing all the rest of the stuff, and I disagree with some of his stuff. He he agrees. This, I mean, this is a space where we can actually have a disagreement and not have it break down into that insanity. And control of the mute button is, you know, one of the primary things. I mean, you, you know, if I'm interrupting or Prodigal's interrupting or somebody, I, I just laugh because Prodigal always laughs when he gets gets muted, which is really quite funny. And so do I. But it's a it's a form of respect for sitting down and saying intelligent, reasoned debate requires a moderator to sit down and say, OK, everybody's getting too emotional here. This is going to break up. Mute now. Straighten it out. And you straighten it out. And it's that sort of much as we're talking democracy here. It's that dictatorial effort that actually makes the debate possible. So, well, Mario, I, you're doing a great job. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Noxtick, I mean, I, by the way, I want to. Part of my I've done political consulting and stuff like for almost all of 30 years, uh, as well as uh, time on Capitol Hill. But I've done telephone town halls with uh, clients. And, and there's one interesting thing, dynamic you just brought up, which I know worked extremely well there. Like this is a far more open forum. So telephone town halls, you dial out to a massive list. You have a group of people in, in the room, so to speak. You have a moderator who's working with the team to bring in questions. People can come in live to give their question. And I would always tell people, you know, listen, we're going to get the best questions that we can. And I've, I've moderated like literally hundreds of these. There was a time I think I was 
I had done more telephone town halls as a moderator than any human being alive because I worked off the biggest platform. And I'm not exaggerating to say that. It's been a while, but I was there once. So I can confirm like, that for uh, for Jim. I was there too. He, he did that. <laughs> yeah, he does know that. Yeah, Justin knows. So anyway, um, what's in, what was interesting about that dynamic is you, and we would moderate what questions were coming in. That's why I like this. It's a little more open and free debate. But we would moderate what questions were coming in. And what we found out was the audience reacted. We had ways for them to react to it. And when they heard somebody ask a question, and you, we got inputs that, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. I'm glad they answered that question and it answered their question. Now, when you get that interaction back and forth, it adds this like 3D dynamic to that. Telephone town halls were so effective for so many years in politics and organizations and even businesses, uh, corporations that would have uh, calls with uh, stockholders or shareholders of some sort. It just was really an interesting dynamic. This is just shoots it way beyond that. And you're exactly right in what you said. I want to go, I want to go to prodigal prodigal. <laughs> we go back. How are you? Yeah, I came up uh, cause you asked and I'm, <laughs> I've been yelling and smoking cigarettes, so I'm a little out of it. But what do you, what do you, uh... I have a, I have a question. I wanted, I've been wanting to ask you this for a while and we should jump on a call, but what can you tell us? Like, who are you? I know you're not doxxed, uh, as, as far as I know. What do you do? Who are you? What can you tell us about the, the, uh, the famous prodigal? Well, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a lawyer. I have a real estate portfolio. I am born in the States, first generation. I'm from the former Yugoslavia. I have a very, uh, unique background from my upbringing but you know uh, you know I, I i love america i have family who served i've been following it and it's just uh, to see what's occurred uh, over the last two decades is, is very upsetting uh, to me so that's basically i, mean, I don't want to dox myself there's a well, i really can't anyway because i've been banned so many times from this stupid uh, platform but it's been better it's the longest i've lasted in a while <laughs> okay man. what do you what do you, what do you think, uh, Progo? My question was, what do you think you and, and then Fidgetal and then we'll end it. But what do you think about doing the space for much longer and, and, uh, you know, doing like 10 hours a, a day, seven days a week to cover all the topics there is? I mean, if, if you, if you have the energy to do it, why not? No, no, without yeah. me, no, not me, me and the uh, team, uh, like all the other, people, other yeah, moderators. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, personally, like I, I message people, they, I don't host spaces just because the blowbacks immense. Like it's not a job I like. You can't please everybody and it's just, it's not happy. So, hey, listen, you have some of the largest spaces here. I just come here to get out the message. So I think whatever you're doing, you're doing it right, and it's working. Uh, but, yeah, uh, me personally, you'll, you'll never see me host spaces. And if I'm in a space after 10 or 11, you'll be like, why am I listening to this moron? I go to uh, Nuance Bros spaces just to burn brain cells. But I think you should. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're getting respected people in here. You got congressmen. You know, Thomas Massey basically broke news on your website, uh, on your spaces. So is Elon Musk. And I like it because I, you know, I don't really, uh, you, you rarely get a chance to, uh, you know, uh, question and, 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 and force a person to defend their positions, especially in positions of power. And I'm not in it for money or anything else. I don't care if I can you know, expose people I disagree with or change minds that I'm all for it. So listen, if it's working and it's growing, why not? I mean, Elon do you remember? Do you, do, you, probably, do you remember the old days when when you first started joining the space? It was impossible to stop you. Your energy was insane. Now you're like a, a lot lot friendlier. 
But the old days, anyone that hasn't seen Prodigal in the old days when we first started the spaces, he would eat everybody alive, including me. He would mute me somehow. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, listen, I, 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 go, I go to Finn Twitter spaces with Gnostic and, you know, uh, have a couple mutuals, you know, I have friends and, and family and, and investments and I'm usually calm here, but when we're talking politics and I just like the only thing I would, I, and I've asked you this before, if I put the newsletter tweet first, I can literally cite to mainstream media organizations for all my points. Like people like, like somebody's like, Oh, you can't, I could cite everything. If my accounts weren't banned, you know, some of these news stories that I follow and care about, you could see multiple years of how the story's played out and how they've lied and what's been going on. I mean, that's the only thing I'd say. I understand, The only problem is your spaces get so big, and I understand this, that if you pin too much at the stop, at the top, uh, the cotch... Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so yeah. Protocol, before I go to Fidgetal, Protocol, like now he still pins, but not a lot before. When Protocol comes in the first five minutes, uh, as soon as he joins the space, there's about 20 pinned tweets, and he every word he says, there's some evidence or, or some source that's pinned above. Anyone that, that whenever Protocol speaks to you guys, actually now, no, he doesn't do it anymore. We remove a lot of them. We've got to balance it out as well. Like, you know, anyway, he's a beast in every way possible. Fidgetal, final words, man. You've been on the space a lot of times, and today you've had a bit of drama you're dealing with. But any final words before we wrap up the space? Yeah, it's funny. Prodigal, uh, also not docs, but also an attorney with the real estate portfolio. So hilarious. And, and on the exact opposite side of the spectrums. <clears throat> Mario, thank you for your help with that, by the way. It means well, well a lot I used to... to be on your side, and then I, I woke up. I know. People get old. It happens, <laughs> right? You, you cling to your money more you as you get older. I, I see it happens all the time. You know what? It's funny because I think the people who are the strongest sort of opponents of uh, Fidgetal's side tend to be the the ones who used to be on that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the second half of my life. The, the other side of the hill should be fun. No insult. Uh, so what I was going to say, Mario, thank you so much for your help. Uh, whatever you can do, uh, it means a lot to, I know, a small community, but I think a really important community that I'm hoping merges more and more as things move forward. Um, with regards to your question specifically, yeah, so any help. Uh, my suggestion, uh, as someone who doesn't call these spaces phone calls, um, that was another old person joke. Uh, I, my suggestion would be to do a 24-hour space. You can use the 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 the, the technology that allows you to uh, leave it on and have multiple people use the host account, like um, I forget it's called the. Yeah, we're the planning evil. it, but don't you think? Don't you think the issue of not, that, to, to, you know, scarcity is also important? No. No, 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 no. Hear me out. What I would suggest is uh, you have a 24-hour with all the hosts that you have that are in different fields and different. They host different slots with different, uh, with like two-hour slots or whatever. However, it gets divided up, and there's different topics and different subjects that people are different subject matters on that you have involved here and they're balanced and, and they're charged with bringing balanced, uh, excited conversation, um, including crypto, NFTs, blockchain technology, real estate, Nelson, right? All these people that you have that are kind of often brought together and, and out of their depth in certain conversations, which does bring for good, good, good topic and, and good banter. But then regardless of that, and you curate that 24 seven. So Mario Nafal or the, 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 the round, the round table, table. Bro, keep my name out of it. The, the, the round table is the, the uh, citizen journalist 24-7 channel uh, that you can pop in any time for interesting shit about anything or choose your slots and organize it. But at the same time, you also, Mario is the news break guy. And you no, don't have bro, to no, do no, 10. No, no. Keep Mario out of it. I, wanna, I want Mario no, not to be the okay. news break guy. Mario needs to have a life and needs to no, do no, less. No, you, you don't have to do 10 Mario has to stay is what I'm saying. 
What I'm saying is whatever you want to call Mario, it's the news break portion. It's, it's this, but in a two hour, three hour thing where you'll pile in 10, 20,000 people because it's less frequent. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I would do. It makes sense, makes sense. Uh, Source News, uh, first time on the stage, Catherine recommended us to connect. Such a pleasure to have you on the panel. So I'll give you the final word, man, before Jim and Catherine wrap it up. Yeah, no, I just wanted to say thank you so much for the opportunity to speak. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks, Catherine, for the <clears throat> voice of confidence. And uh, I guess I'll just take my role in this space just to argue to infinity with prodigal i'll take that gladly <laughs> there's already six people ahead of you on that um anyway guys uh, and we need more it's <laughs> still not enough um so I, i'll now wrap it up jim catherine do you mind if i wrap up the space anything to add no you go for it mario cool, cool. all right guys so so great space as always um and uh, we'll see you again tomorrow and uh, make sure please in the comments let us know how you th- you'd like to see the spaces evolve in the next few days and in the next few months uh, because there's a big team working on this um 24 7 around the world so so please do share your feedback we read them all and anyone that doesn't get a chance to speak um you can send us dms me or other speakers we do read the dms we can bring them up space and we go through the comments are are, are you putting this on other platforms so so people yeah we stream it yeah yeah it's it's streaming on youtube now um We'll start and uh, put the video so you can actually see my face. Now it's off, um, and then we'll be, we're, we're preparing Rumble as well. Uh, but Twitter is uh, like we're just doing this for that audience. We're not we, we don't mention it at all. We don't tweet about it because we want to stay native to Twitter. That's our main focus. And you know I'm, I'm pretty loyal to Elon, who's been very supportive. Um, so we'll be and plus I'm bullish on Twitter. So we'll be focusing on Twitter, but just to get a bigger audience there, and they might come to Twitter because they could see the screen of Twitter. So they might actually uh, try, uh, 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 move merge into Twitter as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Uh, guys, girls, uh, love you all. Thank you so much for joining, and it's another epic space. We'll probably see you again all tomorrow. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Jim, Catherine.